I frankly think that crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of Amer America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall he had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked, which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. One can combine other means of pressure with sanctions. Uh, I mentioned that explosion uh, on August 17th. Uh, we could step up the pressure. I mean, look, people, Iranian submarines periodically go down. Someday one of them might not come up. Who would know why? <laughs> we can do a variety of things if we wish to increase the pressure. I'm not advocating that. But I'm just suggesting that uh, it, it, it's, this, this is not a, a either-or proposition. Of, you know, it's just sanctions has to, has to succeed or other things. We are in the game of using covert means against the Iranians. We, we could get nastier at that. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, March 25th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a hell of a show for you today. A lot. Potentially a very long show. And I'm in no, nothing else going on. I have no need to hurry and there's no reason I'm going to. So for those that expect it to be a shorter than I'm going to try, that's not going to happen today. I'm just going to go through this with the, you know, with the attention to detail as if that is not what we always do. But there, I really want to make sure we go through this with no need to rush through it and go through all of the different foreign policy points. That's really a really big focus today. The first half of the show is entirely foreign policy on what just happened in Syria or really, you know, the real story behind all of that. Uh, we're going to talk about Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, Somalia. A lot's going on. And as, as always, but we're going to shift back into that gear today so we can really focus on what's going on there but we're also going to talk about the as we frame the title today the, the just i almost am losing ways to frame how what's going on with this discussion around COVID 19 and rather excuse me the illusion but the injection is the focus of pretty much it really should be the focus of everybody at this point but the interesting thing is that it's so obvious like painfully like more than anything and i've been like a lot of a lot of topics seem that way today ukraine i personally i think ohio and these different situations are just it's just narrative versus fact it's how it's kind of devolved into to what it's pretty much devolved into today but the covid19 discussion rather again the the injection discussion 
is just painful. How obvious and how experts left and right that were 30 seconds ago screaming you were wrong are now going, whoa, okay. Like some of them have come all the way over and said, dangerous, wrong, everything should be stopped. Then we're going to go through some of the more feeble, meek ones that are coming around going, okay, well, I'm wrong. I was wrong and I'm going to give you that. Like, like you, like they're giving us something by admitting that they were a little bit wrong when really they were entirely wrong and vitriolic and, 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 and spiteful. I'm, you can probably even guess who I'm talking about. But we're going to go through, and I mean, I, Piers Morgan is one of them. I'll give you right out of the gate. Just the the embarrassing nature of the way that they're going, like a, like the Ben Shapiro is exactly the same example. We were lied to. No, you blindly listen to people instead of doing your due diligence like you swear you do. Piers Morgan, same way. You weren't. The science didn't change. We saw it. You b- blindly followed people and then went further and attacked people because of it. We're going to talk about not just that focus, that point, but the entirety of this in, you know, the most up-to-date things that I have in front of me showing you how this is legitimately over. Not over in the sense they're going to stop pushing it. In fact, they're charging up for the next round, but it's over. It's done. This is clear. They're hurting people. The, the science is behind it. The experts are behind it. I mean, it's just mind-blowingly obvious. But other than that, in general, today, we're going to focus at the end of the show with, as I as I kind of like to do lately, just where this logically continues into and the CBDC digital ID kind of rapid succession. Like if we don't pay attention now where this is all going to be and that, that applies to everything, the injections, the foreign policy, it's going to be the same crazy, unaccountable, rampantly lawless direction with a technocratic bent because that'll be much better. Right. Technocratic panopticon around everything. But I really want to just—I'm not going to talk about Ohio today, just because I—I'm I, um, one quick point in the beginning. We're going to come back to that focus because I—I I think we're way ahead on something that's really happening right now. But ultimately, as always, the stuff we're talking about—you can really apply the logic around the, the the focal point to everything else they're involved in. These same people, the authority figures that are lying to you, undermining information, hiding information, lying to you about what's really going on, and in fact, actively hurting you, as far as I can tell in every possible way, but, and a bunch of other little things in between today, it's going to be a big show. So make sure you stay tuned to the end. I want to start with, like I said, one quick note. We just had this conversation. Uh, I don't know. Scott was possibly going to be doing a follow a, a stub stack on this. I, as always, I leave that to him that the sub stack, he decides what we put up there based on the combination of our, you know, pirate stream, his content, my content and so on. Now, th- this, I'm hoping he does, because I definitely think this is going somewhere. But this this interesting point was focused in on the show in general around the facilities and where this was going. The specific one, the main point I had, and the title is EPA forcing Ohio toxic waste on facilities not able to process dioxins or PFAS or, or forever chemicals. There's a, a few important points in this. One is the obvious original point, which is that if they had not tested for these prior to this, which we know they hadn't, they've admitted that. How are they? How then are we supposed to assume they even know where to send this stuff if they don't even know or have confirmed whether or not the two most important in regard to incineration and how it needs to be dealt with, possibly not even able to be dealt with, both specifically dioxins and PFAS? They said they hadn't tested for those. So either they're lying and they know they're there, and so they're sending them to the right place, even though that's not what's happening in regard to the last set part of that thing I just said. Or they didn't test for them, and they're just pretending the one they sent it to is right because what we know is in there, whether what we've tested for but left out, you know, the things we pretend we've tested for alone, the VOCs, we can deal with. So regardless of how you look at it, they're already shipping this stuff out immediately. And long, like this has been going on for weeks now, 
without knowing what's fully there. But then on top of that, we went through this and we found the place in Oklahoma. It was specifically the Clean Harbors Lone, Lone Mountain Facility, which I went over the documentation and as far and I spoke to the guy on the phone. It's all on the show right here. You can listen to. He said himself that is a landfill. You cannot deal with those in landfills. <clears throat> it's incineration. And any expert you talk to will tell you that it needs to be incineration. Wildly high level incineration. And, and most, a lot of experts will even tell you that specifically because that, that's why they call them forever chemicals. They can't even actually be incinerated. That all they really do is burn and spread them around at least to some degree. But on top of all of that, the point was that they are shipping it there. They're forcing it there. And Oklahoma's even going, no, the governor stint is saying absolutely not, despite EPA threatening. Because ultimately he's, I mean, you could argue it's just because of safety and who knows, or because maybe there's more to it. Maybe they know also what's going on there. But however you look at it, his point was, why are you shipping it across three or four states to bring it all the way to Oklahoma? You know, there, I mean, th there's a lot of points you could make in all of that. But anyway, I don't want to get into it all today. We're going to come back to this. But I wanted to point one thing out, and this is why I brought it up today. Make sure you watch the show. Decide for yourself if there's something there. But this is really interesting. Scott C. Smith, who was recently on Tucker Carlson's show, uh, unfortunately, we connected right when he went to Ohio, way before he connected with Tucker Carlson. And I was DMing him on, on, uh, in the, in, in, uh, on Twitter. And we were, he was like, yeah, let's get you on. We're gonna, we were going to connect, get on the show. And then I think, you know, and, and all good. I, look, no begrudging. And ultimately, if I were in his position, I would want my content on the largest possible platform as well. He ended up going on Tucker Carlson's show which is kind of cool to realize that we're, we're basically going after the same guests and getting them, but that ultimately that happened. And, and I finally caught back up with him actually just today. And we, he basically said, yes, he gave me his number. We're going to connect. He's independently testing. He's the one talking about dioxins on the ground, finding dioxins on the ground. Interestingly enough, on a side note in the chat and the DMS, he said that he's trying to respond to my comments, which I left down here and it wasn't letting him shocking. <laughs> Twitter is not working. I wonder why, or it's selectively not working is where I literally see this happening everywhere, but not getting into that today either. His point was this, which I found really interesting. This was from today. Clean Harbors. That's the group we're talking about. And their blatant undue influence with no accountability. Shame on Karen Polito, former lieutenant governor of uh, MA Blue, Massachusetts, correct, for accepting the payoff and, or is it Maryland? Hold on. See, I, I did that the other day too, and I couldn't remember what the other one was. Let's see. <clears throat> M.A. is Massachusetts, so I thought. I was right. Okay. Okay, so saying that she shame on her for accepting the payoff. And just think about all those people in the state of, of Massachusetts being influenced by Karen to do the wrong thing and sell out communities for money. As it says here, and this is under um, the town councilor in Braintree, Massachusetts account. So it says there, but I, I never know if these people, if people can just lie in their bios, who knows? But it says the woman who saddled us with the Enbridge compressor station, as you can see what that is, right? You guys can see that, right? We're a North American leader in delivering energy is now cashing in at clean harbors, poisoning communities on taxpayer dollars, then on to make huge private sector dollars on the cleanup end. Now, I'm not even saying this is necessarily connected. I just think it's really interesting that right at the moment when we're hyper-focused on these exact points about these corrupt locations, and not just not even talking about clean harbors, the location we talked about that was just south of East Palestine in Ohio, the location that was in, in um, Michigan, rife with problems in fact a great article which i'm going to grab really quickly i forgot about that to bring this one up a really great article that corporate america from from our community just wrote and we got they published on t lav 
about this exact focal point. This is the reality of the, how these in these both incinerator landfills and water treatment locations are just rife with problems. There you go. This one right here. Oh, that was weird. That was really weird, actually. I don't even know how I got to the homepage after clicking on that page. Whatever. So this article here, an update on East Palestine, how chemical cleanup leads to harmful exposure. Make sure you read this. He, it's, it's every other paragraph is a citation from a study. Like it's really well done. And the reality being that this, it's just, it's not only the problem, it's exactly what we've been hitting on. Both dioxins and PFAS are just everywhere and they've known this forever and they're not doing anything about it because I don't think they know what to do. And now we care. Now we notice. And now they're trying to kind of slide it around and pretend like it's, it's very interesting. Either way, the main the point if i before i forget it well anyway <laughs> now that i lost anyway, this is an important article make sure you read it so you understand the background and and the 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 danger of all of this oh and it was the the incineration the point was ultimately these places are rife with problems that you look into the background of all the places they're using and they're just constantly breaking rules and constantly not processing things properly so we're all worried about this and they're sending it to places that are supposed to be able to incinerate dioxins and so on. And then you look at the record and you're like, well, look at that. They half the time are being exposed for not even doing that. Then you talk about the place that they might be bringing it to or they are bringing it to rather forcing it to. And you're looking, proving that they don't even have an incinerator. So it's, something is very strange here. I want to make sure people go into that. And I think it's interesting that Clean Harbors is coming up in this essentially rather being ex kind of accused by one of these independent testers for essentially working alongside some kind of basically corruption, right? The cleanup side of the game that's being played. Now, I want to come back to all this. I really think there's something going on here. I just wanted to point that out. I really think it's interesting that there's, there's that they're, the way that this is being done, I'm almost, just a top of my head would be that I'm worried this is about even more so spreading this around. Like the Dark Part, uh, Horse podcast made an argument about that these places are aware of how this works now and if they can spread this out and make it more so, like not just the already background problem, but the high level problem they created and just make it spread out across half the country. How are you going to prove that's because of this one thing? They know how this works and that's a, that's a good argument to be made. Now, all that aside, we're going to come back to it. I wanted to start off with something I think is really important. I'm just going to read this. Now you have to see it as I read it. But this this is something that I think is really interesting to me now actually here what i will show first is uh, the shout out to the person who shared this as always whenever possible everybody all the time should give people credit even if it's just something you find on twitter why not right squirrel e stuff points out i i hadn't, I hadn't actually seen this before george washington's farewell address actually warned us of the dangers of parties like the left and the right as really just larger than even just this country, but it's an interesting thing. And I'm going to come back to this one. This is the quote that he shared as well. I'm going to read a couple of quotes to kind of start off today. Now, this is, as, as he said, the... Oops, just closed the page on accident. Yes, he said it's the farewell address from George Washington. Here's what it says, or at least part of it. I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state. And, and specifically, we're talking about like Democrat, Republican, that kind of stuff. With particular reference to the founding of them on ge geographical discriminations. Now, you could think about that in a lot of different ways, but the easiest to think about is just blue and red states. 
That's exactly what he's talking about, but much larger than that, too, on all sorts of geographical discriminations. And I really do think his argument applies larger than just this the country mindset. But either way, that with that basically, I'll start again. I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its roots in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in the greatest rankness and is truly their worst enemy. Founding founding father, one of the, you know, the founding father, George Washington, telling us that this is Right, the basic already just saying this is that we we may perceive it as something positive, but it's in fact our worst enemy. A lot of our founding fathers have said things like this: standing armies are our worst, like all of these things we've allowed. They were going never let happen, and here we are, as if now it's justified because our government today says so. They're the ones that are not working in your favor. That's what we have to realize here. He continues: the alternate uh, domination of one faction over another. Right, we're dealing with sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension which is different ages and countries ha- which in different ages and countries has perpetuated the most horrid enormities is itself a frightful despotism dep- like a despotic regime but this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation, on the ruins of public liberty. My God, if that's not exactly what we see every day. These people, the individuals, the, the you know, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm blanking on the term. These people, these savior, the, the savior complex, right? We put the, these individuals become the leaders like a Trump, right? Like a Biden, like a Putin, like anybody else. They become the country, right? They become, and then it becomes their intentions and their motivations are the country. That's how we're being, I mean, and it's not just that one thing alone. We can see all of this in everything we're doing right now. And as George Washington said, on the ruins of liberty, that's where we are right now. We're all experiencing this. And of course, the problem is they're all going, it's that party, it's that party. And that's his point. Without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought to be, ought not to be entirely out of sight, the common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of party are sufficient to make it in the, make it the interest of duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. So don't let it become what we're having right now. We were warned. He continues, it serves always to distract the public councils. And and enfeeble the public administration. That's for sure. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms. Look at that. Kindles the animosity of one part against another. Foments occasionally riot and insurrection. Man, this guy really knew what was was coming, didn't he? And I don't mean that in the sense that we're talking real insurrections. I'm talking about the false alarms, the, uh, the fomenting of division. It opens the door. I mean, look, you could even argue that the false January 6th insurrection argument could lead to a real kind of action. And that's the point. In fact, that's what I think they're trying to do. 
It opens the door, he continues, to foreign influence and corruption. Both, both parties would argue that, which find a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Now, I believe he's arguing that means that these foreign powers will play us against ourselves. Gee, if that's not the most obvious thing in the world. And we watch it happen right now. I, I was going to cover an article, but I'll probably do it soon, about the argument of potentially Israel getting Trump elected, like illegally. Uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't read into it, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Goes on to say, where was I? Yeah, right there. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. He finishes, there is an opinion that parties in free countries are useful checks upon the administration of the government. And that makes sense to a degree and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. This within certain limits is probably true. And in governments of a monarchical caste, UK, you know, even though like the having a king and a queen and so on, patriotism may look with indulgence, if not with favor, upon the spirit of party. But in those of the popular character, in governments purely elective, it is a spirit not to be encouraged. So we don't want these things. From their natural tendency, it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose. And there being constant dangers of excess, and the effort ought to be, by force of public opinion, to mitigate and assuage it. A fire not to be quenched, it demands a uniform vigilance to prevent it bursting into flames, lest instead of warning, it should consume. I, you know, and th I'm sure some of that will be lost on some people, but my God, if you really take time to read this and understand, this is exactly where we are right now. I mean, literally. I mean, so many of these things were prescient to the point to where it's like I they clearly knew the risks all the way back then. Underneath this, thank you, Squirrely Stuff, for sharing that. This was in uh, in response to, I'll read that when I'm done. Ma uh, Mashy Cat points out, I always quote from that wash from Washington, good stuff. Thomas Jefferson warned us. And by the way, it doesn't mean you have to blindly think that every one of them were heroes and everything's great about them. That's what somebody will try to frame this as. But no, words mean what they mean, and they're valid regardless of who says them. Thomas Jefferson warned us about central banks, and here, as, here are as well so much for respecting the founding fathers. It says, again, and you've heard this one. I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies, meaning both of them are dangerous. If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and cor corporations that will grow up around the banks will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. Now here, Sal, Sal the Agorist pointed out, which, by the way, he just started following me, which is cool. I like his account. Democrats want you to think your enemy is in Moscow. Republicans want you to think your enemy is in Beijing. Smart people know the real enemy is in Washington, D.C. It's so nice to realize there are people out there that can see it, as opposed to this God, this painfully, ridiculously naive two-party paradigm that just people keep chipping back and forth at each other. Now, the last quote, which I, I think is important, the one that I included, March 25th, 2023, now, what's funny is this made an appearance even by Brian Stelter, of course, when they wanted to lob it against people supporting Donald Trump. But of course, they'll never bring it up when it's about the other side. It applies to all. So it applies to the government. Who just told me this? I think it was Scott from uh, Scott Armstrong, Rebunk T-Lab. Uh, I'm probably going to forget exactly the way it went. But the point essentially being that somebody was arguing about the two parties and the sides and, and you know, who, who win, like 
I, no, I, I'm not going to frame it properly. The bottom line was the joke is essentially, you know, talking about who wins left versus right. And the answer is like the government. <laughs> it's like, well, yes, that's the point. If you can see it, the point is it doesn't matter. The government always wins. And that's the reality. That's how we need to start embracing this. Even if you truly believe the left right paradigm is important, it still behooves you to look at this as the government as opposed to two things. Now, this is from Theodore Roosevelt. And this applies to everybody you could possibly think of to announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are to stand by the president right or wrong. It is not only unpatriotic and servile, but is morally treasonable to the American public. Now, yes, I also brought this up when Trump was president because that was a very valid time to bring it up because of the mindless following around Trump. But you could make the same argument about people with Biden right now. This applies in every possible way. The reality being that whether or not you believe these people had your best interest at heart all the way back then whether this or George Washington, the point is that these words are, are valid. They matter and they are correct because they're just logic. Now, here is where I see us today. <laughs> you, you get ready to laugh at this because it's pretty funny. Now, all I said was the U.S. government. That's what this is. That's what this image is about to show you. And I just included a whole bunch of hashtag COVID illusion, vanilla ISIS, banking crisis, Ohio train disaster, Joe Biden, woke politics, two party illusion, North Stream attack, poll and false flag, all these blunders and, and manipulations and failures. That's not the one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I guess I didn't upload the video. I just have it right here. Just watch. You can watch it right here. It's this is hilarious to me. I just, it's like the fun. I wish I could have seen this just because it's hilarious. But this is, in my opinion, this is the U.S. government right now in everything that it's doing. I mean, you just can't get it better than that. You're gonna knock it out of the park, miss it completely, and fall over. Okay, right. So that that's kind of what we're seeing, right? I mean, now think about these arguments, right? How look at how the COVID narrative has gone. Look at how the ridiculous woke politic direction is going. Look at the two-party paradigm. Look at Ohio and the EPAs. Look at how the Nord Stream pipeline blew up, no pun intended, in their face. Look at all of these. I mean, my God, it's I, how can this all be on purpose unless it's leading to some gigantic culmination of a they, they are losing their power. And that's not something that I'm relishing in because no matter how this goes, power ebbing and flowing is going to cause chaos for the average people. But at the end of the day, we need to realize how off the rails this is and how desperate these people are all around the world. It's not just the U.S. government, but that seems to be a leading aspect to this. Now, on the last point to this, before we get off on the foreign policy focus, is in the same vein of thought, talking about all of these blunders and specifically talking about the woke direction. And that's not in, in you know, encapsulating or you know, scooping up every single thing under that banner, but rather just the politicization around the ideas and the manipulation therein. As an individual, you do whatever you want, as long as you are not violating somebody's personal rights or breaking law, whatever else, blah, blah, blah. The point is you want to do things to your body. It's always your choice. Always. The problem, though, is when this gets pushed on everybody else. And that's the focus I'm making always on this is how this gets politicized and is wildly overrepresenting in our policy for a very small percentage of population. Now, this is, in my opinion, a good thing. Now, I'm sure somebody will disagree even in this in this chat. So this is from the feminist account that says at feminist. That's the interesting point. Feminist. We are incredibly disappointed and angered by the world athletics decision, which I don't think you might in case you didn't see. They excluded trans athletes from competing in women's sports. Good. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's like the it's like one of the most comically absurd things I've seen in a long time. Not that there are trans people, not that they are able to compete in, in athletics, but to watch these winning stages where you see Oh, look at the the man who's a woman now. One, 
and he's six feet tall next to the four foot women. Like it's just obscene. It, it is ridiculous. And the re the fact that you have the entire world athletics d- com- group committee, whatever it is, deciding that this is that means that they thought about this, and it's very obvious. No matter what you think, that there's an undo. Un, there's un there's an advantage there. Now, here's an interesting point. Somebody already made this argument about a a woman that is a woman, naturally born woman, who is just, there's just something abnormal. She's just super, she's gigantic, and her jaws this way. And, you know, the point is people are arguing, does she, does she do steroids or whatever else? And it's interesting to see all the arguments. Well, wait a minute. She seems like she's got an unfair advantage. Of course, if that was a trans person, it wouldn't matter all of a sudden. But why is that? It does. The point is, it shouldn't matter about the the... They're try- the point is, it's about the the way that this is being played. If you have a situation where you've got it, it's it's the same idea of having grown man try to play basketball against a, a small kid. At the, every, and that's an extreme example. The point is, we can all look at that and go, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Obviously, that's not fair, right? That's how this looks to anybody with an open mind who is not being blinded by politics. You're looking at a person who got you know middle of the rung in a man's sport, steps into the woman's sport, and immediately wins and is the you know it's, it's it's not and you could look at any direction about this you could talk to people that have been doing these sports fields their entire lives the only direction in my opinion you're getting this pushback about this being insulting or wrong is from people that are politicized and people pushing this movement the sports community seems pretty clear about this as far as i can tell now to the point is it's a feminist account pushing this feminism saying that they're upset that they're not letting men who've become women in the trans concept compete against women. Now, doesn't that seem inherently like anti-feminism, if you really think about it? And the point is, it says trans rights are human rights. And all I said was logic wins out in this circumstance for now. But the feminist account is angry about it. Amazing that this has swung so far around that, that now feminism, at least as this account sees it, is fighting for men to compete against women. I mean, think about how interestingly backward that is. Now, they don't see it that way, but that's what we're talking about. Now, you could argue I'm being offensive and blah, blah, blah. Now, what's funny about that is that I, I like, in, at least in my opinion, I, I feel like I'm a very heartfelt, compassionate person. I care about people. I mean, for crying out loud, I even sometimes quit like, oh, well, you know, I feel bad for Biden because he's senile until I go, oh, but he's a war criminal. I forget. But even then, there's that moment where I'm like, ah, I just feel bad for him because he, he can't even tie his own shoes. And yet the, they will make it out to be some kind of an, a, a, a racist bigoted, angry thing to point this out, right? And it's just, the point is that those people are being used, in my opinion. And the real point, sort of like saying all lives matter, which they do, human rights are human rights. The idea to make it somehow trans rights are human rights. Well, how does that work exactly? You know, the point is that there are human rights that we all have. You don't suddenly carve off a piece and make it only about, then you're the one being bigoted. It's about human rights. Yes, trans people also have human rights because they're humans simple right when you notice those things that's how you realize this is being propagandized now that again is one of these in my opinion a an utter fail in the effort to manipulate all of us into taking some kind of bait didn't work as far as i can tell but it's still going now all of that behind us the point is just quickly to realize how the parties and the propaganda are blinding people to blatantly obvious facts which is the rest of the show. <laughs> I mean it's just bl- mind-blowingly obvious. Now this is where I want to start because it's I this is actually kind of surprising that this happened in this way at this time at least to me. This is a post that recently went out by 
uh, Robert and Lakesh. This is yesterday, actually, March 24th. Joe Biden bombs Syria again and claims self-defense. Funny enough, somebody was really angry about the fact that we framed it as Joe Biden bombs it. Like, oh, you know, Joe Biden's not in control. And I'm, you know, OK, well, let's be fair. First of all, do we know that? I think so. I agree with you. But do we know that? Is there some kind of a document? Have we proven that? You see, people love to fall into their assumptions, even though I might agree with you. That's most likely the case. He clearly is not able to think straight. So I find it hard to believe he's making all these. But who knows? Then on top of that, the point is, well, wait a minute. He is the president, right? At the very least, he's being put forward as the one making the decision. So it, people are so quick that what I'm trying to point out is how your politics make us irrational. The point is obviously Joe Biden bombs Syria again is a, a the way to frame it in this case because we're talking about Joe Biden, the president, the country. I mean, the same way we said Trump bombs places when Trump was president, because ultimately, at least it's being framed as his decision, especially at a time where more and more is happening via executive order and direct action from the executive branch. I just find it interesting that people would be so like if I only said Trump did this, but then said the president or the U.S. when it was Biden's presidency, maybe you could make that point. But it's interesting, right? It just everybody everywhere seems to be taken by politics these days. I mean, even myself sometimes. I think it's just it's it's working its way into our brains. But this is important because the illegal occupation of Syria is well, I trap myself again. The U.S. government is illegally occupying Syria, as it always has been, according to the U.N., according to literally anybody who's not blindly arguing for U.S. policy or U.S. agendas. As Lady Jane points out, strange, the U.S. isn't being castigated by the world for invading Syria and using mass bombing as a retaliation. Funny that. Hopefully you get the point where it seems that nothing they do is a problem except that Russia does anything or any other adversaries. Do. I don't need to make the point. It's obvious. That doesn't mean that we're, that somebody should immediately then be okay with what Russia's doing. It's just pointing out. It's not whataboutism. Yes, you could point out that Russia did something that's bad or dis you disagree with, and you could also still point out that what the U.S. is doing is hypocritical. Those things can exist simultaneously. What's interesting here is that that's this. There's no there's no declaration of war. The co Congress has not has not voted to uh, to re allow this this action. And then on top of all of it, it is ongoing and illegal occupation. So at no point in any way you frame this is anything happening other than the U.S. aggressor. That's it. It's the same point you make with what's going on in Palestine, in 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 actual Palestine, <laughs> not the, the country. The point being that as the U.N. maintains, as the Geneva Conventions have argued, it's very clear it is an occupied territory. Therefore, no matter what happens going forward, they have the right to arm rebellion. That's the end of the conversation. It doesn't matter whether they fire first or what happens. Their right to armed rebellion because they're being illegally occupied trumps all of it. That just gets ignored. We act like, oh, well, since it's been this way for so long, we can't just go back. Well, yes, we can, because that's what the U.S. is trying to do now with all of these locations. Well, we've been there for 20 years, so that may have applied then. No, it always applies. You're still illegally occupying. Leave. End of story. But that doesn't matter. Not to propaganda, not to a rampantly lawless force. As Fox reported, U.S. base in Syria, an, illegally, an illegal U.S. base, was attacked by what they say is an Iran proxy force, which, by the way, even Biden says we don't know for sure. And yet Fox and the rest just happily say, I don't, maybe I missed the, the, the word, right? No, no, I don't see it. It just says Iran proxy force. So if Biden's not even sure about that, why would Fox go, yep, Iran proxy force? Because they want to. That's not journalism. That's propaganda. The reality is it's, it, it could be an Iran force. It could even be a literal Iran force. 
but that's not what it seems to be. And that's not what the evidence shows. And it could, the bottom line is they want that to be the case. This could be the PMU. This could be any number of people that they're, they've ongoing. I mean, it could be any number of groups in Syria. It could be any number of PMU being an overlap in Iraq and Syria groups that they have bombed and attacked and wronged. But in any case, let's go into Robert's article. We'll just give you a quick breakdown of what happened here. The main point is there's no such thing as self-defense when you are illegally occupying a country. Then even on top of that, even if you weren't illegally occupying the country, it's not called self-defense when you deliberate, de- deliberate, make a plan, and then attack, especially if you were not attacked. And this is the interesting part about this, because there's a lot of ways they play this game. It's the same, now, my point in the, with the picture and a lot of different things, I don't believe Biden is really in the know about what's going on. The same way that Trump was manipulated into attacking the same exact way. I just made put this on Twitter the other day or two days ago, I think. It feels like the U.S. government is just doing its, you know, golden oldies, playing all the hits. <laughs> oh, look, a white powder got sent to somebody. Oh, my gosh. Look at all the look at the Iranian proxies. It's like the same old things round and round we go. So the point is that there's no such thing, especially when you're talking about the, the well, I mean, I'm just going to wrap I'm just read this before I go back around it again. The U.S. Biden administration committed its third publicly announced attack on Syria this Friday which all of them are illegal, calling it a response to a drone attack against U.S. forces based in the country's northeast. The Pentagon claims that five U.S. service members were injured and a private contractor killed. Doesn't that's exactly like with Donald Trump's situation, which, by the way, turned out to not be an American. It turned out to be, well, argue a, a, a somebody who had citizenship, but a, not a natural born American, which that's the way all of the media tried to frame it. An American was just killed. Now, you could argue that's not necessarily inaccurate, but they were trying to make you think otherwise, like a person, like somebody in the U.S. military. No, that very well could have been any a U.S. contractor. That could be a member of Al-Qaeda, for all we know. That could be a member of Academy, Blackwater, Israeli forces. It could be anything. And all of those are valid. But it says, by the, the you know, a... You, five U.S. service members were injured and a private contractor was killed by what the, they had determined to be, and this is a direct quote, suspected Iranian-made drone. Now realize that is two steps removed. Suspected, first of all. So that means we don't even know for sure that this was who was responsible. Then, Iranian-made. So what does that mean? Do you realize that they still say Russia, bought, when we're talking about Kaitusha rockets from the Soviet era, or all the, all the many different Soviet era weaponry they've pumped into Ukraine where they didn't pretend Russia used? It's blatant. They do it all the time. So suspected Iranian-made drone, if that's even what they're reporting, I bet, for all we know, that didn't even happen. I mean, that's where we need to be today. I'm not saying that's the case. But with basically no evidence, other, well, none, other than statements from people that lie to you all the time. And that's his point. No evidence has been presented to support any of the claims they've made. They, we know, shut up about it. National security. Later on Friday at roughly 11 a.m., a number of rockets were fired towards the U.S.-controlled Al-Omar oil fields. Remember, the illegally occupied oil fields, where the U.S. government is actively taking the oil from them and burning their wheat fields. You know, that's not going to upset the people who are starving. Of course not. It must be Iran. Inflicting several explosions without any immediately declared casualties, which, you know, how we, who knows? If they wanted to argue an American died, they would say that. If they wanted to hide all the things, like when, like when Iran actually did bomb the area because Trump murdered Soleimani, again, right there, Trump or the government, both. Well, the point was they lied about all of it. Right. 
So you have a hundred concussions, but no one got hurt. Yeah, I clearly. And then all of a sudden we have all these reports of these, oh, two soldiers died from this. Two soldiers died from that. Two soldiers fell in a, a lake over here. All these weird casualties. And we're, what's probably all these people that died from that bombing. They're just filtering out else, elsewhere. But it says the White House National Security Spokesman, John Kirby, told CNN that we're going to work to protect our people and our facilities as best we can in the illegal occupation, of course. It's a dangerous environment. He says, of course, speaking on the current reality of the ongoing illegal occupation of Syrian oil and wheat fields by U.S. forces. Yeah, it's quite a dangerous environment when you're stealing from people that can't that desperately need it. Think about these people framing themselves as the heroes. It should make you sick. The reality here is. A drone that I guess we're taking at face value even exists, suspected Iranian drones, suspected Iranian made drone. Realizing that anybody, I mean, this could be Israeli Mossad carrying this out without even the U.S. acknowledgement, knowing that they'll take the bait because they want to anyway. Well, perfect. We'll blame Iran. It could be any number of things because we're not getting any due diligence of any kind. Then they bomb these areas, which these are areas that are filled with people like the PMU or like support that are, you know, Iran allied, that they're Shiites. Right. And that's what I've always argued. This is more of a religious war, even coming from especially Israel's perspective, but even in the U.S., as they just any Shiite, they just label what they want, despite the fact that you can prove these groups are, in fact, like the PMU, literally part of the Iraqi military, despite the fact that they're working arguably with Iraq and in that country and giving them weapons. And then the weapons go to the PMU and the PMU use the weapons and they fight the PMU. That makes sense, right? (laughs) Like it's so ridiculously convoluted. Now, it says it is possible, of course, that the American account of Iranian allied groups being the intended target of the latest U.S. airstrikes is correct. Possible. Because simply put, Iranian allied groups could mean literally any force in Iraq, literally any force in Syria. They're allies. Now, on top of all of this, realize that the point is they're arguing that they fought back against Iran inside of Syria, despite the fact that, yes, yet again, it's obvious that Iran is allowed to be in Syria. Iran is an ally of Syria. The only person not allowed to be in the situation is the illegally occupied force that is the U.S. government. So every single single thing about this is illegal. I mean, think about somebody standing in the middle of the, like, they kick your door and they're in the middle of your house. And then everything you do to get them out, they blame you for being violent. Right? Then your neighbor comes over and says, hey, get out of the house. You blame them for being an aggressor. That's what's happening here. And every single time, then they murder somebody for trying to get you out of the house. And they say, you're the one that caused all of it. Now, you're the murderer because I stabbed you. That's how this is working out. I mean, it can't be any more obvious. Now, the interesting part about it, it says, yet it could also be so that groups belonging to the likes of the Hash al-Shabaab or the PMU. uh, um, Suddenly blanking on the P all of a sudden. Uh, Anyway, we've mentioned them many times. The group that overlaps across in regard to the. Uh, forces in Syria and Iraq. It's the Shiite line group we were just talking about. That it says that the 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 it also so be so that the groups belonging to the likes of PMU were behind the drone strike and rocket attacks on U.S. forces because, as we said, they are they've they they have been openly and outspokenly try, calling out the U.S. and threatening because of Soleimani because of the actions in both Syria and Iraq. So it's completely expected that they would fire rockets, especially when they the U.S. government just bombed. But it says, yet there is also a chance, and this is what I think is really important to think about, that the U.S. government could be attempting to strategically escalate tensions with Tehran, possibly by blatantly lying, at a time when China, as you just saw, 
has just managed to help negotiate peace between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And then suddenly Iran tensions flare back up. What do you know? Let's not forget about the clip we saw in the beginning, Patrick Clausen, the Washington Institute. Like these are these are valid discussions. They've always told you what they're going to do. Five countries, seven countries, five years. They're open about it. They just expect their sycophants to shout you down. Now, Aaron Mate made an interesting point where he says, Biden, we'll play the clip first, actually. Here's the clip of Biden. Before I speak of the progress of uh, this trip, I was informed by my national security team on the way over here that uh, about an attack in Syria yesterday, an Iranian-backed militant uh, groups used an unmanned aerial vehicle <clears throat> to strike one of our facilities, causing several American casualties. It's great. I was just mindlessly reading this off a page. Like, does it seem like he's in charge? One of our citizens tragically died in that attack. And uh, a U.S. contractor, right, who I promise you is not what it seems like, just like last time. Like I said last time, either that person will never, ever be identified because it's something they don't want you to know about. Like if it's just some some mercenary from Academy or something like that, they're going to be like, or it probably won't show it unless it gets exposed. And then eventually it'll be like, my point is simple, that they're going to push the idea that this is just a a member of the American military when it's not the case. I I mean, that's why it's called a contractor. And of course, a contractor, if in Russia, they're called mercenaries. That's, of course, the, the same thing. They just love to call mercenaries mercenaries when they're in Russia, but call mercenaries contractors when they're in the United States. You know, typical. On the flight up yesterday, I spoke to our national security team and ordered an immediate response. Last night, U.S. military forces carried out a series of airstrikes in Syria, targeting those responsible for attacking our personnel. Yeah, with no congressional approval. Because, you know, democracy. My heart and deepest condolences go out to the family of the American we lost and wish a speedy recovery for those who were wounded. But I'm also grateful for the professionalism of our service members who uh, so ably carried out this response. And uh, to make no mistake, the United States does not, does not emphasize. And, and then, of course, think about the logic, if you can call it that, of a drone that you haven't verified. So first of all, you don't even know for sure that it's Iran attacking, and then you bomb a completely separate area. That makes sense, right? So if it was Iran, the point is you just arbitrarily picked out a group that you argue are Iran back and just bombed them. Like even that on the surface doesn't kind of make sense, does it? Like, are they responsible? So it's just anybody anywhere connected to Iran now an open target? Like, you see how broad that is? That's exactly what Israel continues to do as well. Oh, you can just bomb Syria whenever because Iran might be there. Just say Iran was there and everything goes away. Yeah, apparently so. These people are criminals. Seek conflict with Iran, but be prepared for us to act forcefully, protect our people. My God, that's exactly what that sounds like. KJP right here, where she like she, you can tell that they're not even understanding what they're reading. They're just kind of like fumbling through the syllables and then missing words in between. It's, it's just embarrassing. It happened last night. We're going to continue to keep up our efforts to counter terrorist threats in the region and partnerships with Canada and other members of the coalition uh, to defeat ISIS. Oh, yeah. ISIS, you know, that group that we just stopped talking about for a long time because, you know, they were so kind to just put down their efforts while we were focused on other things. And now suddenly, because Iran and stuff back in the talking point, it's, it's just it's stupid. Now, as Aaron Point says, Biden is putting U.S. troops in harm's way so he can continue the U.S. policy of harming Syrian civilians by stealing their oil and wheat, which I agree with. Under all 
uh, all under the false pretext of fighting ISIS, which the U.S. is barely doing. Now, I agree with almost every single thing he said. And all I added was, I agree, except the U.S. government is not barely fighting ISIS. It's not fighting ISIS. Until we accept the verifiable reality that this is largely a U.S.-Israeli construct, we will continue to miss the bigger picture. Like, I really want people to think about this. And if that shocks you, make sure you take time to read to, to go through this. As I said, to understand this fully, take the time to watch these well-sourced Corbett Report documentaries on its creation. This is not even up for debate. This is the receipts, guys. You can literally look at how this came together. You can watch how the U.S. government from, from the Mujahideen in Afghanistan to Al-Qaeda to ISIS has made this happen. It's blatantly obvious. And now they use them. That's not to say that there's not some factions they've lost control of. I think Saudi Arabia even said that at one point. But ultimately, this is their creation. And I argue because of exactly that's what it's being used for to this day. So we have to think about that and then think about how that plays into everything we're talking about. Now, going over into Russia and Ukraine, I, somebody pointed this out to me and I wanted to share this. Thought, this is just a, adding on to the depleted uranium point I made the other day. Now, this is just a, coming from uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor on a sh- speaking to Judge Napol- Napolitano. But uh, that being said, it doesn't mean that it's absolutely the truth. But remember, we talked about Russia and they said, well, Russia uses depleted uranium rounds. That's why we do. The point is that uh, Colonel McGregor, who does know what he's talking about, said to his knowledge, Russia, in fact, does not have or use depleted uranium rounds, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Yet, as always, they simply go, bad guy does bad guy things. That's why we have to. And then it turns out they don't even do it. So the bad guy is the one pretending they have to use the bad thing. How does that work out for you? Now, I just want to include that because it's interesting to think about that the illusion that we that we just get the narrative like think about how controlled it is coming from places like china or russia like the the media that we don't see it's difficult even to find things on rt or tas at this point like it just to see what they're saying the narrative is not that it's the truth just the other side of the narrative because then you have to think about where it's probably somewhere in the middle but that's interesting to me now going into ukraine specifically on that note it's really really disconcerting to see how clear i mean this is even showing and look i've always said from the beginning that it's it i have no doubt that there are bad things happening on all sides of this because that's how wars work that's why nobody should want war ever because you're the look it doesn't it's not always it's not just putin and biden here or putin and trump pulling the strings right these are individual people on, on tens of thousands of people across a, a broken area with no authority. You know, when you're in the middle of all this, there's no authority. There's no enforcement. People are doing whatever they want. Now, it depends on whether that person is a good person or not, or has honor or integrity in the middle of a war and would choose to not rape and pillage, right? The problem is that that's anywhere you go in the world, you're going to find people that would join militaries just for that purpose, or people that might not appear that way, but they would take advantage when that's going everywhere. You don't need to look far to see that in the history of the U.S. government warfare. But really, as I said, anywhere. I just say that as as an American speaking on history that I've looked through and testimony of U.S. military being ordered to do such. My point, though, is that are Russians Russians doing this on the ground? I have no doubt. Just because that's what happens in war. But all that being said, the only we, we have video after video after video after testimony after testimony of people on the ground telling you what the Ukrainians have been doing. The history of even the corporate media telling you what they were doing in Donbass before suddenly the whole narrative became fake news, even though they just said it after February 24th. 
The point is, we know that they're doing this. They're telling you they're doing this. They're, in fact, openly telling you that they want to ethnically cleanse these people, then go on to take over the rest of the world. That's what they're actually saying on the surface. The corporate media in the U.S. just hides that from you. On the flip side, we have Russian testimony, or rather testimony from Ukrainians, like I'll point out here, which I'm not going to say I know is not true. We do have some examples I've seen of actual things that are be doing, be, being done there. But oh, by and large, it's not bias. It's, I'm just not seeing it. I don't take at face value what the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal say about things being reported from Ukrainians going on in, in Russia or, or in Ukraine. I, I don't know why you would either. I consider it. But meanwhile, this report, as you'll see, and this comes, this comes from the UN, is reporting that's happening on both sides. Now, why I think that's important here is, is because right now you don't, even as this is being reported on the, on, by the UN international scale, all you're getting from the corporate media literally across the board on the West is that Russia is committing war crimes, which, by the way, certainly possible. I would love to see evidence of that, and I would, I would absolutely talk about it on the show. And that's what I talk about when I can see the Ukrainian crimes being pointed out by Patrick Lancaster and Wyatt Reed, everybody else is proving them with video. But what's interesting is they're writing to the UN's going, both of them are doing it and we can prove both. So why then, if that's the case, are we still being told that's not happening? Why then, if that's the case, are we getting reporters from CNN and Fox News who take this report and go, Russia committed war crimes? Russia is being accused. Russia, Putin is going to be arrested. Why is that the only thing we get? Really think about how clear that shows you what this all is. Even if it's happening on both sides, they're only telling you one side of it. That means they don't really care about the abuses, right? March 24th, UN human rights monitors have documented dozens of summary killings of Ukrainian and Russian prisoners of war. Which, I mean, does anybody, is anybody really going to balk at the idea that, that Russian soldiers might kill a, a Ukrainian POW or vice versa? I mean, it happens in war. It shouldn't be accepted. But on top of that, these people are actively showing you, and from the Ukrainian side at the very least, that they have like vitriolic hate for anybody on this side, including the people on in Ukraine that just don't want to be with them. So it's obvious to see that that that, that you know that it's not it's hard to imagine it would work out. But in, re, in the reverse, if these people are what we know that they are, it wouldn't surprise me for Russians to do the same thing. Either way, it says as well as torture, the use of human shields. So the UN is reporting that both sides are doing this, but you're only going to hear reporting of these things coming in, in allegations against Russia. Now it says the report was based on interviews with about 400 POWs, half of them Ukrainians, who were released. And the other half, Russians, held captive in Ukraine. Now, what's interesting, as it says, the team said it had no access to POWs held in Russia or Russian-occupied parts of Ukraine. Now, what's interesting about this is that could mean that there are none, which I don't really believe. Or it could mean that there, that, I mean, it's in, basically how, the only way you can look at this, and this is just by virtue of the way that they did this, you, it's a one-sided story for the most part. Right. So it, and really, if you really think about it in the broadest sense, you're essentially asking Russians about how bad Ukrainians are and asking Ukrainians about how bad Russians are. What do you think they're going to say, especially with propaganda? So both sides should be not taken at face value. Both of them. They're both going to say they did this and they did that. So it's kind of an interesting argument. So my point is not really that we should blindly take all of this, but just simply realize that the U.N. is saying it's happening everywhere and all of them are only pointing at Russia. It's just stupid. Now it says, quote, we are deeply concerned. And this is interesting. This is the first statement coming from the UN. We are deeply concerned about the summary execution 
about the 25 Russian prisoners of war and persons ordered to combat by Ukrainian armed forces, which we have documented. So on the record, the UN has proven that they have murdered 25 POWs. That's a war crime, no matter how you spin it. And there should be prosecution for that. I can guarantee you it won't happen. They're just going to say, well, they're bad Russians. And so, oh, everyone will agree. That's what happens on Twitter when you push this. Well, they shouldn't be there in the first place. Oh, so now suddenly you're okay with war crimes? <laughs> People are ridiculous. But it goes on to say, in relation to the treatment of Ukrainian prisoners of war, we are also deeply concerned by the summary execution of 15 Ukrainian prisoners of war shortly after being captured by Russian armed forces. Which is interesting because what they're saying is that they don't have any evidence of what happens to them in those areas, in Russian-controlled areas or in Russia. Yet somehow they're saying down here that we know that 15 people who were executed in their, captured by their forces, were executed. Now you can read this article for yourself and you'll realize that's because Ukrainians said so. That's always how this goes. It doesn't mean it's fake, but I don't know why anybody would take them at face value at this point. Then it says the report found that while abuse of POWs took place on both sides, the argument still goes, which is interesting to me, and this is not a quote, it was far more common against Ukrainians. More than nine in 10 of interviewees reported abuse. Now, again, that seems like an obvious way to look at this because they seemingly only got people in Ukraine and not from the other side. But it says more than nine of 10 interviews reported abuse, then against Russians, about half of whom testified to abuse. Now, all that being said, again, same point applies. All of this seems to be happening and we're not getting a full picture. In an update on rights abuses affecting other groups, the rights office said children from the city of Kharkiv in northeastern Ukraine were sent to summer camps in Russia with their parents' consent, but were not returned home as expected after a vacation period. That's super disconcerting. I don't care what government we're talking about. Children being moved around in a shadowy way is really concerning to me. But is that really how this is playing out? I really don't know because now getting more information from this, it, the way that it was reported by, I'll show you a clip from the ridiculous Lindsey Graham, where they just clumsily lay this down like they're just stealing children. And that may be the case, but it's hard to know without, you know, with this kind of propagandized discussion. Because even here, as the UN's discussing, it's talking about how they had parents' consent to do so, then they just didn't bring them back in time. Well, that's the far cry from stealing children, isn't it? But then it says several parts of Kharkiv province were <clears throat> occupied by Russia last year before Ukraine's military reclaimed them in a late summer counteroffensive. Now it says about 200 children set up, sent to a camp in the Russian city of uh, uh, Krasnodarovsky remained after the summer and were enrolled in a local school, according to the second report from the UN. Okay, so now we're selling, you're saying that they were enrolled in school? I mean, this doesn't sound like the way they're presenting it. I'm still not, I'm still completely... I don't care what they're doing. If this is in fact children that were taken without parents, that's a big deal. I don't care what they're, I don't care if they're setting up in mansions. That should be concerning. But that doesn't appear to be what's happening. It says the update noted that Russian authorities said in October, according to them, that as many as 2,500 children from Ukraine were in fact living in temporary accommodation centers in Russia and some had remained there. But then it goes on to say, but the rights office cautioned that it remained unclear how many unaccompanied children were in placed in camps, temporary lodging or institutionalized care in Russia, and then how many children were just transferred there with their parents? Okay, well, now it becomes completely undermined by like, they're not even, maybe they're all with their parents. That's from the UN. Not to say we should trust the UN, but that's where the narratives are coming from. And the point is you're getting this argument that they just kidnapped a bunch of children. Day by day, that seems to be less and less re looking like it less and less what happened. 
Doesn't matter, though, if they took them in a way that was without consent or for political reasons or for something more nefarious. That's very concerning to me. I don't think any of these governments are something we should trust with your children. But on top of all of it, though, it, if, if what they're saying, what the U.N. is saying, what Russia seems to be arguing is that they took these children to keep them out of a war zone, keep them away from dangerous neo-Nazi elements and then put them in school gave them home, and most of them, or some of them at the very least, are with their parents. So the story seems a far cry from what they presented it as. Not surprising, is it? Now here, let me go, let me see if I can just do this one first. Now I'll do that one next. Let's see, right here. Oh yeah, because I'll go into the next part from that. But I'll come back to that Lindsey Graham quote. Now here, something you may have seen, we were just talking about this. You had these Orthodox Christian Ukrainian churches that were standing up and saying, because, I mean, you probably saw it. Of course, you didn't hear that from CNN or Fox or any of the corporate media, you know, because they obviously care about religious rights or they don't at all and they lie about it all the time, only care when their enemies do something. They didn't say a word about what was happening to these priests. The Ukraine stood up and basically sent down a mandate that these, these places couldn't exist anymore. Sort of like Israel's now demanding that you're not allowed to speak the name of Jesus or believe, or rather just, you know, preach the word of, the word of Jesus Christ in Israel. You know, because democracy and freedom and all the stuff, they swear that's what they're trying to do. No, they're lying to you. The point is, in Ukraine, they just physically removed and shut down these priests and their churches. I mean, this is what you're supporting when you stand with Ukraine. think about think about laying your hands on a priest because he's a priest in a church that and you I mean think about that man they're inside the church right now guys The point is, according to Zelensky and the neo-Nazi element, you're just not allowed to, to practice Christianity, apparently. We, just, we literally just played the clip of them speaking. And they were, they were all in, you standing there saying, we will not back down. We will stand, you know, we support what they're doing. You know, and it's just that this is, the, I mean, it doesn't matter what justification. Ukrainian religious persecution, the arrest of Orthodox priests continue, including inside holy places. Think about how much this overlaps with Israel and how Ukraine, even by Zelensky's own word, said that Ukraine now is the big Israel. It's what, they're all, this is not as, it's as simple as it looks, guys. These, the, these are criminal people that are doing terrible things and just acting like they're good people doing good things. This is not religious freedom. This is the opposite of that. And that yet the U.S. government and everybody else is going to scream. The, they're doing what they, they're fighting for all the great reset, you know, SGD and all, you know, trans rights and woke politics. They'll say all of that, sure, as they do anything they want with your money. Like there's this, there's this thing going around about one of these individuals that's constantly saying they need more money from the U.S. government and his picture of a new brand new Rolls Royce. Right. It's happening all over the place. Now, here's an interesting, important clip uh, shared by um, uh, Glenn Greenwald which I think is really interesting about Chris Murphy on the record saying exactly what we've always been telling you, that they were ex extensively involved with the regime change in 2014. We, but we should know this by now because they that's 
it's it's an obvious reality. It's only narrative that stops people from realizing how clear this is. Crushed it. And so here we are in Kiev telling them if they do the same, we're going to support a change of government, which we then engineered and picked their president. Now, at the time... Chris Murphy, who again is a young senator, he uh, was uh, 39 when he was elected, just like a year earlier. He went on C-SPAN to talk about his role with John McCain in engineering all kinds of instability in, in Ukraine and trying to work with the Republicans and other Democrats in the administration to change the government of Ukraine. And he made some amazing admissions that are really worth watching in retrospect. Let's watch a couple of those. I will admit to you that I have not been involved as involved in what's happening in Venezuela um, over the last week because I've been focused as the chairman of the Europe subcommittee on Ukraine. But um, time off from trying to change the government in Venezuela. He was a little bit absent from that, he said, because he was so focused instead on changing the government in Ukraine. With respect to Ukraine, we have not sat on the sidelines. We have been um, very much involved. uh, And don't forget that NATO just said on the record, I mean, Stoltenberg, whether he was accidental or not, that, yeah, we've been helping since 2014 with everything. When we, when we said that at the beginning of this, crazy fake news, all the corporate media, like how long until the average person gets hip to how clear and obvious this continues to be? Fake, crazy, fake news, not a true misinformation. And then 10 seconds later, they're saying some form of the same thing over and over and over. Uh, you know, members of the Senate who have been there, members of the State Department who have been on the square, the administration, the Obama administration passed sanctions. Uh, the Senate uh, was prepared to pass its own set of sanctions. And as I said, I really think that the uh, clear position of the United States has in part been what has helped lead to this change in uh, regime. So, um, I-, uh, I mean, did you hear what he said there? We have not been on the sidelines. We have been very active there. And our active role played a key role in the change of regimes, meaning we helped topple the democratic government, the democratically elected government in Ukraine, and replaced it with one chosen by Victoria Nuland. It's just an explicit admission. And you guys know this because you watch this show. And I played the clip 100,000 times about her literally on the phone discussing who will be elected in the democracy. And it's just so stupid that anybody doesn't like. And this is my point about today is why I think that I think most people can see this. It's a combination of them maybe not realizing that they that everybody else also sees it. And the fact that they, people just are playing team sport politics. They just don't want they just really don't want to see it. Now, here's a really important example going back to 21st Century Wire, which, again, is a a platform that I don't point out, you know, shout out enough. And and uh, and um, the point this this is really like the overlap here with the timing of it. So in 2014, the reality is that they obviously. The U.S. government was 100 percent involved entirely engineering the regime change. And we have on the record, maybe I'll just play the very first part of that clip. Because it's important to see the, uh, the just the, the statement he makes. And then I could play the McCain and, and Lindsey Graham again, them speaking to them in 2017, saying, our, your war is our war. It's so clear. On February 20th of 2013, the world was shocked by video footage of snipers firing on protesters in Kiev, Ukraine. 21 people were murdered. 
and it was widely assumed that President Viktor Yanukovych and his supporters were behind the attacks. However, a phone conversation between EU foreign policy chief Kathy Ashton and Estonia's foreign minister Urmas Payet, which was leaked to the public on March 5th, reveals that the snipers were actually from the new coalition government, and that Western diplomats knew this and covered it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that he has some sort of, how to say, trust among all these Maidan people and, and civil society. And second, what was quite disturbing, the same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows uh, that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen and, and people from the streets, that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that, yeah. So that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that has medical doctor. She can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the same type of bullets. And it's Busted. really disturbing it's really that disturbing now the new, new, uh, new coalition, uh, new they coalition, don't want to investigate what exactly happened. So that there is now stronger and stronger understanding, understanding that behind that snipers, behind they were, snipers, it was they not Yanukovych, but it was somebody from the new coalition. For some reason, the U.S. media didn't think that that little detail was worth covering. But wait, I thought the opposition protesters were just peaceful activists who wanted a chance to join the European Union. Well, yeah, that's the official narrative that the U.S. media outlets are peddling. But the real story, the real story is far more, ominous. far more ominous. It turns out that the most powerful... The most... And then, of course, he goes into the actual phone call with Newland, and I forget the other guy's name, discussing who will go into the government. I mean, it's, it's blatantly clear. It couldn't be any more clear. And I love how uh, Kathy's uh, just like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a great. Oh, so you agree that it was a false flag. Fantastic. I mean, it's just it's that's that simple. Now, a 21st Century Wire article points out in 2014. Right. So we we, we it's very clear what happened here. But this just simply shows you how this the, the immediate steps that followed, which which just solidifies that this was exactly what we just discussed, benefiting the U.S. government, just like it happened within Venezuela or any other locations that they directly stole the gold after these kind of actions. And this is, it says, as the dust settles in Kiev, another money trail has been revealed. According to reports out of Kiev, the U.S. has quietly transferred 33 tons of Ukrainian gold out of the country and back to vaults in the U.S. Presumably, this sovereign wealth transfer would be counted as partial collateral for, what do you know, the fresh rounds of IMF, U.S. Fed, the same thing they do every single time, debt slavery that is currently being organized and dumped into the Ukrainian economic black hole. And, and of course, remember, from 2014 to 2020, it was just article after article of rampant corruption and murder and assassinations and, you know, because all that's. What happens when the U.S. government gets involved? Multiple inquiries to U.S. Federal Reserve administrators. And then, of course, the point was after that, report deadly danger. Dead, and then 24th forward, freedom, democracy. They're not Nazis. It's just crazy how quickly they can just turn the story. And their reporting 10 seconds ago showed you the reality. Multiple inquiries to U.S. Federal Reserve administrators into the location of the Ukraine's gold have, of course, been met with proverbial past the buck, making tracking and uh, tracking the final resting place of those 33 tons is very difficult. But one can expect that the New York Fed is probably the institution who has masterminded the financial heist. Now it says, note how gold flows into New York, but has difficulty flowing back out of pri U.S. private banking hands, as is the case at the time with the confiscation of Germany's gold. Numerous attempts have been made to take back their gold, which was, you know, 274 tons, apparently. But it says it's worth pointing out here that when NATO sacked Libya in 2011, 
One of the first items that came into question was, of course, the gold in Libya's state-run central bank. We've talked about this. Prior to NATO's takeover of that country, Libya had one of the highest per capita gold reserves alongside Lebanon, giving Libya a distinct advantage should it, of course, carry out former Libyan leader Gaddafi's long-term financial transition to the gold-backed dinar. As you can imagine, this is no longer the case. And Now, the point, obviously, is that, yes, the moment that became a talking point, weird how suddenly regime change was necessary for freedom. But ultimately, the point here. Is no, and also right before I go past it, don't forget that they had highest per capita gold reserves, but they also had the highest quality of life. They had free education, free health care, and easy to look up. Doesn't mean that everything was perfect there, but think about the way they framed it and what happened to these people when the people that with the highest quality of life in all of Africa now it has at least post this it was selling open slaves, and the very people that was the, the U.S. pretended they were fighting were suddenly in charge. How does that work? Additionally, like Libya and both Syria and Iran are two of the world's last remaining nation states who both have state-run central banks and gold reserves which fall outside the world's private central banking syndicate. Hmm, that can't have any factor in all this, can it? The point is clearly that the U.S. government has been behind all of this and is still doing so to this day. Now, what's happening in Ukraine now is exactly like you all know. This is from the New York Times. Suddenly, now they're caring. It's not like it just started. Volunteers who would not be allowed anywhere near the battlefield in a U.S.-led war are active in Ukraine with ready access to weapons that are being supplied by the U.S. government and all the rest of their allies. Some, because of course the point is they don't care. They'll use the worst of the worst as they always have against any of their enemies. Everywhere. Moderate rebels, neo-Nazis in Ukraine. It's the same wherever you look. But it says some have wasted money on stolen valor. So pretending to be military and still getting armed and getting funding and getting everything else. Others cloak themselves in charity while also trying to profit off the war. Isn't it funny how if we were saying this in like, you know, last year, March, that we would have been called fake news, even by the New York Times. Now suddenly it's a story. Well, now they're allowed to say it, you see, because now they've gotten the nod to go ahead and talk about things in some degree that we've already been telling you for a year. The point is, terrible people have been flocking to this area. Why? Because they're terrible people. Because the military has been overrun by this this white supremacy, neo-Nazi, however they're framing it. Because that's, that's, that's not my opinion. That's what they're telling you. If you listen to them, that's what they're saying. Now, there's also this politicized narrative argument about that and the way it's being used all around the world. Like the vanilla ISIS psyop, but realize that there's pe- there's people do exist all around the world, and this is one of these locations where they have been allowed to flourish because of the U.S. government. Here's an example of that: neo Nazis leave to fight Russian army. This has been reported from all. This, we, I was going to do a focus on this guy in general, and their overlaps with these, you know, Autumn Waffen division, all these groups that tie right back to the Azov movement and the Rise Above movement, which is the U.S. arm of the rise of the Azov movement. All on the record. The point is, as you can see here. They're now funding more money to Ukraine. All of them, right? That's the point is Ireland and all the rest. They're now sending more money to Ukraine, despite the obvious reality we know, despite the fact that only seemingly 30%, if that's even reaching the people they say it is, because that's how this game works. It's a transfer of wealth. We're being robbed. And in case you want to look further, I'll always include this, that this is not a new thing. Documents have proven that the CIA has been building this fascist entity since 1948, even before they called themselves the CIA. The Azov movement is a central part of this, but it's much bigger than that. If you really want to understand how this plays. What's interesting is the development in regard to how the thing that was never going to happen because it's fake news is now suddenly the focal point. NATO 
right? The alignment with NATO with Ukraine, the encroachment of NATO, the involvement of NATO in the war, all fake news when it first started, but now absolute moral imperatives. That's how this always goes, right? Mission creep, if you, it's not even on, it's on the surface. NATO is now racing to arm its Russian borders. Like, ask yourself why that even makes sense. Has Russia in any way even indicated that it's ever going to put their their statements have been clear that all they're trying to do is alleviate, remove this dangerous force. Now, there's been a thousand examples of how they could have pushed further. The lies about how they were in Kiev the moment this started, all of these arguments, because that's how they wanted this to go. Russia clearly didn't take the bait. They're still not pushing and taking over all of Ukraine. This wasn't an insurgency from the beginning, as all of them framed before we got here. This, This was meant to be a certain way. Now, whether Russia is designed to take over the world or more than Ukraine, who could possibly know? But the reality is there's nothing that indicates that other than U.S. narrative. So why, why suddenly now? What's different now than a year ago, six months ago? Narrative, that's it. So now suddenly, now we need a race to do this because we've increased our pressure. <laughs> Makes sense, right? But it says, in the coming months, the alliance will accelerate efforts to stockpile equipment along the alliance's eastern edge and designate tens of thousands of forces that can rush to allies' aid on short notice and move a move meant to stop Russia from expanding war beyond Ukraine. Again, okay, what's the indication here? Is there any, is it somehow you, suddenly now you, you see evidence that that's what's going to happen? Well, no, it's the same thing that's been happening. You guys say he's always wanted to do that, but that's never been anything made clear or stated or any evidence of that beyond it. Okay, so suddenly now we see the same thing that's always been there, and we need to do something about the same thing we've been saying the whole time. Does that seem honest, or does it seem more likely that this is just the justification of their next move? Because he wants to take over the world. Well, who's actually saying that? Oh, Ukraine military. In fact, their their whole Banderite idea is the ideals they have is that they want to reestablish the white race around the world. That's their narrative, guys. That is the Azov movement. That is the group. Was it C eighteen or was, is that the right one? I forget the name of the one group. There's a bunch of these groups there, including the right the um the right sector and Svoboda and all these groups that are openly supporting these mindsets. So you can literally point to them going, "Yeah, we're going to take over the world." That's fake news, though. But then they say Russia's doing it, but you can't prove it anywhere. And which one are you supposed to listen to? The point is they already have, what, 40,000 plus, at least on the record, that are right that are basically on the border of Russia. Now, military leaders this spring will submit updated regional defense plans intended to help redefine how the alliance protects its 1 billion citizens. Okay, what it's really saying is we need more money and funding to this proxy force that we're using against Russia. Nothing's changed. This idea that we now need to protect everyone around the world because Russia's, you know, it's, it's, it's a false narrative. At least on the surface, like other than some, how we could know what Putin is going to do next. I mean, ask yourself that. Why do they somehow have the 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 insight on what his plans will be? I mean, it's just that stupid, and they just keep selling you on what they know Putin wants. How many times have been wrong? Over and over and over. Does he have cancer? Did he wasn't he supposed to die? Was they supposed to run out of ammo last year? <laughs> anyway, going forward, the numbers will be large. With officials floating the idea of up to 300,000 NATO forces needed to make the new model work. Oh, that's why. <laughs> okay, why, why not make it a million? That means lots of coordinating and controlling. The bottom line is they're putting up a three, potentially a 300,000 army, force army, on the border of Russia. But that's going to be Russia's fault when something happens, right? Of course. The first tier, which may consist of about 100,000 soldiers, is prepared to move within 10 days. 
So yeah, right now, this is probably already there based on how this stuff operates. And and is Russia supposed to pretend like nothing's happening? Every, I mean, everything they do is, is logical. And anytime Russia does something in response, even if it's in response to their actions, it's aggression. It's childishly narrative, naive the way this is played. Sal Agaris points out something I think is really interesting to consider. I'm not even sure how exactly to place this, in fact, but it's a, it's a poll that was done. How should Canada respond to the Ukraine invasion? Vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Isn't that interesting? And what do you know? Everybody vaccinated three or to- three more three more times are, are, are super hawkish against Russia, aggressive against Ukraine. But weirdly enough, and it's the exact opposite are people that weren't injected. Now, do not see this as left right. It is not that it is completely nonpartisan. I mean, there's a there's a lean depending on where you are, really. But the whole covid illusion, it's not partisan, guys. People on all sides of this have been very aware of this from the beginning. They wanted you to think it was partisan. But interestingly enough. Down here where it says dispatching military forces, nobody seems in line with this. Only 30% of the of the vaccinated side, 11% of the other side. And yet it still happens though, right? They don't care what you think. They don't need you to tell them. They'll do what they want and then manufacture consent. That's how this works. We need to understand that. Now here's Lindsey Graham clashing with audience members at South Car- in the South Carolina presidential forum over U.S. support for Ukraine. Right. So his supporters, the moment they disagree with Ukraine are bad. You shut up. He basically says that. Right. Because well, you're not allowed to disagree with The point is you want to speak. You run for office. Well, no, that's called free speech, Lindsey Graham. But I know you don't care about that. Well, listen to what he says here. And then we're going to talk about the other impending regime change, which I think we've seen coming. We've already talked about the Mexico regime change. that seems impending. Biden's been the weakest president since Jimmy Carter. Weakness breeds aggression. Let me tell you why it matters to us. This is the Pam, uh, Palmetto family form, right? Now, weakness only breeds aggression when you're an aggressive state like the U.S. government. Now, this is important to think about. The, the, uh, the, this mantra of, you know, might, like, or what is it? Basically, might is right. You know, the idea that if you're strong enough, you can do whatever you want. I mean, that's what, that's what they believe. And the truth is what they're basically saying there is that if we allow weakness or at least or even like perceived weakness that somebody's going to push in and take advantage, you know what that is? That's the old Soviet mindset, right? We know that's how they still try to frame Russia, despite Russia seemingly never playing that role anymore. But Putin continually not taking the bait or not responding to Israel bombing Syria on and on and on, because I argue it's it's strategically smart to some degree. But what's interesting is they're the ones saying, we can't look weak. We can't not do it because they're going to attack us. Well, is that even what's really going to happen? Maybe. But see, being defensively strong is not the same thing as lashing out and demonstrating at, at aggression. That is ultimately what they keep pointing. This is what they are, guys. I just think that's really interesting. What did Putin get accused of yesterday? Territorial dispute? The International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant for the president See, of Russia. His, his own audience doesn't want to hear this. They, they don't buy it. These people don't care, you see. They don't care. They are pushing the narrative because that's their job. And they're going to stand up in a room full of people that support them and act like you're dumb for not agreeing, and that means anybody dumb's not, you know, doesn't matter. These, his constituents are the 1%. 
or corporation that or the lobbyist. That's what his constituent. He does this to make it appear that way that you're the people he listens to. So his own audience doesn't like what he's saying. Same thing with Trump pushing the vaccine there. Boo. doesn't matter. It still keeps happening. Of Russia for kidnapping children in Ukraine and sending them to Russia. Is that what happened? I mean, we literally just read the discussion from the U.N. Well, even the U.N. is going, well, we can't really dip dis, 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 uh, discern whether or not his parents. Some of them got parents consent. That's that's the, according to the U.N. And then it will apparently this evening, apparently all of them got, according to the U.N. statements, got parental consent. But then they didn't come back when they were supposed to. And I don't know what the other argument is there that concerns the hell out of me. But is, if, is it a war zone? Maybe they're arguing they can't bring it back to a war zone. That's something the U.S. government would say. It doesn't mean I believe them. But you see, the, the game is being played. And the point is they issue an arrest warrant, despite the fact that the ICC has d- tried to do this many times to the U.S., and they threaten them. So it's interesting how the U.S. wants to lean into a, an ICC warrant when it's against one of the people they don't like. But the moment the ICC tries to investigate the long-sought you know, war crimes in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, everywhere, they get threatened. Like Bolton literally threatened the families of the people investigating. That's not what aboutism. It's just the obvious reality. Now, yes, we should also care about what's going on with Putin and the ICC, but we need to understand how politicized that very entity is. It just it's just painful how people don't want to how people choose to be dishonest about this because of politics, team sport politics. Do you believe in family values? How would you like that to happen to your family? So, so- I mean, what an emotionally ridiculous point. What an undefined argument that a, a government took a child and, you know, like he's just trying to make it personal to act like that. So you I care about children. Oh, well, that makes me mad. Like he, he's speaking to dumb people that are emotionally worked up about what he just said and likely don't even realize why, but he it, clearly he wants me to be, so I care. That's the kind of people they need. Lowest common denominator. Oh, just shut up. Get out of here. And that's what he thinks about people who think for themselves. Like, listen to what they're saying. They're not going, you know, they're not screaming profanities. They're, they're, they're literally just challenging what he's saying. And now you're, you, you're terrible because you don't think what I think. Here, here's where he argues you don't have free speech. If you want to speak, go run and get elected. Nope. Uh, so here's the deal. Yeah, he's flustered. The Putin, I am really conservative. If you believe in family. See, they're, they're, they're accusing him of not being, you know, now that's a lot of the, the rhino arguments. The point is, that he, this guy's a liar. And so too are all of them, which I hope eventually the, the rhino patriot kind of thing they see, that it's not just some of them, it's all the, it's the government. Either way, I think it's on the right track. Some of, some of them are dishonest, but it's really all of them. But just think about this. This is in his, his territory. His own people. They're losing everything right now. We need to take advantage of this. Stand up for families everywhere, right? Don't you think God made us all in his image? If Putin gets away with this, Tony, there goes Taiwan. <laughs> oh, my God. See, whatever. I mean, I don't even. Does that even need comment? So what his argument is that if Putin gets away with what the argument is, what the the taking over Ukraine, is that what's happening? Is that what's going to happen? Like the, arguably he's taking the areas. Now, if he takes over Ukraine, well, then you could go. The bottom line is he's arguing that's going to somehow incentivize China to take Taiwan. Well, wait a minute. Taiwan is part of China and Taiwan has not declared independence. I support Taiwan's argument, ability to declare independence. That's not what's happened, though. 
The U.S. government does not just get to step in and just declare things the way they want them to be. That's dumb. And that is completely irresponsible. And in fact, anybody that supports that is, is, is a supporting authoritarianism under the guise of freedom and democracy. Think about how stupid that is. But his argument is just, well, we, if we don't do what we want, other people will do what they want. <laughs> yeah, a little too on the nose there, buddy. I don't think these people are so out of touch. I don't even think they realize how people see through them. But here's where it goes. The, the, the point I wanted to get into is this is the same person right now, the same hawk. As it's on the 7th, he is literally going, at least he's saying he's going to introduce a bill to set the stage for the U.S. government to use military force in Mexico. Think about the belligerence of this kind of a statement with an ostensible ally, really, that borders your country. This is what he's saying. Think about how dangerous this is and how this translates to everything they're doing. And if this kind of person thinks they can get away with saying something like this, think about what they're actually doing. Lindsey Graham on Monday said he was prepared to introduce legislation to set the stage, his words, to for U.S. military force in Mexico. It's all based on these ideas of people being kidnapped and so on, which, by the way, is completely involving the U.S. government with everything that happened in Mexico, by the way, in regard to the allowance of certain things, trafficking, drugs it's intelligence apparatus i mean it's very clear how anyway not to get too far off the track the point here is saying it was time to get tough on the neighboring country after four americans were kidnapped by armed men this week now who are the armed men do we know that they're not agents of something that we don't want or from you know like the point is it could be any number of things the assumption that it is what they want you to think it is is always how this game is played now it could be certainly could be says, quote, I would put Mexico on notice. Then also ask yourself, is there any other, you know, is, is it only Mexico where this stuff is happening? Or is it just because it's a politicized discussion because it's on our border and because of the, the border discussion and the border wall and all these ridiculous wedge issues that are not necessarily unimportant get driven between us? So four people get kidnapped and suddenly you're literally threatening military force on an ally? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is as crazy as it sounds. I would put Mexico on notice, he says. And of course, this means Graham sees himself and the U.S. government as some kind of leader in the sense that they're, you know, controlling. Right? They're the leaders of the world. That they're, they're able to put someone on notice and, and cast unilateral sanctions. They clearly think they can do that. They're not legally allowed to do that, but they do. If you continue to give safe haven to drug dealers, then you are an enemy of the United States. Well, is that what's happening? AMLO doesn't say that. In fact, he argues the exact opposite. So now it comes down to the narrative that justifies what you want to happen versus what the president is saying he's doing. I mean, again, this is an ally, guys. This is not. Think about how ridiculous that becomes. Graham added he would introduce legislation to make certain Mexican drug cartels foreign terrorist organizations. He would introduce legislation that would designate Mexican drug cartels, some of them, as terrorist organizations under U.S. law, which would do, as we all know, set the stage for military force. That's how easy that is. One sign of a piece of paper and suddenly we're allowed to invade Mexico? Well, because there's terrorists there. That's post 9-11 garbage by a security state. They could do whatever they want in their minds because they just simply argue that's there. Is that legal? No. In fact, it's wildly illegal, both internationally and domestically. They don't care. It doesn't matter. And he's openly telling you that. We'll just write this down and then there you go. We'll invade because we do that because we're in charge. Quote, I would tell the Mexican government 
if you don't clean up your act, like there's some juvenile, like there's some kid in school, right? Like you're a third grader, you better clean up your act or we're going to clean it up for you. Who is this guy? I mean, he says some of the dumbest things in in, Congre- in in politics, in my opinion, like really belligerent, ridiculous things that I think he just wants to be. Re- I think he just wants attention, to be quite honest. But I mean, this is this is over the top. Military action in Mexico would require an authorization for use of military force, according to the Hill. Well, didn't, what about Syria? Oh, I guess you guys forgot plenty of it. No, they don't need that. You see, they're, that's what we're supposed to say. Legally speaking, they need X, Y, and Z. And then there's a thousand ways they step over those things and don't do them. But then they go on to say, which would need a pass, need to pass a divided Congress and then be signed into law by the president. Or none of that, and they just do what they want. Because, <laughs> you know, rampant lawlessness. Congress would need a two-thirds majority to override a veto. Yeah, that's the, the written on paper way things are supposed to go. But we're in the world of executive order, of just unilateral military action, of just justifying military action based on necessity in the moment, you know, all the things they actively currently do. But it says former Trump's former Trump administration attorney general, William Barr, because just to show you, this is not one side of the narrative called Mexico, a failed narco state in Fox news interview saying its government is corrupt and lacks the ability to deal with the cartels quote. We have to deal with this group like we dealt with ISIS. So in other words, what he means is work with them quietly behind the scenes, pretend we're fighting them, and then take advantage of everywhere we can. You know, the truth is that he's, he's justifying this just like Graham is, saying that we're just going to label them terrorists, that way we can do whatever we want, in their minds, based on their broken, unconstitutional, illegal legislation. Referring to the U.S.-designated terrorist group, you know, ISIS, the group that they, we can prove they've created and worked with for decades. We have to use every tool. We have to use economic We have to use economic, we have to use intelligence assets, military assets, and law enforcement, and we have to methodically dismantle these groups. I mean, think about Mexico arguing that they need to do something about some kind of problem in the United States. I mean, there's, do you realize how many things trickle down that affect Mexico? Most everything, really. So why would it not be the same logic for Mexico to be like, well, we're going to do something about whatever's happening in Texas or anywhere in the country because it's affecting us. And if you don't clean up your act, we're going to do this and that. Well, because they, they because the U.S. government would call it unjustified and un, and how dare you show some decorum? Don't you have any respect for sovereignty? Right? Because they care about those things, don't they? I mean, just think about how belligerent this is. This is the U.S. government. Now, the Associated Press reports Mexico's president Almo Amlo is the the acronym. I forget. Uh, it's the I'm going to forget it off the top of my head. It's AMLO, A-M-L-O is the acronym for his name. That's what people call him in, in the country for the most part. Mexico's president has angrily rejected comments by the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Everyone's chiming in. That's part of Biden's administration. That the Mexican government has lost control over parts of the country. This is a government agenda. Not a left and right thing as much as they want to play that game. Even the Hill tried to say, well, well Biden doesn't, but Trump does. It's the same thing. It's just narrative. Bottom line is there's something that they want. And usually I would argue it's more of a threat based on AMLO not towing the line. We've been calling this out for a long time. Just just like we discussed. Oops. Just like we discussed regarding uh, Bolivia. Right? I mean, we saw it coming and we called that after he stood up and called out the U.S. government and Congress. I mean, it was months before we said, but get ready for the impending regime change in Bolivia. And what do you know? It's because you don't tow the line. If you really, if you rock the boat too much, then they go after you. 
Now, an example of how this is, you know, the, the, the ignorance from the corporate media, the internet, the Western corporate media around anything that happens in regard to their countries and the way that they blatantly misrepresent things that they can use against their ally or enemies. Excuse me, make that confusing. The point is that they lie. They're hypocrites, that they cover what they want. They ignore what they want. And the reality is in France right now, it's absolute chaos in a lot of locations. And the argument they're making is about some kind of change in retirement age. I don't buy that. I mean, I'm sure some people are upset by that. But to me, this is about everything we know it's about. This is about the tyranny, the authoritarianism, the complete COVID mania lockdown, the great reset, sustainable development goals direction, the ESG, all this stuff that are infringing on their lives. They're, they're skyrocketing energy bills and everything that's happening. People are done. And, all, and, and this is what it looks like to try to peacefully protest in a democracy in the West. This is what's happening, guys. And as Hassan Mafi points out, the level of police brutality in France is beyond shame. Why is Western media silent on this? Well, it's the same reason they were silent on the, on the yellow vest or on every other movement that they're too cowardly to cover because it shows that they're on the wrong side of history. Running right out. Look at that. How do you justify that? These people are still in the crowd. Not in the They sprint at them. They beat them with the There's no... This is what they're doing. There is no misunderstanding. Look at that, guys. None of these people are armed. Women and children? realize what would happen if this was in russia if this was in any location they could use i mean it would be they would argue they need to intervene that's how they do it How dare the citizens speak up, speak their minds in protest? Aren't you guys, aren't the Macron and all the rest of the ones that give lip service to democracy and protesting and your rights all the time? Yeah, someone in the chat's asking, Evo Morales was the Bolivian president that was, you know, that basically we, we can prove he was regime changed, right? They, that bunk report from the OAS and then all of a sudden, the, the, uh, I think it was, um, oh, i on the school, I think it was, MIT, I think, which which is a school, but one of these schools did a study that came out and just blew it out of the water that said lies like they the election was legitimate. They lied about it. And, and all that happened was the military junta stayed in power or whatever they transitioned into after that. They never brought him back despite proving the U.S. government lied about it. And then suddenly when the military junta took over, the OAS suddenly got quiet. Oh, so we care about democracy when it's but then suddenly a military junta takes over. So it's military power. And now that that's a that's democracy. Apparently, we're OK with that. No, it's because you wanted power to go in the hands of the people you were trying to manipulate for. I mean, this guy, this is what it looks like in a democracy in the West. Right. God forbid you compare that with, let's say, you know, Libya at its height. Right. Because all they were, oh, dangerous terrorists and and, you know, chaos and despot despotism and well. Not even remotely what they say it was. Now, there's ebbs, good, bad, up and down to every country. But I'll tell you what, this kind of thing right here is, we are rapidly escalating in this direction everywhere in the West right now. So it just shows you either they never cared about these things or they've made a conscious choice to just completely drop the idea of your rights for whatever reason. 
Whoops, this one. Red armbands. I mean, this, what are these people? Red armband. I mean, this feels like right out of Ukraine at this point. I mean, these people are spraying into a crowd of unarmed, defenseless civilians. I mean, my God, where are the international entities here? This is so far out of bounds. It's unbelievable. But it's no yellow vest. I mean, it's the same thing. Are anybody surprised? <laughs> Yeah, just keep spraying it. Why not? Children, women, doesn't matter. Why is that appropriate? Yeah, see, and he has own guys gotta come stop. Making fun of the response. Right here, guys, like right there in that crowd. Why this cop is beating the backs of these people who are just huddled in a crowd. They're literally huddled in a circle, trying not to be beat, and the cops just beating his back over and over and over. What is that going to accomplish? You're just trying to hurt people. Watch this guy on the bottom right. My God. D'accord, mais vous me vous me dites à moi si j'invite un mais une révolution ne s'invite pas. C'est le peuple qui la décide. Arguably the least, the least offensive, but just, just the, look at the way this guy, this person is just standing there. The, these people, these cops are acting with impunity. Like he just runs up and just hits her in the stomach, flips her hat off. Like what, what is going on? Absolutely out of control. And the point is you're not hearing about this anywhere in the corporate media. They don't care. They really don't care. All they care about is doing what they're told, reporting on what they're supposed to report on, and obfuscating what they're supposed to obfuscate. That's the whole point of all of this. Now, let's go on. I think well, actually, I think I had one more one more video. Let me see here. This one, I don't think I downloaded this one. I mean, look at this. It's just, this woman is clearly injured. They're walking slowly. They're not, there's no crowd around. This cop just runs up and just hits her with a shield right into a garbage can. My God, let me hit her in the face. You know, again, if this was anywhere else, anywhere, 
this would be so far. People would be calling for action, like literal intervention. I mean, for crying out loud, Lindsey Graham's calling for military action because they don't have their crime under control. <laughs> really? Good luck. Talk about the U.S. government. We'll talk about the crime going on in this country. There's so many examples, but regardless, it doesn't matter. They're allowed to do that because they're, they're the, you know, better than you. Is That's how he sees it. Sad. Here's another one. Just wrecking people. Now, really, the point here, guys, is that, you know, you could argue it's about some arbitrary change in, in retirement or any number of arguments being made. To me, this is people in the West who are fed up. Likely because of stuff like this, right? Who, you know, people just don't care about what you want, despite them arguably being your, you know, ostensibly being your representation as your elected leader. And really, they're leading for somebody else, leading for something else, doing things at your expense for something outside of your, something you don't care about. This is everywhere you look right now, guys. Now let's talk about Somalia. I This is just really trying to show people how far-reaching this is, and it's constant, and we barely even... There's a few focal points, but this is happening everywhere. Everywhere the U.S. government is involved, people are suffering. Now that may be harsh to some people that, haven't really, that don't really understand. This is the reality. Look, you, you point... You give me one example of a location where military intervention made a place better, and I will give you $100,000. It's not happening. Every single location, Iraq, they are batting... Like, the argument being, if you're, if you're talking about creating failed states, they're batting 1,000. I make this joke many times in the past. The argument being that, okay, if, let's, just, let's just say they are genuinely trying to do good. They're just trying to make freedom, and they just keep failing. Okay, fine then if that's the case, then maybe we should just step in and go, maybe you should give it a rest. I mean, either you're you know, either you're trying to screw things up or you're just really bad at creating freedom. So just give it a rest and stop trying to help everybody. But we, but we know that's not what's happening. Now in Somalia, 43,000 Somalis have starved to death. They did starve to death in 2022. So those are, now we have two massive famines going on. Now, of course, the argument in Somalia is that it has to do with droughts and so on, which is certainly part of it. But there's other things happening. The United Nations estimates that 43,000 Somalis starved to death last year. At least half of those who died are said to have been children less than five years old. The Horn of Africa nation is suffering from a drought as well as U.S. military campaign targeting the insurgent group Al-Shabaab. Now, at the end of the Donald, Trump, Donald Trump's presidency, he ordered the withdrawal of all American troops from Somalia. Now, you could make the argument he simply did that knowing that Biden would put it back in. To you know, This is my point we were just making the other day. With, I think politicians do this everywhere. They'll do something, let's say vote for something they know their constituents don't want them to or their lobbyists didn't pay them to because they know that it won't pass anyway. So they're like, why not just take the clout for doing the, being the one guy that votes the right way? When they, when ultimately, if it was 50-50, they would go with what their lobbyists paid them to do. In this case, did Trump really want to order them out of Somalia or just do that knowing that Biden went to put him back in and make him look bad? Either way, the point was the government wants them there. And after taking prof office, Biden ordered the soldiers right back into Somalia. And then, of course, increased drone strikes in the country. Despite years of American intervention, you know, ostensibly there to make it better, years. The UN says 17 million Somalis remain in need of humanitarian aid. Now, you may argue that they would it'd be worse if they weren't there. It's not what's happening. Additionally, 35,000 people could starve to death in just the first six months of 2023. As always, this country throws away enough food to feed all that, that entire country, but we don't talk about that. Throughout 2022, the U.S. regularly bombs Somalia. 
The Pentagon will occasionally release a statement confirming the airstrike, typically asserting without evidence they just killed a bunch of militants, right? Every time you dive into this, you find the opposite. Rarely is there any media coverage they write to give any confirmation of the assertions that are made from the Department of Defense. But in January, one example, there's plenty of these, one strike was investigated, and of course, seven Somali civilians were found to be killed. But, you know, taking a page from Obama's book, well, if we bomb the area, the people that died there were combatants. So the point is, if we're bombing, they're combatants. So when they die, they're combatants. It doesn't matter if the civilians are not. If they were where we were bombing, they're considered combatants. That's a real thing. The point is, they weren't combatants. They were civilians that got murdered. And whether that was the, ga- the, 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 ga- the aim or not, does it really matter at this point? The uptick in violence in Somalia in 2022 made it the deadliest year for civilians since 2017. The point is, it's just another example. You could argue they're creating this problem for their own justification, stealing from the area, which they are, resources and whatever else, on top of the fact that you could simply argue that they're supposed to be helping, but it's only getting worse. So whatever you, however you look at this, there's a problem here that reaches far beyond what we talk about in the news every day, that it, people are suffering around the world. And then what happens when you know decades go by and these people start to catch on to the fact that's happening, and then there is actual blowback. There is actual, and then they justify more action based on the people they've created. And that's how this works. Now, the interesting part about this is, of course, the argument is climate change. Well, it's the drought. Drought's climate change. That's what, that's what you're getting hearing from everybody in the corporate discussion. Well, what's interesting about that is the Daily Skeptic points out, just to cut to the chase, the point is, well, here's a chart of their annual rainfall. Okay, well, you can see that it was, it's, you know, 2020, it's, you know, it's much lower in the 50s and so on, right? But either way, the point is, well, here is a chart of their atmospheric CO2 levels, which seems to in- continually and steadily incline to the complete contradiction of this graph. So the argument would be if it was an increase in CO2, climate change, they argue, that is going to decrease the, the rainfall, a drought, well, then you would see an in, a decrease in rain along with the increase in CO2. Nope, not happening. So ultimately, there's something else going on. Now, what that is, I mean, in this article, we argue is population increase. I mean, there is a population increase. I don't know. I don't know if I think that's what it is. You guys can think for yourselves. Here are just a couple of scat, you know, a scattered examples of people in Somalia, online, and otherwise, that are making an argument that I just want to set out there that I do know is possible, but I don't, I'm not going to argue we know that's happening here, which is that maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's some geoengineering type actions that are playing a role here. Now, if you don't think that's a reality, then you're not paying attention. It's actively being done. They've admitted to this. Here's one person saying this point is worth reality check and not construed as conspiracy theory. Somalia drought problems affect people's lives. There were grasshopper programs in the 60s. UN locust control was active, same as UN now earmarked 1.6 billion for anticipated drought conditions for Somalia. Now, the point being is that there's outside source entities that manipulate these kind of things. What through, I mean, Israel's an example of, the, of being accused of that. Here's, this is a person speaking in Somali saying basically that China's stealing their their rainfall drought in Somalia explained in conspiracy neighboring countries have stolen their rain. This guy's claiming, and here's just the, the point he's saying that he's talking about China steals the rain. It's a new technology. Now it's look, it's not something that's out. This is not a fake idea. I, who, whether it's happening or not that you, that's something we should be asking. Who knows, but can it happen? Yes, it really can guys. And we need to understand. I'm not talking about them physically taking clouds. Like you're going to see in this next article, but geoengineering, can play a factor here, more so specifically about creating droughts, not taking it from them, right? But who knows? 
ultimately you could geoengineer an area that would create droughts if that's something that benefited where you want to go. You've seen this in the past. Top Iranian military official, the way they frame it, accusing Israel of stealing Iran's clouds, snow. It's not really, that's not what, the way it was presented by Israel is meant to make it sound dumb. He's arguing they're geoengineering and causing them to have droughts. It's what they're talking about. And you could laugh it off, make it fake if you want. The technology exists. So I'm wondering whether that's a rule on top of the bombing, on top of the stealing of resources, you know, just to, just like we talked about the other day, where ultimately on the record, they want to make sure countries, Russia included, do not grow large enough to where they will then need their resources when in fact they see it as resources the country needs. The Kissinger Report, plenty of other things have made this clear that that's how this works. Now, on the edge of on the point of Israel, since we're mentioning Israel being accused of this, just a couple of quick points. Here's the most fascist government in existence in Israel that's openly discussed by both the ADL and other groups calling them out for what they are. At one point, the Zionist Party, Zionist, uh, uh, what's the name? The Zionist, what's the term? The Zionist movement? The Zionist, I forget what the group's called. In any case, the Zionist Party, which is the, the Zionist something, I'm just blanking on the top of my head. The point being is that they are, they're openly fascist and openly racist like it's not it's their own entities even the u.s government stood up and said something about it so they are openly saying these things today including palestinians don't we're going back that direction now palestinians don't exist so apparently we went from we now we knew that was a ridiculous lie it was all you know racist propaganda to now going right back to the fact that apparently they don't exist despite Goldemeyer being on the record saying you know of course they exist and i was once a palestinian well what's funny is that they don't care about facts it's all narrative, and it's meant to dehumanize the people you're trying to murder. That's how this works. I mean, where, when were Palestinians born? What was, all, what was all this area before the First World War? When Britain got the mandate over Palestine, what was Palestine then? Palestine was then the area between the Mediterranean and the Iraqi border. You say there's no such thing as East a and West Bank. No, East and West Bank was Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. Golda Meir, one of the first prime ministers, one of the founders of Israel, you know, and they still lie to about they lie about it today. Why? Because they don't they they think Palestinians are they shouldn't exist. They've openly continued to say this. I've I've played it a thousand examples of things that they've said. I mean, hey, we're, we're talking about not rushing today, right? Let's find the clip that I think is important to play right there, because for people that haven't seen this, we need to understand their views. And, and many of the things that are being read are from people that are that are right now in in this government. If I could find it, I guess maybe I don't have it. Oh, here it is. This is the defense minister, Moshe Yalom, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the defense minister. Uh, This is the uh, uh, military chief of staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the minister for education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. He also said, if you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life, and there's no problem with that. 
this is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the, mother, the mothers of the martyrs. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they, are, which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. That's the Israeli Minister for Justice in the last few months. The Israeli Minister for, uh, Deputy Minister for Defence. Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, CP Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one state only, the State of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. Now, these are the official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel. In one case, actually advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists? That it is absolutely unacceptable in civilised politics, in civilised international relations, for the heads of government of a state that we carry on normal relations with and who you met in Paris to advocate those sort of views when we know they have also led on to the deaths of thousands of Palestinians, uh, innocent men, women and children. What have you to say, Taoiseach, about those sort of views being expressed by the Israeli government? Crazy. Very obvious. And it's absolutely fascism, 100%. Now, the reality here is that, that people are seeing through it, right? I mean, people like in, in every way around the world, and now they're going aggressively back the other direction, right? Sprinting in the direction of authoritarianism now, racist, bigoted authoritarianism. Now, this specifically has to do with more the legislative side of it, but either way, even Israelis. Like, this is actually pretty crazy. But Benjamin Netanyahu was going to, was going to the UK. And... Apparently, no pilots would fly him there. Like, we're talking, like, you know, high-level stuff, not just some little, you know, we're like high-level airports for, high le for leaders of countries. Like, you know, I don't know what they have in Israel, but like Air Force One kind of a thing, right? And pilots refused to fly him there, so he had to cancel the entire trip. So that can't just be one pilot, right? That's got to be a bigger deal. Or that's a story because of something else. That's possible, too. But I, I tend to think it's because people, and th their argument is it has to do with how they're trying to overhaul the legislative branch and basically make corruption. You know, it's, it's everything we know is happening over there. It's controversial plans for legal reform. It's not, that's a nice way to say it. And even as Israelis, are, are, they're, this is corruption. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu has got like four indictments, and this is just a way to make sure he doesn't get in trouble. The point is, things are shifting and people are paying attention. It makes me happy to see that. Now, on the arm, the side of the, the Russia-Belarus conversation, and I think is important to cover, a lot of this got covered this way, where Zero Edge and everyone else, you know, Russia ready to deploy tactical nuclear arms in Belarus. Now, that's accurate, but what's interesting is the, the story makes it much more benign, really, when you break down what has happened. Now, of course, the corporate media and everybody else made this out to be like a massive, immediate, escalatory move. And the truth is, it's been something that's been ongoing for years. It has been openly discussed, and it's not a secret. 
And in fact, as, as Putin points out, it's something the U.S. government's doing right now all over the place. So it's just it doesn't make it something we should disregard. But you need to see it in context. Again, this is what they go. So what about ism? Well, I, that term is meaningless to me. That matters if what you're doing is trying to ignore the first point and only point the second point. What when you are standing back and acknowledging the other point and looking at it in the full context, that's nothing but just being open. You know, what's a better word for it? Just you know, taking into consideration all the facts. So here's how here's how this played out. I think this is interesting. Uh, well, this is just same point. Update: Russia's moved ten aircrafts. It's in the same discussion. The saying that'll happen and moving ten aircrafts to Belarus that are capable of carrying them. Uh, Wesley points out, just so people know, this is from the agreement they did last year that was discussed even before that. It isn't a new thing out of the blue, just only now it's come about as it seems it's overexpected. That all the corporate media are framing this as some big push, some hyper escalatory move. Here's just a quick example, just a quick search, and you can see this goes, you know, here's all the way back to November 30, 2021. Belarus president offers to host nuclear, Russian nuclear weapons, which is this same conversation. I'll show you that. But it's been going on for a long time. Not that, but it's not like something we should, you know, nuclear, tactical nukes or nu- nukes, let alone, or tactical nukes, nothing to sneeze at, right? It's not a small thing. As much as they really want to downplay what tactical nukes are, and that, that comes from Trump's administration was all, all, just sprinting in the direction of normalizing this. And I would go as far as to argue that the only reason that anybody else is actually leaning into this is because the U.S. government normalized the use of tactical nukes, which I've always pointed out, as Putin said himself, that when these things are used from the other side's perspective, you can't differentiate between a tactical nuke or a nuclear weapon. So his argument was when that comes to pass, well, we're going to have to respond as if it's a nuke. So really, it comes down to the fact that it's Seemingly just a bunch of hype because no one's going to use them if they think the other side is going to use a nuke or in that case, they just fire a nuke then because why not if they're going to respond with a nuke? Now, I don't know if that's in fact the way it is. That's just what we heard from the two sides talking about it. And that's how we have to look at things like this. But what's interesting here, Putin says Moscow to station nuclear weapons in Belarus first time since 1990s. Now, this is on the 25th. It's today, right? This is a new conversation. But again, it has been ongoing for years. It says Putin made the announcement at a time of growing tensions with the West over the Ukraine war. And as some Russian commentators speculate about possible nuclear strikes. Now, that is where the hype is coming from. Nowhere can I can see. Is there any actual conversation? You get the corporate media and all the Russian hawks out there that are screaming that Russia is about to use nukes. And we have my sources say Putin's talking about nuclear. None of that seems valid. At least we can't prove it. So all it becomes is hype of nuke discussions when really logically speaking putin especially the recent you know russia post like what we've seen with their the way they conducted themselves during syria and still for that matter when when israel continues to attack or or the u.s does right realize that if the u.s just bombed in syria if that was the other way around russia if russia is allied with syria and is has literal forces on the ground in syria so the end of the day if it was reversed, the U.S. would declare war. That's a, that's an act of war. But what did Putin? Nothing, apparently. I mean, I haven't seen a response from them in regard to Syria. Maybe I missed it. But the point is that ultimately the escalation is for, is, I mean, you could frame this in every conversation right now. It's pretty clear that this is coming from one side. The escalation, the push, the idea of the tactical nukes in general. 
But he says it says he made this and speculate about possible nuclear strikes. And that's, again, was the point about the propaganda push to justify all of this. But it says tactical nuclear weapons refer to those used for specific gains in the battlefield rather than those with the capacity to wipe out cities. Well, it's that that's not even that's a terrible characterization. And it says it is unclear how many such weapons Russia has given it is an area with still shrouded with tra- traditions of Cold War secrecy. <laughs> God, they just can't. They, I guess that you could say that, or you could just say that they keep their secrets like any other country does. But it says experts told Reuters, I mean, by the way, overlap that with Israel. That lies and still pretends they don't even have a nuclear program. It's the only country in the world that's given what's called nuclear ambiguity, and everyone seems to pretend that's okay. But it goes on to say experts told Reuters that the developments was significant. Since Russia had until now been proud that unlike the United States, it did not deploy nuclear weapons outside its borders. So, again, these are these ridiculous experts on all things Russia that have probably never been to Russia that are going to say that that means everything because the narrative says we're supposed to say that. I mean, I'm being facetious, but the point is, okay, the experts tell you why this is significant. Russia has until now been proud that they don't do that. That only suggests that, well, then they haven't been doing what the U.S. has been doing the entire time which shows restraint. And on top of that shows you that the U S is clearly the one doing the thing that everyone, like it just, it's the way they're framing it is now acting like the one bad move is Russia doing it too. <laughs> it's just, am I crazy? It's the way they frame this stuff is ridiculous. This is part of Putin's game to try to intimidate NATO. Really? Because there's no military utility from doing this in Belarus as Russia has so many of these weapons and forces inside Russia. Okay. Well, that would make sense other than the reality that what actually seems to have happened is that Belarus has been the one petitioning Putin for this reality, which I'll show you, that goes back to October at the very least. So it's not about Russia, the way they want to constantly make everything Russia-centric, but at least the narrative goes that it's about Belarus and their own protection. But ultimately, that it's about Putin's game to intimidate NATO, so Putin's the one surrounding all the NATO countries with their own military bases? Or no, that's the other way around. And Putin's the one bringing 300,000 troops to the border of Russia? No, no, that's that's NATO. Okay, so who's intimidating who? Whom? Who's intimidating, who's intimidating whom? The point is that all, it, it, to frame this as intimidation or escalatory moves when you're the one being surrounded and pressed and poked and driven into action, everybody can see that. And then when you point out that reality, which is not in any way supportive of Russia or saying they're not capable of the same things, people that don't want to hear that will pretend that you're shilling for Russia. It's just, it's impossible. Team sport politics. Putin told state television that Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko had long raised the issue of stationing tactical nuke weapons in his country. Quote, there is nothing unusual here. Firstly, the United States has been doing this for decades, which is very easy to prove. They have been, they've long deployed their tactical nuclear weapons on the territory of their allied countries. Quote, we agreed that we will do the same without violating our obligations, I emphasize, without violating our international obligations on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, which I argue that's a false statement from both of them. They both play this game. No, if you're, I don't care if it's tactical or otherwise. The whole thing about non-proliferation was not making more, but in fact, slowly diminishing them. <laughs> they pretend like that treaty is still in effect. They're not. They're, they're clearly making more weapons. We're just being played from all sides. Quote, we are not handing over the weapons and the U.S. does not hand them over to their allies. It's basically doing the same thing they've been doing for a decade, Putin said. Russia has stationed 10 aircraft in Belarus capable of carrying tactical nuclear weapons. Now, look, no matter what the reality is, that's a concerning at development. Because even if it's all hype 
all it really takes is one bad actor, one dangerous move from somebody who wants to see this burn to have these things suddenly become very real. So this concerns me. But ultimately, the point here is just that this seems like a, a narrative being hyped when something that's already been going on. It's, it's the equivalent, in my opinion, other than it being tactical nukes, which just concerns me anyway. It's ultimately the same as having Iranian ships move and them calling it an act of war or having people move ships on the side of the and then having pointing at that as some kind of an aggressive action. All of them move this stuff all the time. So when they just decide to point at it, well, that's just politics. Same kind of thing here when the U.S. seems to be moving this like a shell game all over the world, however they see fit, moving their ships up and down and left and right and through the straits and anywhere they want, and the other way around, oh my God, that's out of bounds. Well, here, October 11th, 2022, on October 10th, Belarusian president, said Alexander Lukashenko said that the NATO leadership, as well as a number of European countries, were considering options for possible aggression against Belarus, including a nuclear strike. Now, that's coming from him. I haven't been able to confirm that, but that's what he's saying. The argument being that that means he wants to... So, do they not... They're going to pretend that they don't know this? The the media can't look this stuff up? Like, the point is, you could argue that that might not be the truth, but if these were real journalists and you were actually covering the story, you wouldn't leave that part out. Now, they did say that he's been asking to, to, you know, where was it? Basically, you know, saying that he wanted this. But the argument needs to be clear. Belarus is not saying they want these nukes because it supports Russia. The Belarusian president is saying, I, I, I want these. Give them to me because I am being threatened. That's a huge part of the story, don't you think? But, of course, they just leave it out because... They're propagandists. Belarus ready to host nuclear weapons in case of Western threat. Same point. This is just the most recent. This is from uh, February. So the point was going back to February, October, it was about them, you know, at least the narrative was defending themselves against a the threat. They just left that part out. Now, here's Breitbart and this segment Russian defeat inevitable, climate change, biggest problem facing the world. This is Soros. Billionaire plutocrat George Soros has declared that Russia's defeat in Ukraine is inevitable. The world change, the world must prepare to move on to its biggest problem, climate change. Really, taking the pages of uh, taking to the pages of the Irish Examiner, the convicted insider insider trader inside trader penned an article titled "Russian defeat is inevitable and will allow world to focus on our real problem, climate change." Soros emphasized big changes in the global climate system. That's concerning. That to understand the global the global climate system is not climate change. That's their actions. Yeah, you're right. Big changes are coming, and that's what's actually happening. Claiming that because of increased human interference, the separation between Arctic climate system and the global climate system is no longer prevailed. I mean, I don't even understand what he's talking about. I mean, really, it seems like he's arguing that there's like to me, it sounds like what he's saying is that people are all going along with the agenda, which is the real point, as far as I'm concerned. But overall, I mean, I'm just going to the point was simply that George Soros is standing up and saying, you know, we need to defeat Russia, which is so really making it a world focused idea when really what you're talking about is a, is, you know, a local concept and then saying that the climate change is where we'll go next. I mean, do, is anybody else you need to hear anymore? I mean, these people are off, off their, what, what's the analogy off their rocker? They've lost it. And look no further than, again, just let's just say in the beginning, the most obvious 
complete deceptive, the breakdown of reality right in front of us in the COVID illusion, rather the vaccine illusion. To then don't no, no further than this topic than to realize how clearly lost and broken this whole thing is. And these people now realize that the foreign policy angle to all of this is all completely overlapped with all of this because it's happening around the world. All of this, the, the biosecurity state, the push for the injections, like this has suddenly become a worldwide thing. And that's because we're stepping into the, you know, goose stepping into the great reset panopticon, the technocratic world. But I'll, let's go through the COVID-19 breakdown, like the literal deconstruction, like it's falling apart in front of us of their lies. And I want to start with this clip from Dr. Fauci's, I guess, door-to-door adventure, which really does prove how one, I think they think they still have control of the narrative to some degree, but also that people just aren't buying it. After Fauci goes to people's doors, which is literally crazy to push injections, which shows you, by the way, that that's how desperate they are at this point. You really think Fauci's the one that wanted to go door to door? Clearly not. The guy literally says, and I'll play, I'm going to go through the whole thing for you. When you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. Good for him. He's, I'm glad he said this. And of course, the, the, I think it's the, the mayor of the area clearly gets combative, like just angry with these people the moment they just give a different experience. And it, show, it speaks volumes. So I, w- I wanted to go through this whole thing because the last part of it is pretty damning. But I truly think the whole thing is much different than I think they perceived it. June 2021. So this is Anacostia, historic African-American neighborhood. In New York, they have neighborhoods. Here they have wards. So this is Ward 8. Uh, It's the typical social determinants of health, where they don't get good medical care, they have a high degree of HIV, high degree of COVID-19, the lowest level of vaccination. They're sort of the disenfranchised group. I'm willing to bet you anything if they had lower vaccination, then there's a, the, the problem doesn't that, that like the correlation between vaccination rate and the problem is unparalleled. I mean, I'm ne- it's exact as far as I can tell. Every location that's got high vaccination rate at this point is clearly pulling ahead in the continuation of the undefined collapsing and heart problems. We can't we're baffled by the cancers and all the same stuff. And then just all that stuff aside, by the way, the actual problems, whatever they're still talking about regarding COVID, that's also still predominantly in the vaccinated. I get, do you wonder why they've just stopped talking about it? That's why, because they can't deny it anymore. They just, now they're just trying to reel to come up with a new narrative about why. And I'm going to probably get into that in another show about all these painful narratives they are now spinning that somehow that if you hadn't gotten vaccinated, but you got sick first before you got vaccinated, that you therefore ruined how this was supposed to work. Of course, I guess they didn't think that one through when they realized that everyone in the country was arguably by their narrative getting sick before in 2020. That would mean that then most of the country wouldn't have ever been able to get these, these people are lost. I'll get to that in another show. The bottom line is everything's falling apart. And my point was, I bet you this community, if he's correct, that they have continually low vaccination rates, how much you want to bet they're faring better. That we got to reach out to. So the mayor is now with me going to congratulate the people who are going to go out into the community to try and get people vaccinated. How are you? Hi, Madam May. Nice to see you. A real pleasure. Thank you for 
Great to be. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good to be here with you. It's going to be fun. Today. Yeah, yes, it is. And already, I think they tell me they have more people um, that have been this morning than they usually have at this site all day. Really? Yes. Fantastic. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing? I'm good. All right, let's take a view. Oh, my God. Dr. Fauci. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for getting vaccinated. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to give us. First of all, just really look at the turnout. I mean, realize this is 2021, right? Probably the height of when Fauci was at his most popular, right? Clearly, this is not a big turnout. Like, maybe this is why this took so long to come out. Or at least maybe, I mean, I hadn't seen this until it was started circulating on social media. So maybe, who knows? But the bottom line is, this is not a big turnout. And this is really, I mean, even just the engagement with the people seems mixed. But ultimately, you got people that are there that are just, I mean, I would argue half of these people are excited to see him just because he's like a famous person. But then even then, they're like, no, 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 I don't want the shot. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. Special thank you to our fellow Washingtonian, uh, Dr. Tony Fauci. Let's hear it for Dr. Fauci. Watch this. You're going to love thank this. Thank you story. very much. By the way, I, yeah, I just... He really does look very short. I'm not trying to be insulting, but the guy is very short. That's just funny to me. Even right there, that just looks, he looks tiny. Am I wrong? I don't know why. I never did realize he was actually that short. Much, Madam Mayor. It's really a great pleasure to be here in this ward. I've been a resident of the district for 50 years. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I love this city. So that's one of the reasons why I'm here. And realize that most of them don't have masks on. 2021. That's not how it's supposed to go, right? That means that they're not, I mean, these are people in support and they're still not wearing masks. I'm good. They shouldn't be because they don't work. But ultimately it shows you, you know, a mixed bag here. And this, this is their selling point. I'd like to believe people listen to me, but some don't. <laughs> what? I'd like to believe people listen to me, but some don't. Like think of the hubris in that statement. Like even an expert, you don't, I mean, this is what we're trying to show people today, guys, the people like the Pierce Morgans and the, and the Ben Shapiro's and all the rest of them. The reason they were played unless they just went along with it anyway, is because they were taught to blindly listen to and follow their betters in quotes. When that's not the case, you should listen, consider well, they've, they've, been, they've been educated in this field and they, they, you know, they do this every day. So then maybe give them a little more consideration, but never, ever, ever blindly trust somebody in authority. Ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I just cannot stress that enough. And see, to some people, that's going to be insulting or how dare, what, what you know, that's going to collapse society. <laughs> no, it'll create a better one and we need to get there. But think about what he said there. People listen to me, but... <laughs> Some don't, <laughs> but when you have people who are part of the community, you know, the community core, the trusted messengers, those are the ones they listen to. So that's the reason why we need you to get out there and tell your colleagues, tell your friends, tell your loved ones why it's so important to get vaccinated. So, so you're just basically weaponizing people to go out and convince their own people in the community after two years of pushing or a year and a half of just constant, relentless pushing. It's on every TV. It's on every social media platform. It's everywhere all the time. Nobody is confused about the fact that those in shots are available and ready to go. Nobody. 
So this is more pushing. That's all it really is. They come down, they force and push and pressure and threaten and coerce and then go, but it's your choice though. Once again, thank you so much for all you do. We look forward to working with you. Thank you. We're talking about the Fauci. Yeah, hi. I know. Y'all coming up. Dr. Fauci really wants you to get vaccinated yeah. today. If you're not I've vaccinated. Been vaccinated. All right, all right. I've been You've been fouch. You got your Fauci ouchie? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm vaccinated. Well, good for you. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Same here. I've been vaccinated since April the 23rd. And All right. I did it because I felt I needed to be a solution and I part of that. There you go. Right. So that's my point. Like, so they think that's good. Like, isn't that disgusting? Like, they're selling you on the idea that you should blindly do what you're told because it's better for everybody else. Why does anybody think that makes sense? Doesn't doesn't anybody have a memory of history of any history anywhere you look? That is never that is always a fast track to problems everywhere. It doesn't mean it's always going to lead you wrong. Maybe at some point you have a good leader that cares about you, but eventually that will lead you down the path of consolidated control of exactly every negative thing we've seen happen throughout history that you just go you, again, goose step right into the problem. That's my point. I think they thought this looked different than it did, in my opinion. Or maybe I see it differently. Either way, they're selling you on mindless following. And then, of course, the reality is we now know for sure that they're wrong. Now, we now know for sure that he knew he was wrong. So actually think about the context of that. At this moment, that man right there knows he's lying. That man right there knows he is selling them something that will most likely hurt them, that will most likely affect their lives forever, that will most likely affect their children. He knows that. And we're going to make that even more clear as we go forward. And I'm not talking about opinion here. I'm talking about verifiable fact that he knew these things were dangerous and kept that from your view. And he's still doing that. Great. Do you think it hurts or, or what it is it? No, it does other things. This, this is go. April right 23rd. And All right. I Listen to what she says in regard to what this does to her. They're talking about the shot. And I think that's why they clipped it really funny. The woman in purple. Did it because I felt I needed to be a solution and I part of it. There you go. Great. Do you think it hurts or, or what it is? Just, it, no, it does other things to to me. I just yeah. pass out. How- right. So they basically clipped the part where she said no, which was the whole point. <laughs> I wonder why they did that. And oh, why does it make you? Does 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 it make what he say? Does it make you what? Solution and I part. No, it does. Great. Do you think it hurts? Do you think it hurts? Because she said no, right? And she said no. It makes me well. So she got one, it made her sick, she passed out, and doesn't want one again. That's what happened here. I wonder why they clipped that all funny, right? The point is that it does. People, get, people are getting sick. There are examples all over the place that people that sit down for their 15-minute forever wait and never stand back up. Or, or what it is... Just, it, no, it does other things to, to me. I just yeah. pass out. How old are you? I'm older than you, so don't feel badly. Don't feel badly. I'm 80. Me too. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm 82. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the reasons why you might want to reconsider. Right. So the person at most danger, right? The woman who, you know, or the children and the elderly, in my opinion, like just so we're clear again, don't forget. My stance, as well as anybody that I that I think is honestly looking at the data, that there is literally nobody that benefits from this. This is a dangerous thing that's hurting everybody. That's not just my opinion. That is backed up by peer-reviewed science. They just 
disregard someone they don't like. So the push on the people like the elderly and the children are the most dangerous. The children in the sense where they have the least risk from anything we're talking about. So it's just pure negative. On the other side of it, you've got the most elder, the most feeble elderly. And both of them, by the way, there's no real testing to find out whether that mat, whether, and that's probably why, whether it will hurt them. The frail with comorbidities, they've never studied. Children were barely involved in these studies. Pregnant women, same thing. They just push on all of them. They don't care. I hope we can all see that by now. Really cold. Yeah, I know. They do need a... That's one of the reasons why you might want to reconsider. Yeah, I know. They need a little. They're not really opposed, but they need a push. Okay, so you're coercing them then. That's what that means. I don't care whether you think this is what's right for them. People have the right to make their own opinion. If you ask them and you, you know, give them a sheet of paper with all the so-called facts on it and they still say no, then you pushing them is not appropriate. But they don't care. Push. A push and a drag. Yeah. A push and a drag, she says. Ha, 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 ha. So funny. Why? Because you think you're doing the right thing? It just doesn't, so you know cre- how that creep goes? You know, one step, one step, one. So mo- now suddenly you're dragging them in to get it because, well, it's the right thing. Who cares about informed consent? Who cares about their rights? Who cares about all the many things at this moment you're not informing them of? Antibody-dependent enhancement, all myocarditis risk, all the things they knowingly kept out of your view. My neighbor. I don't come in. I got no problem. Oh, okay. This is Dr. Fauci. Oh, Fauci. Oh, Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dr. Fauci, if I have, I have some clothes on, I come out and give you a kiss. I can't do it now. I ain't got the clothes on. All right. <laughs> okay. No, I give it back to you. you know. All right. And we're going to come back and talk to our son. <laughs> what are we going to do about those other states? Oh, my God. They're going to keep the... Before I let this part play out, which is just ridiculous, probably the entire reason for this clip, ask yourself why they keep engaging with people. Like, so the last two you saw, there's no, like, question. Oh, no, Chloe, okay, okay, bye, kiss and stuff. That means she said no, understand. Weird how they just don't include that, though, right? <laughs> but they do show the big one at the end, which is they could probably, I wonder even why they put that in there. I really do. I think it's because they think that guy made him look crazy. The truth is, he exposed them all. We're all pointing it out. Uh, Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, everyone's going, this really called out Fauci and exposed the whole thing. It did. But listen to what they say right here. Like, this is unreal. The states. Oh, my God. (laughs) What are we going to do about those other states? Those other states. Oh, my God. They're going to keep the outbreak smoldering in the country. Oh, was that what happened? No, not even remotely. Not even remotely. Now, there was that one study they tried to put out that made, they argued, well, it represents more red states had more problems. You know, it, it, the point was it was a slanted, manipulated, ridiculous study. But there's, there's some, look, some correlation here. The bottom line is you can look easily right now. Easily. Red, blue, black, yellow, whatever. It doesn't matter. High injection rate, high problem. Excess mortality across the board places like Sweden or any even just look at the rates in these countries or excuse me in these states within the country it's the same thing now most of these states and the most of the states in the United States left or right had you know pushed this very hard but you can still see the difference based on how high the vaccination rate was but you go overseas any of these countries that have basically no vaccination rate are completely that's why they don't talk about them but then and alternatively you could point to these little small island nations that had zero problem until they started injecting and through the roof. And of course, they blame the unvaccinated. Because well, that makes sense, right? Just, it's unbelievable how clear this is. 
outbreaks smoldering in the country. It's so crazy. I mean, they're not doing it because they say they don't want to do it. They're Republicans. They don't like to be told what to do. Oh, is that why? And, oh, we're told what to do. Like they're a bunch of children. Like think about the 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 disdain this leader supposedly has for half the country. Think about how cr- gross that is. And that's like the quote we played in the beginning, read for in the beginning. The party system is designed to do this so you can demonize them. You can dehumanize them. You can make them into what you want so you can do whatever you want to them. That's how this works. But ultimately, the reality is quite the opposite, isn't it? The truth is that the vaccination is the predominant problem and that we can prove that the people that are injected are spreading it more than anybody. They're catching it more than anybody. They're in the hospital more than anybody. They're dying more than anybody. Yeah, that's why they're not talking about it anymore. We've been proving this for a year and a half. Based on their own documentation, they then stopped showing you because they realized how clear it was. I mean, this is just so bad. We got to break that, you know, unpack that. How you guys doing with vaccine? Oh, I'm not having any yet. I'm waiting for them to be able to. Oh, you should get it first. Okay, that way you won't give it to them. Oh, I thought I thought I would give it to them if I get it. No, no, not at all. In fact, we got to get you vaccinated. So. Right. So I'm not sure if she if they're conflating the conversation like she meant get COVID, I'll give it to them. Or I mean, but the only way to make that sense of the way she said it would be argue that she thought if she got the vaccine that she would give it to them, which is really interesting. You know, you could call that misinformation and it's not entirely a false statement because I don't think we can, you know, well, I mean, I take that back. Like I would prove I have proven that the spike protein sheds. And that you can catch it and that it can make you sick. That's including the work from Dr. Luigi Warren, the, the discoverer of the spike protein. The, 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 on the Twitter, he, proved, he said, yes, it can shed. Then we know that it's producing more than just one. So it continues to make them and they continue to shed. And then the Salk Institute and plenty of others proved that the spike protein by itself, however it makes it in your body, is cytotoxic, which can cause disease and then cause symptoms. So it can spread again. You know, that could be the self-spreading vaccine. Maybe that's what it is, or I I don't even know. But interestingly enough, yeah, you can. And that is what's happening to some degree, but that's not what they're going to, they're going to say, you got to do it because that's what's right. You know, blah, blah, blah. But even then she still says no. That if you were to get infected, you could pass it on to them. So you're actually protecting your family by getting vaccinated. Well, I heard that it doesn't um, cure it and it doesn't... um, Stop you from getting it. Yep. Okay. Well, great. So Fauci just lied and she goes, well, but that's not true. And then spit some basic facts. So if it doesn't stop me from catching it or spreading it, how exactly am I protecting my children? Go, Fauci. So on the very, very, very rare chance that you do get it, even if you're vaccinated. False. They're spreading. They're ca- I mean, based on the last major UK report that we it's through the roof. They are. I mean, it was three to four times the rate of of. And this was per 100,000. This was not majority, right? So you're breaking it down per 100,000. And the reality is people who were vaccinated were getting sick three to four times more than anybody else. Now, at the time, they, they argued, well, it doesn't matter because they're not going to the hospital and dying. But then we, that also became very clear that it was happening more on the vaccine side. So he's just lying. He knew it then. He knows it now. And we've proven this. Now, I, there's probably a waterfall of people, maybe even in our own chat, that disagree with what I just said. But... I wouldn't say that if I didn't think we can prove it. And we did prove it. 
You may dispute the science, but my God, you better at least acknowledge that the science says what I'm saying it does in this in the studies we pointed out and then just simply argue that you disagree with the conclusions they found. But that's not what we're hearing. We just hear fake news, misinformation. It's not the reality, though. It's a very you don't even feel sick. It's like you don't even know you got infected. And that's a lie, too. We all know that. At the very least, it's not always the case, but he made it sound like that's always the case. Did you tell him about myocarditis? You tell him about the antibody dependent enhancement risk. That is a clear and significant problem that needs to be informed. Otherwise, we're not meeting informed consent, according to an NIH peer reviewed study. No, no, doesn't matter. We just lie because, you know, safe and effective. It's very, very good at protecting you. Nope. Just the Anacostia. So get up okay. there. Okay. All right. Thank See you, you later. Right. And so they said no. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, we'll go later. Bye. The people in America. Okay. Here's the part that got everywhere. This this was on every show. This is important because this guy literally just breaks it all down. Now, you know, he uh, not not I mean, it could have been presented better. But for somebody just on his stoop coming out of the house and confronted by Dr. Fauci, he does a pretty good job and stands his ground. And you know what? He's right. And I, the way, the way it, this is the full video, this is the full video. As far as I could tell, it just ends after this. It's very strange. I'm not settled. Yeah, so get up okay. there. Okay. All right. Thank See you, you later. You. The people in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I- and that right there, enough. And by the way, I can't stand how she immediately gets combative when he pushes back. But what's interesting to me. Is that's the reality we're saying? We do not feel that the information you provided is enough. There's no response to that. You can't be like, "You're wrong." It is enough. <laughs> the point is, when that, it's obviously that most people can discuss. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> discuss the warp speed, right? The lack of studying, the 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 re- the rush through, or the the emergency authorization, the novel idea. Like all of these things matter. They can just argue that no, no, we we feel confident. It doesn't matter that people are still, well, I don't think it's enough. I'd rather wait three years like most things used to be and see what the long-term effects are. Anybody before all this would have been like, that is the most logical thing you could ever do. All it just goes, fear, danger. So logic goes out the window, apparently. I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then right. you all create a shot and miraculous time. Right. It takes years to but create vaccination. Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. It, it, no, it, no, it still does. The only reason, well, first of all, the argument that the, the creation of the injection takes less time is only because they're using an mRNA platform. They argue doesn't necess- necessitate the kind of work they've done before. They just piggyback on the back of the one that, like we just saw with the bivalent. That completely tragically failed. You know, it did worse than all the rest of them. And they're still trying to push it, but even the corporate media is now admitting that it definitely failed. You know how, you know how many years were invested in this, in this approach? Uh, the approach, you see, he's trying to make it conflate the 20 years of mRNA direction, which failed over and over and over and over, with the lack of safety testing which is what he's actually talking about, the guy. To create vaccination. Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. You know how you know how many years were invested in this in this approach? About 20 years of science to get us to be able to do it. 20 years is not quickly. enough. And nine months is definitely not no. enough for nobody to be taking no vaccination that you all came up with. The only yeah. reason I'm talking to you right now, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. Okay, why? You can still spread it. You can still catch it. 
No one disagrees with that. Not even in 2021, at least did not, you know, there's the narrative is a little bit differently presented, but that was the case. So why does that make sense? They keep pushing this. So the only reason I can be close to you is because I can still spread it. You could, I can still catch it. And that makes sense, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. The only reason it makes sense to your narrative is because you claim or rather suggest by saying that, that you can't catch it or spread it. I mean, this is so, this is really, really stupid. And ultimately, again, the one I don't want you guys to really to miss is how often they push the idea that 20 years of work means that apparently we don't need a safety test anymore. No, it's a brand new thing. I don't care whether you've worked on mRNA directions and platforms and, and scientific experimentation on how these things work for 20, 100 years. You, you, you suddenly have a new thing. You suddenly initiate the beginnings of a new injection process for the first time with this new thing and rapidly escalate and don't, you know, the point is the safety trials are supposed to take years. They, they didn't. That's, there's no way around that. They just try to conflate the two things. But if it allow thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and nope, in this world. Something like nope, 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 not even remotely, because we have evidence that people almost entirely, the majority of an uninfected adults, according to peer reviewed science, definitely had some form of immunity even before this started. That's one thing we don't want to talk about. We pretend's not there. I don't think I have that up today, but um, here, I'll just grab it real quick so I can just show you that since I said it. This is an important part of all this that we need to remember as well. There's there's two of these that I re- re- referenced. This one's the most important. This is from 2021. So look, right around the same time, he's, this is before he went there, in fact, a majority in this country of uninfected adults, meaning never infected with whatever we're calling SARS-CoV-2, majority, already show pre-existing antibody reactivity. How do you explain that? In the article, they, they argue a combination of fl- cold, because that's a coronavirus, overlap as well as the fact that MERS and SARS from before I argue simply the idea that possibly whatever this is was circulating beforehand that's just a theory and possible idea that worked the point going back to the clip I'm in flu then right you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this world something like okay so if they if majority of uninfected adults already had a natural immunity or reactivity which is you know over some degree that's not the case then we'll realize if they can still spread it and catch it if they get the injection how that even remotely makes sense about stopping that but then on top of all of it what we have seen is that these people who get the injection are become the ones that are at, mutating this with their their lymphocytopenia and their dysregulated immune systems and the leaky vaccine argument. And historically, before all of this, that is how this works. And they've even admitted this in corporate levels. I think even in the NIH level sense this in the last so many months that, yes, the continual spreading and catching is what causes the mutation, which is a painfully obvious thing. They just tried to contort that into something else because it was obvious that their own vaccinated were the ones spreading this. So she's lying. Or rather, I would argue she doesn't know any better. She's just repeating what she was told, just like Piers Morgan, just like all the rest of the repeaters that blindly trust what they're told. The common flu then, right? Something like the common flu then, right? Yeah, right. So explain for me why that's different. Well, because they're going to say it's super more dangerous. It's not, though. We'll prove that again today. It's much more serious than the flu. Nope, nope, nope. not according to the Ionitis group that very clearly has already found that that's not true. So it's just, there's so many examples of this. They just are, and again, this stuff was clear then because this information comes from information from the beginning. As it says, the global 
pre-vaccination infection fatality rate under 0.7.3, under 69.7, under three. I'll come back to it. The point is that it's very clear this is less than the flu for everybody. Killed a lot of people annually yeah. too. You know how many people died of the flu the last year? I mean, not this year, virtually none, but the previous. Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because we conflated that with COVID, but not that one, the, the other year, one. About 20 to 30,000. You know how- No, nope, that's actually false. It was actually more like 100 something that we could prove the rest were pneumonia. And we've already proven that to you as well. But they just always conflate these just like the conflated flu, COVID and pneumonia. It's the same game, guys. I mean, we've proven all of this. How many people have died from COVID-19 in the United States? 600,000 yeah, Americans. Nope, that's an argument that we can that the the very liberal counting of PCR tests and people that died so many days after X, Y, and Z. No, this is a game, and all of this, at the very least, is completely up in the air. Well, you, well, that well, the, the number that you all given that died, that's that's once again, that's you all's number. You got pay. Up. I mean, I mean, that doesn't sound like a compelling argument, but my gut would tell me, based on what he's already been saying, and it seems like who he's watching, that that's what he's saying right there. And how much you want to bet they cut off what he, the rest of what he was saying? That's actually more likely. Yeah, definitely. Because when, when you start men that died, that's that's once again that's you all's number. You gonna pay us? Yeah, definitely. Because when, when you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. So- right. That's a basic logic, guys. Now you could disagree with that, and he could even be wrong. But the truth is, there is something wrong with that. This is coercive, it's manipulative, and there's never been this. This has never happened like this before. It's, and, and so if we can prove now that it's never been worse than the flu, then what was really going on, right? Hopefully that can reach the average person out there. Yeah. You know, something I, else going it on is something that. going yeah. on. Yeah. Something else You're right. On. But I'm glad millions of people like me and most everybody here didn't get an incentive. You know what their incentive was? Protecting their health and protecting the city. Right. But that, I, I, right. I won't it's keep doing it anymore. Okay. Yeah, but you're dumb. Uh, you're stupid. I'll just keep moving on, right? Like, it's just, just she's really bad at this. Like, you, what did you expect? Everyone to just bend over and do what they were told? Like, these people are going, no, I disagree. And you just hate them for it. <laughs> it's just that that's pretty, that's typical for COVID-19. The truth is that everything he's saying is completely backed up. And ultimately, she just reiterates, but you wanted to protect people. Well, no, he just told that. I mean, we just went over that. She just reser- re- reverts right back to the talking points. Hey, cause my my, my, my y'all campaign is about fear. They cut him off, right? She's try- they, he kept talking and they just cut it all out. But what's weird to me is why they include even this part. I'm trying to figure out why I think they... I think it's because they think it makes him look crazy. In fact, it's the other way around. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. It's a fear. It's fear, this pandemic. That's yep. all it is. Oh, he's so tired of the fake news. That's that, that that's what that's supposed to be. Oh, he tries so hard, right? You know, this, the, how re, the, the the obvious reality here is they thought that was going to look like it was crazy, and the one guy, and that's what the Republicans look like. The truth is that it just it the, what, with what we now know, especially my God, how bad that looks. Now, here is another example, like a Piers Morgan discussion. Chief Nerd shares this about Sam Harris. Trashing the physicians and scientists who question COVID vaccines. Now, I haven't been in as engaged with his process like I have been with some of the others, but I, I saw. I, I believe he's made some really crazy statements in the past. This one doesn't seem as 
grand as belligerent, but he's making the same point really that about, you know, basically that the smart people trust other people that are smart. And I just can't stand how these intellectuals think like that. Now you can, again, consider what they're saying. Like an, a smart person can acknowledge that people have education or have insight or life experience in any one of these directions. And that means maybe you should consider what they're saying. Like all the doctors out there that disagree with the main narrative, you know, just like that. But What's interesting is these people seem to suggest that you're stupid for not blindly trusting them. Except we just literally saw the world prove that that's the wrong thing to do, right? Take a listen to this. But, uh, you know, some of the people Brett found were people who had obvious tells, to my point of view, uh, 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 to my eye. I mean, and I saw them on some of the same people were on Rogan's podcast, right? And, um, and it's hard because if a person does have the right credentials... And they're not, and they're not saying something floridly mistaken. And we're talking about something where it's they're genuine unknowns, right? Like how how much do we know about the safety of these vaccines? Right? Well, we knew quite a bit, actually. The problem was you were listening to what they were telling you was going on. I mean, I'm I'm I can only assume unless you're just lying, because my point was, and we and again we should shouldn't assume this is just for sake of conversation. People did know, right, Doctor Bakhti. In 2020 on Fox News said, you you will take these to your doom because he knew the dangers that we could at least prove then in conjunction with the reality that it was there was no mucosal immunity. So he's thinking clear. There's problems with no real pathway to immunity. So you're going to you're lying to us then. It's obvious we had the their own trial data that show the lipid nanoparticles went into your spleen and reproductive organs, even though I'm going to get to another point about that coming back up again. We know all of this. Their own data proved this. So the way these people act like, well, there's no way we could have known. The Scott Adams of the world, they are just leaning into their own willful ignorance because they got it wrong. Because they're exposing, maybe even to themselves, that they trusted instead of thought. Right? It's, it's, at that point, not a whole hell of a lot. I mean, we have no long-term data on mRNA vaccines. That's true. And isn't that enough right there to argue that we don't know if they're safe? Right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's not what really happened here. But ultimately, we did, though. We had plenty to show, even from their own trial data. Like, like if you read, if you really read into the studies and looked about, like, why are all these pregnant women in the study that then they weren't allowed to finish? You know, like those kind of things. And you realize, what was the justification for that? Well, wait a minute. The babies died. Oh, well, they just argued they weren't, they did, wasn't because of the vaccine. So they just kicked them out of the study. Oh, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. That's a cover-up. But to confidently say that millions of people are going to die because of these vaccines. Which not everybody did. I would argue that I even like the argument that people said this like early 2020, 2021 and came out and said, by this time, this many people will die. I also was like, how would they know that? Like, how could you know the number? I'll with I'm right with you even then saying they were dangerous, deadly even. But to cite a number at a time, I also was a little bit like that. How do they know? That's interesting. But he at least in this clip seems to be conflating that with everybody else that was just aware of the danger like us. And to confidently say that ivermectin is a panacea, right? Ivermectin. Which, which, again, I don't know that many people that literally went that far with it. I, you, my opinion from the beginning was I don't want to support any big pharma drug. Remember? And I was adamant about that. Until, I mean, really the point was that it was very clear based on what we could see, the peer-reviewed science, which obviously could not could be manipulated like anything else, suggests that ivermectin was very clearly a very beneficial thing in a lot of different ways. But again, that's not that's never been the focal point for me, because ultimately, I don't want to support any of these drugs. It should be your choice. You choose what's best for you. I want to break down the reality of why they say we need that or don't.
like what it's being treated for, right? But ultimately, it becomes the extremes. Everyone's going to die, and this is the only thing that works. It's like, that's not, that's a misrepresentation of a lot of people like ourselves that were in the middle of this, that were being logical and objective and could still see the problem way back then. Mectin is the thing that prevents COVID, right? Mm-hmm. There was no good reason to say either of those things at that moment. And that's, I disagree with and that. that. And so, given that that's where Brett was, I felt like there was there was just no there was nothing to debate. We we're, we're both the wrong people to get be getting into the weeds on this. We're both going to defer to our chosen experts. His experts look like crackpots to me. See, why is that? It's almost like they're in their circles that that's that's what like the smart people do, right? Like his experts that he trusts. It's like wait, whoa, whoa hold on a minute. Like, I'm not saying that you, like, when you get to something you literally just, it's beyond your comprehension. Well, our, that's an argue, that's a place where then you kind of have to rely on experts and blindly trust it. But even then, I, again, blindly trusting anything seems like a, it's willful ignorance to me. Because even that person could just be accidentally wrong, couldn't they? That's obvious. I, I just think that it's, it's interesting how this is played in that way. But the, the point, ultimately. Like crackpots to me is that choosing to trust these individual experts, it leads to a point where then you're not thinking for yourself. And then you just rely on that. Well, that's the expert for this topic. So what he say on that? And then that gets presented as the truth. But had you chosen to look past what they were saying, you might've seen what we saw, right? That's obvious. And, um, or at least the ones who are most vociferous on those most, on those edgiest points that seem most. And your experts seem like, what is it? Term mass hysteria. I forgot the well, term. Well, well it's, no, but it's like it's like with you know climate science. I mean, there's, I think he's talking about mass psychosis. Is what he was trying to say, but you could either way you look at it, you could argue that these people were lost. This old, uh, it's received as a canard for for in half of our society now. But the claim it that ninety seven percent of climate scientists agree that human caused climate change is a thing. It is a canard because the same thing with COVID. The point is that if the experts suddenly don't agree with it, well, they're no longer considered an expert by the certain circles that decide, right? That's how that works. So 97%, the point is there is a lot of very high ex, high level experts with high degrees and all sorts of the right things that actively tell you that what they're doing with this whole climate change narrative is a lie, not to suggest that we're not hurting the planet. The point is that whole carbon tax and climate change argument is a, is a political lie. That's not 97 to 3%. It's the point that there's a lot of people that get kicked out of those circles because they dare to challenge that narrative. Same thing happened with COVID. By now, you should see there's far more experts out there that are aware that we're being lied to. They just disregard them. Right. So do you go with the 97% most of the time or do you go with the 3% most of the time? No, you, you engage with all of it and you come to your own conclusion, dude. I mean, really? Like, I don't understand why that's so difficult for these people. You look at it and maybe go, okay, well, 97%. So maybe I'll lean that way. But I look at the data and I come to my own conclusions about what they're finding. It's obvious you go with the 97% most of the time for anything that matters. And then you get misled, just like this. It's not to say that the 3% are always wrong. Again, there are things get overturned. And yes, as you say, I've spent much more time worrying about this on my podcast than I've spent worrying about COVID, our institutions have lost trust for good reason, right? Yeah, but I mean, am I crazy? I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing that he is just right on the surface telling us that all of it's about blind trust, that we're just supposed to pick our expert circles and just blindly go along with it. Now, I'm not saying that that's everywhere all the time, but that in this case, that's what he's saying. 
even then, like my point is that we're talking about something that you have, we're, you know, you have the ability to research and, and read and try to understand things. And if you read these things and walk away going, I don't understand, even though I looked at the data, I read all the sides and I'm not sure, then I would argue you should walk away going, I don't know. But here's what these experts said. Not this is the truth because 97% said so, which is essentially what he's doing. I just that's I mean, this is this whole intellectual intellectualism, like this idea where people have been trained that I'm smart. And so here's how smart people are supposed to act. It's kind of crazy to me. And and it's it it's an open question whether. We can actually get things done with this level of transparency and and pseudo transparency, given our information ecosystems like can we fight a war? really fight a war that we may have to fight, like the next Nazis. Can we fight that war when everyone with an iPhone is showing just how awful it is that that little girls get blown up when we drop our bombs, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where he's going with that, but it sounds like he's suggesting that it's not the Ukraine, right? Or maybe like the idea that we're, so we're showing that U.S. foreign policy is killing children and that's a bad thing because that hides the fact, like... <sighs> I mean, it's just there's so many of these people, they get lost in what they're supposed to think, you know, like the expert, just the same point, maybe, but a foreign policy angle. Could we could we as a society do what we might have to do to, to get actually get necessary things done when we're living in this this panopticon of just, you know, everyone's a journalist, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's a scientist. See, it's so funny. And why is this so threatening to these people? Right. Like the idea that suddenly it, what you don't you don't want people to have their own opinions. So you, you, you miss the time where people were blindly following what you guys said because you were the expert. Yes. This whole this, it's weird how these people very clearly feel threatened by this. Everybody can be a journalist. Why does that threaten? So everybody so much, especially since the First Amendment makes that pretty damn clear. But it's not that everyone's a scientist. Everyone should be try to be. Why not? But it's that everybody at this point now realizes that it's in their best interest to care about what's going on, not just follow along. And people like this are losing clout because of it. That's what I think. Scientist. Everyone's an expert. Everyone's got direct contact with the facts or or some or a semblance of the facts. And it, and that's a bad thing. I mean, I just God, mind blowing to me. Well, the main point here. Wittgenstein points this out. Here's what he wrote. During the pandemic, we witnessed the birth of a new religion of contrarianism and conspiracy thinking. The first, and realize, conspiracy thinking, you mean all the things that were later proven correct? So it's not really conspiracy thinking. It's, it's theorizing about the problem and realizing that they're conspiring. The first sacrament of which is to do your own research. This guy is literally like spitting out that word that phrase like it's some kind of dangerous thing do your own research like it's disgusting these i mean i feel like this is on the surface threatened like suddenly now you're not an intellectual because everyone can think for themselves i don't even know how to take this but doing your own research is the core of true like an actual informed electorate god forbid you should care and not just do i mean you could look at it foreign policy or you could take it like from a political standpoint if, if people are just following along, why wouldn't they just take at face value what Lindsey Graham said happened or what the bill said, what they tell you the bill says? Same thing. It's, just, it's mind-blowingly stupid that people actually think like this. And the result is a society driven by strongly held, unfounded opinions on everything from vaccine safety to a war in Ukraine. Yeah, that's really what he was talking about. 
So the idea here is that it's not okay for people to be like, look, you're allowed to be wrong. Suddenly, the idea that people have the right to think for themselves is going to explode into some problem where everyone's wrong about everything. Like, I just, this is irrational. And frankly, I don't know how it can't be dishonest at its core. Does he really think this? Be surprising. Well, here's another example of the same kind of garbage as, and at the very least, I mean, they're all sort of doing this thing where they're pretending like they're kind of admitting they were wrong, but not really. Like we were wrong by not trusting, you know, by like just the way this goes, like we, we weren't wrong. We did the right thing, but they were wrong. That kind of game, right? It's just painful. Here's what Pierce Morgan had to say about this whole game. And, you know, the sad thing is it's very clear. I mean, don't forget moments ago, he was denying this part of it, saying you were a crazy madman for saying this. Now he realized he was wrong. Now he gives you partial admission. This, this should be insulting. The things that I'll be honest with you surprised me when I did your show in person afterwards, I said, mate, now that we're good mates, how about you unblock me on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) And you went, oh, I've blocked you on Twitter. And I went, yeah, I made, I I took the piss out of you over COVID. And that's when you surprised me because you went, yeah, I deserved it. Yeah. I did not expect that actually given your public persona. I've changed my mind on a few things with COVID because the science changed. Nope. Nope. Not even remotely. I said the science didn't change though. All this really reveals is that he trusted what he was told the science was, not the actual science that outlets like T-Lab were exposing throughout. Most importantly, that they never stopped transmission and that they knew this, then covered it up. So I'll give you an example. And I'm quite happy to admit this and talk no, about not. it. And people no, are like, not. You wouldn't have been dragged into saying this in 2023 if you were happy to admit it. It's been the same way for two years, bud. Ah, there you go. Mm. Yeah. Because to me, it changed. So I'll give you a, a classic example. Uh, when they said that vaccines couldn't transmit the virus, I said, okay, right. In that case, anyone who doesn't have the vaccine right now represents a clear and present threat to spreading this virus and killing people. Okay, so they lied to you. You blindly took that and then threatened to attack people for not doing what they said you were supposed to do. Yes, that's what happened. Apparently, that's an... an, an uh, <laughs> he'll keep going. I'm not going to believe the whole thing. But realize how stupid this is. The science didn't change, man. They, I mean, and this is something that got blatantly discussed when that member of parliament said it, even though we were proving it in 2020, because it was always that clear that it never did. They knew that. And in fact, they never even tested for it because they knew what they would find. So nothing changed other than being forced to admit that they were lying the whole time. And to him, that means the science changed. Well, no, because the science to him is what they told him it was. What the CDC says to people like this is the science. Same with Sam Harris, because that's how they're ra- that you're supposed to trust the experts, right? Except the experts are a bunch of lying manipulators. I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. Obviously not every expert, but in this case, yes. So you're selfish bastards, and I'm going to call you out on that. Right. So you're wrong. You attack people for being selfish, despite you being a mindless follower. And by the way, those who do have the vaccine, they should have more freedoms because they're not going to be able to transmit it once they've had the jab. You are, and you don't care. Okay, so now, now, even if you think that's logical, you're going, okay, so pff, rights, who cares about Constitution? Who cares? Or what, you know, whatever, whatever, UK, United States, same game. Doesn't, you, you don't care about rights and standards and long upheld reality. Well, you're just going to say suddenly because I've been propagandized that I think you're a bad person now. No, that's not how this works. It's never worked like that before. This guy's a follower. Now he's feeling the pressure because he sees the writing on the wall. He's embarrassed. And he's trying to make it right, or rather make you think he's trying to make it right. 
Look, see that face right there? This is not a person that is okay with what's happening. He is, this is painful, especially with all of the outrageous attacks, the criticisms, the grandiose statements he's made this whole time. Eating crow like this is painful. And even then, he's being a hypocrite about it because he's not really admitting he was wrong. Very strong, very emphatic, mm. based on a completely erroneous scientific assessment. Now, you might say, well, you shouldn't have said it anyway. I would sort of agree I with would you. say yeah. something else, actually, yeah. which is I think that you have a duty to be sceptical. Mm. Uh, as a journalist, that is your job. And I've learned a lesson in the pandemic mm. about that. Oh, oh, you've learned a lesson about being sceptical? I mean, guys, that is feeble and meek and pathetic. So I, apparently Piers Morgan hadn't realized he was supposed to be skeptical as a journalist. But he learned that lesson now. So now he's going to move forward. Now I'm going to... Really? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. And I would totally accept that. I think I was too strident anyway. Got too kind of wrapped up in it all. But, you know, I had good reasons for it. I had oh. you know, one of my colleagues at Good Morning Britain, Kate Garraway. Her husband was in a coma from COVID. Or you were told that again. I mean, still apparently, still you can't even break. So maybe that was the case, or maybe it was something else, or maybe any number. Or I mean, how, I mean, think about this. Even though that, even if that was real, which I argue most likely not. The point is, how does that have to do with the vaccine? So what? COVID bad. Therefore, we don't care about looking into the vaccine science. Like it just shows you how. Anyway, I mean, look, I, this is clear. You guys can watch the whole thing. It's as dumb as this is on. I mean, let me make sure I didn't. There's one other. Point I had after. four or five friends and family who lost loved ones. Had to say goodbye to their parents on Emotional FaceTime propaganda, and care. Emotional propaganda, and so on. So I was very like emotionally invested in it. Probably too much so for a journalist, but I accept that. But on that key point of the transmission, the scientists then said a bit later. Actually, it turns out there's not much difference between whether you've had the jab or not for transmission. And at that point, I realized everything I've been saying was completely wrong. No, see, this is BS anyway, because it, what, this was said year. I mean, even like that was a year ago. And we're not only now, I mean, either way, the bottom line is this is a feeble attempt to try to make it sound like he's, you know, here's my mea culpa. It's not, though. The science didn't change. It was always the same. And even admitting the fact that you followed along instead of researching, it is still apparently not learned here because you're doing the same thing continually. But here's just the same point, guys, is you don't come back from this. This is the kind of person you really are. 2021, at a time when at, very clearly we knew what was going on, and so did a lot of people. Footballers who refuse to be jabbed should be refused treatment for injuries. That is that is completely disconnected from what we were talking about. You are being spiteful and vitriolic. You are attacking somebody for their own choices, whether or not you disagree with them, whether or not they're making the wrong choice. You're telling them they shouldn't be treated. Let them hurt because they did the wrong thing. That's who you are, Piers Morgan. That's a bad person. After all, why should they trust doctors about treatment for broken legs and torn ligaments if they don't trust them about life-saving vaccines that you were wrong about, right? Why would they? Like, the point is, we should let them suffer. Like, if this is being, this is not just spite, like, you're, you're, it's, you're making fun of them. Oh, yeah, you don't trust the vaccine? Why would you trust them how to treat a broken leg? That's who this person is. And as Jordan Saxdale points out, you're an obese smoker, though. <laughs> yeah, because we care about health, right? Sad. But this is everywhere. These people are constantly coming around and trying to make it. You know why? Because this is how obvious it is. You don't see people like Piers Morgan me having a mea culpa about the entire illusion narrative around the injection unless we've won this. You see that? But this is still happening. 
even as this is going on, it's still going forward. They're working on cancer, mRNA injections, and bird flu, and everything right now, right now, including more COVID injections. Here, Senator Rand Paul confronts Moderna CEO about the risk of myocarditis. Now, what's interesting about this, there's a lot in this that I actually disagree with. I wanted to play through this and kind of, so what's interesting is you could argue this is now the surface level of the conversation. That's interesting. It's, it's it, well, Even some of the conversations in Congress that were chipping away at some of these narratives, even the, during all this weren't surface level. But right now, I would argue most everybody's kind of at this level. And this is a fraction of the truth. Even Rand Paul seems to hold back on some things that I think I'm pretty sure he knows. However you want to take this, I thought it was an interesting time to play this out, watch this and really take stock of where this is right now, how far this has come. Benzel, uh, Moderna recently paid NIH $400 million. Do you believe it creates a conflict of interest for the government employees who are making money now off of the vaccine to also be dictating the policy about how many times we have to take the vaccine? Good morning, Senator. Uh, indeed, we recently made, a, before Christmas last year, a $400 million payment to the NIH for uh, an old patent that they had developed, not related to COVID, but useful in the development of a COVID vaccine uh, to, to pay them for their work. Uh, it's for the U.S. government to assess how that money should be Do you think be used. it creates a conflict of interest for the same people deciding the policy of how often we have to take the vaccine to also be making money the more times we take the vaccine? Obviously. Obviously. Yes or no? This is for government to decide. Senator. You have no opinion on whether or not it creates a conflict of interest. Is there a higher interest or a higher incidence of myocarditis among adolescent males 16 to 24 after taking your vaccine? So thank you for the question, Senator. First, let me say we care deeply about safety and we're working closely to, with the CDC and the FDA to get... Pretty much a yes or no. Is there a higher incidence of myocarditis among boys 16 to 24 after they take your vaccine? Yes. The data I've shown actually, I've seen, sorry, from the CDC actually shown that there's less myocarditis for people who get the vaccine versus who get COVID infected. Why do they think that's a fair statement to make? That's the talking point. But you're directly asking, is there a higher incident of that age group after the injection? We're not talking about COVID comparatively. We're talking about that. And the point is they just skip over that and go, but COVID's worse. But the truth is, it's not the case. And you know that because you watch this show. But Rand Paul actually does bring this up. You're, you're saying that for ages 16 to 24 among males who take the COVID vaccine, their risk of myocarditis is less than people who get the disease. That is my understanding. That sir. is not true. And I'd like to enter into the record six peer-reviewed papers from the Journal of Vaccine, the Annals of Medicine that say the complete opposite of what you say. Trust the science, though, right? <laughs> no, no, we'll ignore all the science we disagree with and point to the one observational hot flash in a pan study that we did with the CDC. And that's the one that's the one we like. You know, the truth is, by the way, it's not just 16 to 24 or whatever the numbers are. It's everybody everywhere. The injection is more dangerous in every possible way than what we're talking about, you guys. The, the, whether COVID's even really there is a good question to ask at this point. The idea, though, is that peer-reviewed science and the most the most high the one that is the most sound peer-reviewed out of all the ones we can find the highest and the largest amount of number the largest reach shows that there is at least their finding is there is no correlation COVID-19 and myocarditis or pericarditis none now other studies have disagreed and you should factor that in but there's a lot of science that that's the highest level study we have 
So the argument is, is first of all, that the risk for myocarditis is outrageously high for anybody that gets these injections. Then arguably some science says that there's no risk from COVID if it's even what we're talking about, but then realize that the comparative point is illogical because you have the risk the moment that in- injection hits your arm. And if a kid has less than a flu or we all have less than a flu risk, the one in 800, of the, the, they, they, I'm going to get to it in a minute, the gigantic risk of these serious adverse events is staggering. It is not safe and effective, right? It is dangerous and ineffective. It's ridiculous. But the point is you get that risk the moment it hits your arm. To get the risk from COVID, if that was even real, you have to catch it first, which is not the same. And then the low risk of even getting sick. So this is a false comparison. They know this, though. I also spoke with your president just last week, and he readily acknowledged in private that, yes, there is an increased risk of myocarditis. The fact that you can't say it in public is quite disturbing. It is. Do you think it's scientifically sound to mandate three vaccines for adolescent boys? This is for the public health leaders to decide. You've been advocating for it. You've been interviewed and you've been advocating for boosters. Do you know when the myocarditis is most common among these adolescent boys after the second dose? When I spoke with your president, he readily acknowledged in private, yeah, that maybe there ought to be a discussion whether we ought to have one vaccine versus two versus three. If 90% of the myocarditis comes after the second dose, why don't we have a rational discussion about one? Marty McCary of... Right now, the now he gets into points about saying, well, some people need them and some don't. I disagree with that. But the bottom line is clear, right? The science, not just some of the science, but in this the conversation, the science is clear. And yet they just keep saying the opposite because they're not actually trusting the science. The same reason Piers Morgan and the rest of them followed along is because they're following the experts they claim are trusting the science. They're not trusting the science. They're lying to us. They're, they're altering and, and fabricating the science in some cases and then just blatantly lying about it in others. It's very, very clear. It's kind of staggering how this is still happening, even though it's that clear. Here is Aussie 17 with another important point in regard to Professor Yoav, Yoav, Yoav Kelly, from mispronouncing that, from Tel Aviv University, founder of the Israel Epidemic Management Team, calls for the shots to be stopped immediately. More and more and more, you have people in, immersed in the program who are standing back and going, okay, I see it. This is bad. Cut to the chase. The simple point is, he's saying, use of vaccination must be stopped immediately until a thorough investigation. It's not. Everybody sees it, guys. Here is uh, Retsef Levy, who we pointed out before. He's pointing out that the Israeli Ministry of Health has used scare tactics to push COVID vaccines on young children. A FOIA by a a lawyer reveals the striking truth. Out of 3.2 million children ages 0 to 18, COVID deaths, none under 5. There's only 19, with 18 having serious comorbidities. This, it's a lie, right? Everything about this is a lie. You could, we've covered this, this report's there, but we've covered this independently before. The data is unbelievably clear. Here is Wittgenstein sharing what uh, uh, Tucker's covering in regard to bailing out Moderna which is, yes, seemingly where this goes. Now, unless suddenly there's a new surge of COVID or a new surge for something that benefits their injections. But the reality is, if that doesn't happen, they're actually discussing bailing out Moderna, you know, the company that just made billions of dollars because suddenly the decline, the need for the injections falls away. Does this make sense to anybody? 
Well, for most of its existence, Moderna was not a successful pharmaceutical company. The company had never developed a drug or distributed a product, and that changed, like so many things, with the coronavirus. When the U.S. government gave Moderna more than $2.5 billion of tax money to research and produce a vaccine for COVID, and that completely changed everything for Moderna. As the stock market tanked in early 2020, millions of Americans were out of work because of lockdowns. Moderna was thriving. Its CEO, Stephen Bansell, became a billionaire overnight pretty good on a government contract. The company went on to make tens of billions selling the coronavirus vaccine that taxpayers paid to develop. At its peak, more than two years into corona, the company's stock price had increased by over 2,000% as compared to its price before COVID. So it's pretty clear it is in Moderna's interest to get people vaccinated every year. Why wouldn't it be? If Moderna can't sell its only product, a product that doesn't work really as advertised, the company will not do well. So the Biden administration is pushing this. COVID is like the flu. That's what they're now telling you. So you'll get a shot every year, really whether you want one or not. And now that Moderna has helped establish that standard, the company is planning on quadrupling the price of the COVID vaccine. Oh, 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 who's going to pay? Well, you, through Medicare, Medicaid, and other U.S. government programs, you're going to be paying four times more for a vaccine that you helped pay to develop. But it's not just the taxpayers who helped Moderna apparently invent the vaccine. Last year, two companies, Genovant and Arbutus, sued Moderna for patent infringement. We can't say the truth of this case because we don't know. But those two companies allege that Moderna illegally used their technology to develop the COVID vaccine. If Moderna were to be found guilty, the company would have to pay royalties on tens of billions of vaccine sales. So consider this. Moderna is now trying to effectively rip off the taxpayer by hiking the prices of vaccine. It's in trouble in this suit. And now the Biden administration is stepping in to protect Moderna. Thanks to US, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss, that's also the guy who's supposed to be investigating Hunter Biden, but doesn't seem to be. Moderna may not have to pay anything. That's because Weiss is trying to put taxpayers, you, on the hook for Moderna's alleged patent infringement. Now, this has, this screams you know, any number of ways you could look at this military operation, national security. Like the only reason this makes sense is because this is bigger than we realize and they can't just let it fall away. Right. That's, that's the reality of a lot of this stuff. That this is, this is like, remember the Taylor's interview with Sasha Latipova, the reality of this being a medical military intervention. And we've been lied to about this whole thing. And if they're just going to step in to keep this going, clearly because it's bigger than just this one event. You see how this works? Not only did American taxpayers pay to develop the drug, not only did they make the guy who runs the company a billionaire, now you might be on the hook for bailing out Moderna if it's found to have stolen patented technology. Wow, is that a scam? Nothing new. Another example, Dr. Simon Godek points out, a senator in Australia doing the same thing, calling out the lies and standing up. And it's, It's everywhere you look, this is becoming exposed, guys. The Australian people were initially told that mRNA injections would stop them getting infected with COVID, would stop them spreading it, and most importantly, stop them dying from it. We were told that we were selfish if we were not willing to be vaccinated and that we could kill grandma or kill grandpa. Around 97.5% of Australians over 16 follow the government advice and have had at least one dose of mRNA injection, yet the only data that accurately identifies the vaccination status of those who got COVID 
which was published in New South Wales for six months until December last year, showed quite clearly that the vaccinated are more likely to be infected, hospitalised and die of COVID. Exactly. It's the same reports we were showing you, right? The same thing we just told you about the UK as well, even using a per 100,000 risk, right? They just denied, 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 and then they removed it entirely because people were catching on. That's not, it's very obvious that was about hiding the truth, which we're now again proving for the second time. It is time for the government to be honest with the public. We need to see the vaccination status, age and their comorbidities of every person dying in Australia. More than 11 million cases of COVID-19 have been recorded in Australia and almost 20,000 deaths. It is clear, very clear, that the, at the mRNA injections do not adequately prevent infection, transmission or death. Keeps going, right? I mean, it's just everywhere you look. Here's another example of Dr. Asim Holtra arguing. I mean, you know, in this, I mean, he was very quick to come all the way out and just wrong. Whole thing, bad for everybody. Going up now, he's simply pointing out that he thinks that basically all, and this is important to think about. It's there, these, th- these things have specific ways that it affects your body, these injections. But what we've seen very clearly is that the way they work, even in abstract ways like the, the immune system dysregulation, which could then lead to all sorts of things or the neurological side of it, but just simply that the cardiovascular level, that it just exacerbates pretty much every problem. And it, it's not as, as you know, unaccountable as it sounds. There's, there's actual mechanisms that show how this works, that there's been peer-reviewed science around this. So he's just simply pointing this out, that he thinks all of this stuff has gotten worse. And interesting overlap for right now in my mind, we're talking about like Ohio and spreading out the problem to make it look, make it harder to define in the background. Think about that. Whether by design or not, it's hard to prove everything, right? Is it just myocarditis or is it all heart problems and all real illness and cancers and everything else? Well, that's going to be hard to prove, isn't it? Oh, so maybe that's design. Something we should ask. This is basically accelerated as the vaccine rollout or the number of boosters, or how do you understand this? Yeah, myocarditis itself, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think all cardiovascular conditions have got worse Mm -hmm. because of the vaccine. Uh, And uh, anything and everything that can go wrong with the heart has gone wrong with the heart as a result of these mRNA vaccines. There's no doubt about it. And that's why me and Peter both separately had essentially said, because... You know, if doctors are not aware of a possible diagnosis, they'll never diagnose it. So many doctors still, unfortunately, including cardiologists, are not even conceiving of the possibility that the mRNA vaccine can cause these problems. That's the same thing with Pierce Morgan and everybody else, even doctors, right? They're stuck in this loop where they don't think they're even allowed. They, the people above them have not allowed that, so they don't even look to it. I mean, they've all spoken to this. Once they get out of it, they point back and go, yeah, I mean, it's very controlled. And, you know, we're just it's it's lockstep. Right. I mean, we just need to really start seeing how that works. It doesn't mean all of them are dishonest. It just means that they've been essentially socially engineered or rather. I mean, that works. It's more of just, you know, not really brainwashing. It's just sort of like, you know, conditioning, really. Um, but the list is there. It's endorsed by the WHO, whether it's cardiac arrhythmias, atrial fibrillation, heart attacks, myocarditis, heart failure. And I've managed all of these people in the community who have been vaccine injured where their doctors have missed it. But I picked it up. Wow. See, it's just so crazy, right? I mean, it just, it's, it's so obvious.
Now, people, you know, all they can do is say fake news, misinformation. Those guys have been debunked. That's all they got. Literally. In the face of peer-reviewed science. The, the trust the science crowd is, you know, revealing it's always been narrative in the face of actual peer-reviewed science. Now, here's another uh, chief nerd shares, John Campbell, Dr. John Campbell, pointing out something that, uh, that I mean, I, you don't have to actually play it. We can, well, let me just play a little clip of it. The point was about the biodistribution of the lipid nanoparticles, which again, we already know. We've talked about this from, from the beginning, really. Let me just play this opening part of it. Hello, warm welcome to this talk. It's Friday, the 24th of May. Now, today's talk is concerning and uh, bemusing. It's based around this document here. It runs to about 58 pages. Uh, this is the full document here I've put on the screen. Uh, you can download it. It's now in the public domain, and I'll put the link. And it's from the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia, which controls their drugs and vaccination policy. Now, the key th thing is that this document has only been released as a result of freedom of information requests. Now, it was uh, released after a long time of freedom of information requests. Uh, and even now, it's still quite highly redacted. Bear in mind, all the information we're going to be talking about here was known before Australia authorised the vaccines, January 2021. Now, this is done largely on Pfizer data, uh, but written by the Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia. So given that it comes from Pfizer, this is international information. I think we can be certain that this information was on Anthony Fauci's desk. The first thing I want to look at is, is the distribution of the, uh, the lipid nanoparticles. We were told it stayed in the injection site. I can now tell you uh, that uh, the lipid nanoparticles are widely distributed, very widely distributed. Now, the truth is we knew this already, right? Here's one of the studies. This isn't the one he's pointing at, but there's multiple. We, we've shown you the one from the Pfizer, tri the Pfizer data from the beginning, right? But again, it's just the reality being that you can show spleen and all these different. This is the, the, the point is we're seeing a very high level of concentration of lipid nanoparticles which contain the mRNA instructions to create spike protein. So if you've got lipid nanoparticles all over your body, that, that, that mean the point is not only do you have the mRNA all over your body, but you have instructions to make the spike protein. But then you also have a spike protein being made that circulates your bloodstream. All of it's been proven. We've known this from the beginning that it doesn't stay in your shoulder muscle, but they still, in some places, still push that argument. But remember that this has been discussed way back. Now, there's more in the, watch, watch the full thing. Because the point about this, it's a good video with important information, but it's all the stuff you already know. Here's, here's a study from 2021 talking about the lipid nanoparticles being highly inflammatory or the fact that we can point out lipid nanoparticles as they use them are not for human use or the fact that, I mean, on and on, or just how about just nanoparticles in general and NIH studies will show you how they cause cancer and every one of these things they know about. Here is Chief Nerd again pointing out uh, Kevin McKernan now, for those that have watched the show long enough, not the person, there, there's somebody with a very similar name that's a complete jackass. That's not the guy we're talking about. Genomics expert Kevin McKernan, who's very intelligent, explains how genomic sequencing uncovered surprises in the COVID vaccines. Quote, as we've dug deeper into this, we found out that there's more than RNA in there. There is, in fact, a lot of DNA in there as well. Now, think about the concept of tra reverse tra transcription and what that means if we're talking about other DNA 
I mean, this this is an alarming reality. And I, I don't I think we're only just beginning to understand this. It's Jessica Rose interviewing him. I was going to play some of this. It's about 25, 25 years now in the genomics field. Um, I cut my teeth on the Human Genome Project down at MIT with Eric Lander. I was um, their team leader for research and development down there. So we built a lot of the automation that helped automate the Human Genome Project. Um, after that, I started a company called Agincourt Biosciences that built a lot of magnetic particles for DNA purification, RNA purification, uh, a lot of virus, virus purification tools. And uh, that got acquired by Beckman Coulter. Um, and we spun out a company that built a DNA sequencer known as the Solid Sequencer, which is a next generation sequencer that does um, high throughput sequencing. Uh, so I've, I've got a long history of, of building picks and shovels in the field of the sequencing space. And we're, we're currently in a company called Medicinal Genomics that makes um, PCR tools for um, testing cannabis and uh, psilocybe and a variety of other medicinal fungi and plants that may uh, help people kind of get around this uh, FDA mayhem that we have currently. So um, now, now I'm not sure how that applies and I'm not familiar with what he's talking about, but, you know, to be to remember that uh, it, PCR outside of a viral testing does have its uses. It's been used for a long time. Carrie Mollis has made it clear about how, you know, how it can be used. So I don't know how exactly he's talking about that in regard to cannabis. I'm, you know, a little weird, like a little bit concerned. I, you know, I'm not sure what that is and it makes me nervous, but at the end of the day, if all it is is some kind of test to decide, you know, to be able to, there's a lot of ways it can be used. Like we talked about the guy who used to test uh, muscles, like the actual sea, seafood. And, and genetically use that to test for certain aspects of their gene, genetics. You know, that, that's, there's a lot of ways it can be used that are valid. But it doesn't mean it's, it's useless. In the context of testing for can, sick or not, even the inventor, Kerry Mollis himself, said it was misappropriately used that way. Inappropriately used that way. So I just want to comment on that because I thought that was strange. Yeah, that's, that's my history is uh, building lots of um, DNA sequencing and PCR tools. I was thinking the best thing to do is to kind of frame frame out what genomics is first, just, just for people who don't quite know, and uh, and what sequencing is, like, in, in a really, like... ...as all these new sequencing tools have emerged, but sequencing is effectively reading the, the letter of letters of life. The, We've been the using these tools to better here. understand what's in these vaccines because we assumed that they were only RNA, which is a code that goes into your body and instructs your cells to make a spike protein. Um, but uh, as we've dug deeper into this, we found out that there's more than RNA in there. There's, in fact, a lot of DNA in there as well, and that may have some, um, some repercussions. But uh, to circle back to your initial question, uh, genomics is just a study of being able to read and write genetic code. Uh, it's predominantly right now read. Right. Andrew points out some of the good way to say this in the chat. So the PCR is not a test, right? It's a tool of replication which is entirely accurate, right? The point is that it's, it's that's the cycle threshold, right? And to continually increasing that replication. And the point being that that's why Kerry Mollis kind of said it makes you believe in God to a degree. Like the point being that, or some paraphrasing some way in there, the point being that, you know, you, uh, you will find anything you event you look for if you keep diving. The point, you know, that's an interesting way to think about it. And that's why perfect tool to create a pandemic or the lie about one because you, you look hard enough well you'll find what you're looking for right and that's exactly how it's being used anyway let, let, in the interest of time too I'm, uh, um, reasons you might expect I'm going to have to kind of go through this reasonably rapidly so here is another example so the point is we're finding all sorts of other things in there including DNA well here's an example of uh, this is Dr. Arna Burkhart pointing out that sperm has almost, it's been lar larger replaced by spike proteins. And he, he's breaking this down with his own reports. 
And by the way, Taylor is going to be interviewing Burkhart very soon. Very soon. Um, that the spike protein is produced in the deltoid muscles where the vaccine is uh, is uh, uh, administered, injected. But we could show it in almost all organs, more or less uh, explicitly. And here you see a case uh, where we show the testes and. Uh, you, you can see that uh, in this 28-year-old man who had a healthy son uh, and who died 140 days after injection, Jeez. the spike protein is strongly expressed in the uh, spermato uh, spermatogenic uh, organ in the testes. And you can see there are almost no spermatocytes in here. Now, the bottom line is you can prove this. You can look at the one we just looked at, many version of it, and see that there is very clear distribution, biodistribution of lipid nanoparticles in the testes, in the reproductive organs, the ovaries, right? So it's not hard to understand why this is happening. It's, 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 yet it will still get dismissed as fake news because it doesn't align with what they want you to think. This is really happening. Here's an example of, uh, by the way, I hate Instagram. <laughs> I, just, I, I had to download this, but look, there's no way to start this video Without it being muted, there's no there's no back and forth apparently on Instagram. You can only pause and start again, right? So all you can do is refresh and quickly hit unmute, and then you miss the beginning every time. Watch. See, he's in mid sentence. That's the dumbest thing ever. I mean, this is so stupid. Anyway, I downloaded it, so let's listen to what uh, Byron Brittle uh, or Bridal. I think it's Bridal. Who's, we've mentioned before, he's done doing great work on all this, vaccinologist. Here's what he has to say about the mRNA. It's another extension of the mRNA discussion about whether it can leave your body or shed. Low concentrations of a genetic blueprint that can then be copied multiple times, right? You get an amplification of the dose, unlike other, any other that we've ever given. So you can't say oh, it's a low dose because ultimately you have to ask, what is the dose after the mRNA has been delivered to the site and been manufactured and copied over and over and over, right? Translated over and over into all kinds of proteins. Then what is the dose? But so where was it going? I saw it was going to places like the small intestine, the large intestine that opens the possibility for um, uh, the, the or components thereof, as they say, or derivatives thereof, which would be the spike protein, potentially being shed in feces. It goes to the bladder. So the, I saw the potential for it to be released in, in urine. It goes to the salivary glands. So therefore has the potential to be released in saliva. It goes to the skin. So yeah. therefore has the potential to be released through either the sweat glands or the oil glands, right? And, and, and it goes to the lungs. And so it has the potential to be released as for example these small extracellular vesicles that dr provost was talking about through our respiratory aerosols the fact that we find mrna in breast milk indicates that the baby will absorb the through the mouth through the they're, just so you know irritating they're just bleeping vaccine i'm not sure why oral oral route of administration and this is a, a route of administration that has not been considered by the authorities. And so we do or, not know or, how. Or it has been considered and they just don't care. Right. I mean, that the, see, that's always the assumption that it just been missed because they don't want to believe that there's a conspiracy. Right. They were so adverse to the idea that pe powerful people can conspire. I mean, it's very clear. Right. All of this adds up to a concerted act. 
I, I just don't see how it can be. This is either like the biggest clumsiest accident of all time. Like, I just don't believe that. There's so many obvious directed actions that led to where we are. This will affect the infant. How this will affect the distribution? Because the baby does not receive the mRNA in his uh, shoulder. It receives it in his intestines. Oh and God. then it may be absorbed and distributed everywhere else than in shoulders. Many, many people were contacting me saying, I'm having all these weird reactions when I'm around people that have got the shot. Could there, right. could there be something to this? And when I saw the biodistribution study, I'm like, yes, 100%. Yes, it could. You know, components of the or the intact leaving the body, right, through a bodily fluid and entering another human being's body. That is shedding. Now, is that shedding or is that a self-spreading vaccine? Right. I mean, really, really think about that for a second, because I'll tell you, man, like, I mean, the, the, the self-spreading vaccine conversation is so obviously something that they're working towards. I mean, I, I might as well play this clip really quickly. And this is directly from a U.N. kind of adjacent group that met and discussed exactly this direction. Johns Hopkins has put out documentation about human to human self-spreading vaccination during COVID-19. It, it, look, this has either already happened or it's being worked on right now. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? No. Now, I think this was 2021, 2020 into 2021, September. In the beginning of all this, they were put, already pushing this because this was the point, guys. Now, what the, 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 the where we're at is even I mean, this is a right leaning, which I guess matters to some people or still see the two party paradigm. But the truth is that the, the narrative overall is broken down because even the right was pushing this during in the beginning of it all. Right. Or the beginning, but the the height of it all. But here is the Washington Times and a lot of others, both left and right. Vaccines don't work. Masks don't work. Everything the government told us about COVID was wrong. And that's the article's clear. I mean, this is stuff we know. I mean, he's talking to experts in this article about masks specifically, saying the most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illnesses, including COVID-19, was published late last month. Its conclusions said... Oh, the inclusion said, and they're not talking about the Cochrane review. The Oxford, this is an Oxford epidemiologist, unless that's the same group. But the point is, plenty of studies have peer reviewed, have been very clear, including the CDC's own study in 2020 of, of actually meta analysis. They just lied during the midst of all of this. He says there is just no evidence that masks make any difference. They asked, what are the N95s? He goes, nope, same thing. He goes, it makes no difference. None of it. All of this, we've been lied to and we know that. Here is an interesting Australian article from 2023, February. Ten myths told by COVID experts now debunked. And I agree with this. Natural immunity offers little protection compared to vaccine immunity. False. It's exponentially better. And every peer-reviewed study found that. I just lied to you about it. Mass prevent COVID transmission. No, they do not. There's no statistically significant effect on transmission, according to 
any out valid study, including this half the ones they show. School closures reduce COVID transmission. Not true. Myocarditis from the vaccine is less common than from the infection. Fake news. Young people benefit from a vaccine booster. These are all misinformation. It's not true. Vaccine mandates increase vaccination rates. That's actually not true. COVID originating from the Wuhan lab is a conspiracy theory. You know, what's interesting is you could dispute, but the point is that the surface level narrative that was fake news to start, and now it's supposed to be something we could talk about. So e- even then, you can still say misinformation because they said no, and now they're saying yes. The point is that whether it's all true or not, the way this has gone is exposed the fact that they just will lie about anything. Number eight, it was important to get the second vaccine dose three, four weeks after the first dose. All of this was lies. Nine, data on the bivalent is crystal clear. Well, that sure blew up in their face, didn't it? Number 10, one in five people get long COVID. All of this is completely, completely False. This was September 2022. The point was the re-evaluation of Pfizer and Moderna's own phase three trial showed a gigantic risk. Remember, these were the trials they showed you at the beginning to say 99% effective, safe and effective. Uh, these groups, a group decides to go back and look at it and goes, whoa, actually, the Pfizer trial showed a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in the vaccine group. Yeah, it sounds a little bit worse to say a 40% increase of potential death than saying safe and effective, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe maybe that's the way to go with it. Or the point is 18 per 10,000. That's the one in 800. Or Yeah, I think that's how it shows you the risk is gigantically higher than anything we're talking about. This is dangerous. This isn't just not as effective. This is dangerous, especially when compared to the reality that it's less than the flu, but it's, which is the truth. AIDS stratified infection fatality rate. The point is that a global infection fatality rate less than the flu. If you're, un, if you're 69 years old, it was 0.07. Under 59, 0.03. You get down to 19, it is 0.0003%. But yeah, let's push something that gives them 1 in 800 potential serious, serious adverse event, death, hospitalization, permanent disability. 1 in 800. 1 in 800 compared to a 0.0003 risk of death. You work out that for yourself. They know this. They don't care. And then you could take it to the, the mandates part as well. British Medical Journal, peer-reviewed, COVID boosters are a net harm. Booster mandates in young adults are a net harm. No way around it. One hospital prevention, arguably, they estimate it takes potentially 42,000 young people to each get three shots to stop one hospitalization. And that, they argue, and I guarantee it's way worse than this, would then cause 18.5 serious adverse events meaning death, hospitalization, or permanent disability. So to stop one hospitalization, you cause 18 possible deaths, possible hospitalizations. This is peer-reviewed science, guys, but let's just keep going, right? Less than the flu, dangerous across the board, and even their own data showed you that. So who's lying here? Sanjeek Shabholak points out that final conclusive proof that there was no pandemic in Sweden without lockdowns, masks, or border closures. This lines with more of Danny Rancourt's perspective that whether or not there was something, the point is that the pandemic didn't exist. That this was a combination of misinterpreting or, or you know, f- calling flu COVID or causing it with lockdowns and masks and border closures or whatever else was applied. The point is you can see there was absolutely no pandemic based on the data. This is their. This is the um, 
mortality rate per 100 that per 10,000 and it just gets it's lower than anything else before it entirely you don't have a pandemic and then have lower mortality than any year before we're being conned here guys and then marco points out there's a bigger problem now too simply pointing out that the mrna crosses the placenta we know girls are born with full lifetime complement of uh, ovum 12 percent drop in birth is almost impossible but we're seeing that and he's mon- they're mar- monitoring this as well. The point is that this is exploding. We're seeing that there was no pandemic. We're seeing that they knew these were dangerous. And now we're seeing the fallout. Here's a, here's a, it's a preprint, not peer-reviewed. But nonetheless, a high-level stu- high study, the impact on pregnancy outcomes and menstrual function. Cutting to the chase, conclusions, pregnancy and menstrual ab- abnormalities are significantly more frequent following COVID-19 vaccinations than that of influenza vaccinations. Oops. Point being, this is obviously vaccine-centric. It is about comparing the two, right? This is following COVID injection and following flu injection, and you see significantly more problems after the COVID. But all fake news because of whatever narrative we spin. Here is a report of the corporate media trying not to engage with the obvious reality that this is because of the injection that we just, that the science can clearly find, but these journalists just seem baffled by the clear reality. A new report from the CDC shows the number of American women who died while giving birth or shortly afterwards spiked dramatically during the COVID pandemic, with women of color being the most impacted. We're baffled. We're baffled. We're so confused we don't understand. There were more than 1,200 maternal deaths in 2021. That's up 60% since 2019 yeah and it's weird how every country that also has a high vaccination rate is having a similarly baffling problem right it's confusing or why scotland finds the connection but then goes we're not even going to look at it because we don't want to see it right it's so clear how gross this is like this is a willful disregard for what's happening whether we're talking about the 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 scion the the, the um prions disease overlap with baffling brain disease in canada or baffling cancer explosions or the baffling sudden deaths or the baffling everything it's very very obviously clear And the U.S. maternal mortality rate, long the highest of any wealthy country, is now at its highest point since 1965. Alarming new report. Pretty clear what's going on. You could see the report as Chief Nerd breaks down. Look at the numbers for yourself. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's shockingly high right now. Here's the Wall Street Journal. Why is maternal mortality rate so high in the United States? What do you think? What do you think they're going to find? First paragraph, mortality, maternal mortality rates in the U.S. surged in the 2021. What was happening that year? That's I'm confused. To their highest level since 1965. As COVID-19 exacerbated longstanding problems, including access to healthcare. Of course, that's why. Right? You don't even get into explaining the story before you already give us the narrative. That's the first paragraph, guys. And the whole point is, we don't know what's going on. But apparently within the first sentence, you already claim you know what's going on except you then follow up with going we don't know what's going on then explain for me if you don't know what's going on why you literally try to make an argument about why it's covid that caused this i mean that this is straight up propaganda so covid caused long-standing problems to exacerbate and at lapses of healthcare and heart problems and that's why everything's happening despite the fact that it's not some three-year block where nobody did anything, or the fact that a lot of these things are completely unexplainable. It's not like, oh, the exacerbated problem they had got worse. No, it's, we have no idea why this happened and we can't even see it with an autopsy. We know what this is. That is 
almost always a vaccine-related problem, as plenty of people made clear before this ever started, that when you have no clear cause of death and you have something like the vaccine that happened just before it, that's usually a good indicator that's what happened. Not saying we know for sure. I would never say that. But the fact that they won't even mention it in this, there's not even, the word vaccine's not even brought up. That's just disgusting. Now, we, we mentioned this on the pirate stream. This is really horrifying. This is a doctor. If you, I wouldn't even, I don't even feel like I want to say that about this person. Jane, Janine A. Reethy. This person, there's, a, there's an ongoing court case. You can see the documentation right here. Let me, let me read to you what the, the filing is by the parents. In this case, Miss McNeil's two minor children were held in a room by a defendant until she overcame their will and forcibly vaccinated them while physically preventing them from consulting their mother, who was right outside the room. Now, what happens when one of them dies in a week and they claim it's not the vaccine? Who's responsible then? Minor children, both their initials, were additionally provided with false and fraudulent information in order to obtain purported consent to a procedure in the absence of actual or freely given consent. Children, which can't give consent anyway, but see, this is how they play the game. They argue, well, if they understand that only because COVID's dangerous, then we can argue they can make sense. Now, do they understand? Or is this doctor pushing them to say a certain thing so they can argue that they pretend they understand? Specifically, Dr. Reethy told the children that they were required to be vaccinated against COVID to attend school and that they had no lawful option to decline such vaccination and then proceeded to force them. This is real and this is absolutely happening. And this is what they've allowed to be the case. This says... As they were heading home, McNeil said she was shocked when her daughter complained that her arm hurt pretty bad. When McNeil asked her why it hurt, her daughter said she was given the COVID shot, even though she told the doctor she didn't want it. Quote, when she had the needle in her hand and she was coming towards me, I backed up and I asked her, what is that needle? And she said it was the COVID shot. And I told her I didn't want it. And she said, well, it's mandatory. You have to get it in order to go to school. God, this, this real, this, this makes this like. Gives me a feeling I almost can't describe. Like, this is crazy. This is broken. And this is what they have completely, and we all know, have not only justified, leaned into, but have basically said, do this. They have given people the go-ahead to take unilateral action in the direction of what they argue is the greater good. Everywhere. And it doesn't matter whether this person pretends she's doing the right thing. This is a bad person who is choosing to break her own oath, whether or not she thinks it's the right thing. She's not doing this. Is not informed consent. So that it, it just like Pierce Morgan, we see who you are, the real you that you try to hide from people. Now, this is an important time to replay this video. This is Teresa Laurie. I believe it's Teresa. Right? I just want to make sure I didn't say her name wrong. Yeah, Tess Lori, Teresa Tess Lori. And this is, I just, this is, you, this is a, just a basic kind of, this, this is just her speaking. But I really want, I think this isn't powerful. And especially coming off of all this and all the stuff we just showed about, you know, where this is at, what it's doing and what's happening and how it's all comp- continuing to snowball and get worse. This is intentional. I really believe that to a large degree at the very least. And this is why I think this is important.
Mistakes Were Not Made, An Anthem for Justice by Margaret Anna Alice. The Armenian Genocide was not a mistake. Holdemore was not a mistake. The Final Solution was not a mistake. The Great Leap Forward was not a mistake. The Killing Fields were not a mistake. Name your genocide. It was not a mistake. That includes the great democide of the 2020s. To imply otherwise is to give them the out they are seeking. It was not botched. It was not bungled. It was not a blunder. It was not incompetence. It was not lack of knowledge. It was not spontaneous mass hysteria. The planning occurred in plain sight. The planning is still occurring in plain sight. The philanthropists bought the science. The modelers projected the lies. The testers concocted the crisis. The NGOs leased the academics. The scientists fabricated the findings. The mouthpieces spewed the talking points. The organizations declared the emergency. The governments erected the walls. The departments rewrote the rules. The governors quashed the rights. The politicians passed the laws. The bankers installed the control grid. The stooges laundered the money. The DAD placed the orders. The corporations fulfilled the contracts. The regulators approved the solution. The laws shielded the contractors. The agencies ignored the signals. The behemoths consolidated the media. The psychologists crafted the messaging. The propagandists chanted the slogans. The fact chokers smeared the dissidents. The censors silenced the questioners. The jackboots stomped the dissenters. The tyrants summoned, the puppeteers jerked, the puppets danced, the colluders implemented, the doctors ordered, the hospitals administered. The menticiders scripted, the bamboozles bleated, the totalitarianized bullied, the Covidians tattled, the parents surrendered, the good citizens believed and forgot. This was calculated, this was formulated, this was focus grouped, this was articulated, this was manufactured, this was falsified, this was coerced, this was inflicted, this was denied. We were terrorized, we were isolated, we were gaslit. We were dehumanized, we were wounded, we were killed. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with it. There's just really something powerful about that to me. I don't know if it resonates with you guys, but it, you know, it's it's really just stating the obvious, but it's powerful. Very, it's and, and you can prove it. What she's saying. Now, here is an example of just that. Chris Held MD points out they knew. FOIA documents show government anticipated mass vaccine injuries. By the way, we've already talked about this. Then observed from them from day one. And then when they got the reports, they then requested more, right? We've talked about this before. As the conservative view points out, throughout the past two years, the government and media have concocted a conspiracy theory that somehow the CDC's own Vayers reporting is scammed by 
with fraud by people who have nothing better to do with their lives but spend hours filling out fraudulent vaccine injury reports, which is certainly possible. They've never proven that. And even if that is the case, they've always been this way. We've made this clear from the yellow card system and Dr. Rain on the record with 2006, making it clear. It's not about proving any of this. It's about the signal. That's how these signal systems are designed, just like theirs. Now, if and when the signal reaches a certain point, like it has in the past, it's not about proving it. You don't need to prove it. You just simply pull it because that's the signal. And they've just chosen to ignore that today. And they, I think the argument was they, ha- they, they figured out a way to set the narrative. So when the reports they knew were coming in came in, they would just go, oh, that's the fake news, Republicans and, and conspiracy theorists. And, and everyone bought it, or the people that wanted to anyway. It says they, were, they pretend it's a sort of ex post facto anomaly that nobody expected and that has no credibility in their eyes, except as Hebrew University professor Josh Gutz, Gutzkow, who we've pointed out before, reveals, not only did the CDC know about the vaccine injuries blowing up theirs at record levels, even before the general public had access to them, the agency contracted with defense contractor General Dynamics to handle the database in anticipation of record use. Then, when the vaccines were released, the CDC had to up the contract to account for even more entries, yet showed no more qualms about continuing with the campaign without disclosing these revelations to the public. You can read more about this great report, The Binality of Vayers, March 21st. This is Josh's report right here. But the, the, the idea about the report in Boston Dynamics and the upping of the report. Remember when that we per, reported that when that first happened? And of course, it got shot down by the Twitterverse and everybody else going, you guys don't understand. You're not the experts. That's true, actually. We're not the experts, but we sure as hell understood. And we're right, seeing that now. But as Brooke Jackson points out, as well as Welcome the Eagle points out from both the Bayer system and the yellow card system, guess what? Well, suddenly we're all paying attention. So they just go, yeah, just stop the whole thing. Got it. Just like the New South Wales report, the UK report, the, you know, they, you start, you see it. They just go, oh, well, you, you don't understand. And we can't let you misunderstand it. So we're going to just stop showing it to you. That's how this game works. The MHRA in the UK is now stopping the publishing of their cold vaccine yellow card reports. Why? Well, because it's obvious what's happening. So they just won't show it to you anymore. Same thing here. 319 bears reports as of March 10th were deleted. And the point is, as Dr. Lynn's pointing out, the first time in history. So why would you need to the first time ever go back and delete reports? Why would you even need to go back and verify reports if the whole point is not about verifying anything but using the signal? Because they have changed direction. They don't care anymore. They never did, but they don't care about even keeping up pretenses. Now, on top of everything else we just said, everything, if you can actually believe it, right now, we still have people like Fauci arguing, well, yeah, you still need a one shot every single year. That's actually still happening, if you can believe that. It leads to the question, Joe, and would like the answer from you, Dr. Fauci, who you're the pride of Holy Cross College. Uh, and I don't believe- Look at Fauci's face, by the way. My God, this guy is just, that's, that's unhealthy living. And I don't mean diet. I believe you were in medical school with uh, Ted Cruz or Jim Jordan, but how many booster shots do you think we will be getting? Uh, there's one available now, but how, ma- how long in the future will we be getting booster shots? You know, we don't know definitively the answer to that, but it is likely that this thing is not going to disappear. It's not going to be eradicated and it's not going to be eliminated. So it's going to be around. Eliminated? I didn't hear that last time. 
So it's going to be around eliminated. So and it's not going to be eliminated. So it's going to be. Oh, I think he can. He can. Confl- he, he mixed eliminated and mitigated together. That's funny. Now, this, this isn't like I, I, I think that the, the this report might actually be from last year. The, the bottom line is we have reports and discussions from Australia, from the United States, from everybody telling you that this is going to be there's even the guy from I think it was the UK or if I remember correctly who's saying that this is you're never fully vaccinated ever we just need to continue taking these when we tell you you need them and that's the amazing point no at every level throughout this in the beginning they said this was fake news they said you're dangerously misinforming people by letting them think that there's going to be more than one more than two more than three more than four more than five and they just kept going and we were right because it was always the plan. That's why they had five slots on the cards. That's why they had that. Uh, this stuff was obviously planned and mapped out. They just want to continue to get this down. That you're that you are on that track. They're just trying to keep it quiet right now. I think because they've completely lost control of where this goes. But they're already still working on the next ones. They're already working on the next mRNA shots. The next mRNA everything. It's very concerning. Now, as Bernie's tweets points out, well, while you were distracted with whatever else, guess what the UK government did. Well, they extended the Coronavirus Act for another six months. Isn't that the same UK government that in 2020 said that that COVID was no longer a disease of high impact? Well, I guess that doesn't matter. Or the fact that they're all pretty much acting like we're moving on other things, but we're going to extend the emergency for six months, or rather the act that gives them a limit. Yeah, that's how this works. And her point is is right. Temporary powers become permanent like this, or rather just like the Patriot Act, whatever else. It's always meant to be permanent. That's how this game is played. And whether or not they need the coronavirus act or not, we're, I mean, let's pretend like, let's make clear it doesn't only apply to coronavirus, right? Here's the next push. At least in the moment, I'm going to follow up with the Marburg manipulation as well, seeing as how Marburg can trace back to three labs after it got shipped monkeys from London. And clearly, that's supposed to make sense to everybody that they simultaneously did the wrong thing at the same time and they all broke out simultaneously or something else happened. But the point is, they're pointing at bird flu too. Get this, bird flu Right. So the argument being that it's not like they're, they're actually arguing that some humans have been infected, except the fact that they're arguing that it hasn't mutated to be able to infect humans. So I'm not sure how that makes sense. But the interesting part is that they're going, look, animals are getting sick. Bird flu is everywhere all of a sudden. Are the vaccines ready? Is that what you're thinking or is that what they're trying to get you to think? Are the vaccines ready? Why is it? Am I in danger? <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're jumping ahead. Right. We're going to go to the vaccine stage now. So ask yourself how that's possible. If this is only infecting chickens or animals and, and it's not yet trans, you know, mutated to be able to infect humans, okay, well, doesn't that imply that they would have to do gain of function to make it do so so they can make a vaccine for it? Probably. But it says vaccine makers and scientists are preparing vaccines for both birds and people to help prevent possible pandemic. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure that you wouldn't give a human a vaccine for the Swine, the the, the uh, H5, uh, the bird flu that only can infect birds, right? It says vaccines are already being prepared for two important populations, egg-laying hens and human beings. Executives at pharmaceutical companies, Moderna, well, this is, see, how does that even make sense then? Because aren't, they're the ones, well, I'll show you in a minute, they're pointing at all sorts of things. They're look at there's dolphins and foxes and everything. So if that's already happening, explain for me why it should only be aimed at chickens and humans. I mean, right? I mean, this everything about the, what it is. I don't know. I understand where the game is being played just yet. I mean, I, the obvious is probably the, the case we're going to get into. But doesn't that imply right there that there's something missing? 
So if the animals that have already caught it and spreading it, like that aren't chickens, isn't that cat out of the bag? I'm not, in no way am I suggesting we should go vaccinate all these animals, but that seems like a kind of a limited, I mean, maybe it's because they want, I mean, I, I guess all day long, but clearly that doesn't make sense. Executives at pharmaceutical companies, Moderna, of course, GlaxoSmithKline, CSL, Squirus, told Reuters that they are developing or are about to test human vaccines that are better aligned with the avian flu virus. Perfect. There have been a few cases in people, although thus far there's no evidence of person-to-person transmission. Okay. So I'm going to show you in the next article that they're arguing that they, 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 it has not, in fact, you know, crossed over. Okay, well, how does that make sense? If, if it hasn't transmitted from birds to humans, how do we argue that there are already a people that have gotten sick with this? And if people have gotten sick with this, explain to me why it's, it's not able to be spread from person to person. I mean, this, quite frankly, this sounds like it's completely made up. If I'm just really being honest, I don't know how that even adds up. But it says, in case of a pandemic, vaccine manufacturers would switch gears from producing the typical seasonal flu shots to suddenly aimed at making H5N1 shots. Oh, oh H5N1. Oh, you, you mean you mean the one back in 2011 that the the WHO called a pandemic of fear based on nothing real? Not that's my paraphrasing. The repeated pandemic health scares caused by H5N1 and H1N1 are part of a culture of fear. Well, that's interesting. In both pandemics of fear, the exaggerated claims of a severe public health threat stem primarily from the disease advocacy by influenza experts. Hmm. That doesn't seem like the same thing they're saying over there. Resources are scarce and need to be allocated to many competing priorities. Scientific advice on resource allocation is best. Or I'm skipping. Dang it, the stupid thing. Where was it? It doesn't matter. I got the point. I'm trying to quickly highlight the part that I didn't grab. The point is that saying that, you know, this is exacerbated by disease experts. There he goes. Disease experts wish to capture public attention and sway resource allocation decisions in favor of the disease of their interest. Sounds like Dr. Fauci. The bottom line is, guys, how do we have it on the record from the WHO that H5N1... Now, look, if they're going to argue this is mutated, it's changed. Well, why is it still called H5N1? Right? Supposedly, COVID-19 has, you know, a minor in, you know, molecule change, and it's called NY5 with 13 more letters added to it. Suddenly, the whole Greek, al- Greek alphabet's added. Well, it's either H5N1 or it's something different. If it's H5N1, then we already know you've lied to us about this, but you still call it a pandemic. Either way, Reuters reported the manufacturers already have the capacity to produce millions of doses. So what they're basically telling you is the moment that we say there's a pandemic, then we're just going to stop making the flu vaccine and make H5N1. Because, you know, guess what? We're going to conflate with this. Even though they're both flus, essentially, they're not the same thing. Of course, they'll argue that the one took over the other and blah, 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 just like with COVID. Is that the case? Are we just suddenly calling it something else? But it says some of the shots are also pre-approved. Pre-approved? Yeah, welcome to your new direction. We're already, we're, yeah, you're going to need it. We're going to prove you ahead of time. <laughs> that sounds safe, right? Based on human trial data proving its safety and that the vaccine triggers the right immune responses. Pre-approved, though, for something that we don't even know is really happening yet. There are around 20 vaccines currently licensed that aim at H5 type flu. What does that mean? Is it H5N1 or not? There are a couple caveats when it comes to the vaccine's production and rollouts. However, it could take five to six months. Well, that's light speed fast compared to three years like we're used to. Well, why is that happening then? 
This is, we're, I mean, arguably they're conflating. We're talking about both mRNA and DNA in this article. So how in the world does it only take five months? Apparently that's just a new reality. Using traditional flu methods. Huh? How is that only five months? It used to take years to make this happen. I guess they just changed their minds. Safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Well, here is the current argument from the Daily Mail from 24th. Is bird flu behind the mystery spat of whales and dolphins washing up on U.S. beaches? Well, you could align this with a million different things. Couldn't this just also be the Ohio fallout? That we're suddenly just blaming on whatever, oh, the bird, everyone's dying, it must be bird flu. So suddenly bird flu just simultaneously, just immediately dolphins and whales and everything else everywhere. So that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, this is supposed to be jumping. It doesn't, it's jumping species is difficult. Bird to human is this, I would argue the same, different, but similar to bird to dolphin or bird to whale, right? But yet suddenly, apparently all at once, you get whales and dolphins and foxes and everything. Well, maybe there's something else going on. Seeing as how we're talking about the East Coast, just a thought, but I guarantee, just like the vaccine, that's going to be baffling and nobody will bring it up. A string of mysterious dolphin and whale deaths is sweeping across the East Coast. And scientists fear the thing that we want you to think about. Fear is about a potential bird. So bottom line, we have no idea. But since we want to talk about bird flu, let's just go maybe bird flu. And then we'll write 40 articles about it. Fear is about a potential bird flu pandemic. So now we're just jumping ahead to, we don't even know if this is bird flu, but let's start talking about when it becomes a pandemic. Because that makes sense, right? In humans has intensified in recent weeks after the first tour, tour through global populations. <laughs> Typo. Oh, but see, here's the point. Did the first tear through global pop? Well, the, the first is this one. The one that the WHO in 2011 called a pandemic of fear. A lie. But, you know, because Daily Mail toes the line. The first one killed everybody. The virus has already killed more than 330 seals. What? In 2022. And several other mammals, including foxes, raccoons, and bears. Now, that's 2022. So you wouldn't argue that that would be Ohio, but how does that even remotely make sense? So we've got this thing apparently jumping all kinds of species, and that's normal. They, I mean, it's not, but they're just going to act like it is. The concern is that as the virus spreads to more animals, it will acquire mutations that allow it to infect humans, which the implication is that hasn't happened yet. So then why over here are we like, there's some example of humans, except they haven't spread amongst themselves. Is that just the narrative? Wishful thinking? While it's not clear how the dolphins were infected, <laughs> the University of Florida suspects the marine mammals were likely inter likely interacted with a wild bird killed by the virus. So you see that we've gone three different assumptions. The very first point is we don't even know if that's what's happening. But since we assume that, let's assume that in further and say, well, now since that's the assumption, how would it happen? Oh, well, the dolphins must have likely gotten. And that just becomes the talking point, even though the whole premise is we don't even know. So let's build an entire narrative based on hypothetical fear that we want you thinking about. Bird flu! Well, just in case you're wondering, how exactly are they finding out? How are they testing dolphins and foxes and bears for bird flu? You'd be right to guess PCR test. You won. It's exactly what you might think. But first of all, it says to date, no such concerning changes have been identified by H5N1 in wild birds, poultry worldwide that have sporadically infected humans. Again, so it hasn't mutated according to the CDC, but yet apparently they're already going, but it's done that. 
but it hasn't spread again. So has it done that? Same point. I mean, it's just that silly right now. Apparently, you're allowed to lie everywhere about these things as long as it errs in the direction of danger and fear. But just to make the point, what's the diagnostic? Real-time PCR test, because we know, as we were just talking about, that's the correct thing for testing viruses, right? Well, not according to the person who made it, not according to anybody that understands how the test works. But, and again, just 2007, real-time PCR test for H5N1. That's what we're doing. So here we go again, guys, right back on the wheel, the hamster wheel of the biosecurity state. Well, the whole point about all of this is about driving us into the direction of their control structure, right? Whether this is fear, whether this is something inside of these things that's supposed to be in, you know, there's, there's all sorts of risks and fears right now, whether implantables or smart dust or all this stuff that they're actively talking about, self-spreading vaccines, the, the whether that's meant to be something internally that then traps you into it, or whether it's the fear that pushes you into accepting the digital ID or the central bank digital currency, that's where this is going. And to finish today, I really think it's important that we understand that. As we already talked about, March 16th, reclaim the net. Western governments are on the verge of introducing expiring money. Expiring money, which means you're never able to save money again, which means you're always at the mercy of the state, which is exactly where they want you. And the only way they can do that is with CBDCs. And here's what the Bank of International Settlements has said on the record is why it's important, because you know what? They can dictate how you're using it and then enforce that. Friends, with the CBDC, is the central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, uh, to what cash is. Yep, so they can dictate what you do and they can turn you off. Very clear. And just to make sure we understand this is not a left-right game here. It means slanted. But it says, here's a list of states and the bills that will facilitate the implementation of CBDCs. Tom Rents shares this. If you don't want the Biden crime family exposed, jamming WEF CBDCs down your throat, you need to fight this. Now, of course, he's looking at it from a very partisan angle, which uh, that's how they all love to lean into it because it works. I, maybe they believe it. Maybe they think it's beneficial to their platform. I don't know. But as Funny Howie Punny points out, it already passed in, in, uh, in, um, I, we just said the other day, what was it? It was, uh, why, why am I never, I'm having a problem with these. New Mexico. God, I did it just the other day. For some reason, it wouldn't pop into my head. New Mexico. The point is that New Mexico, the sponsor is a Republican. It's, this is not, they, as much as they really want to make this whole thing about one side or the other, you'll find, I mean, especially when you look internationally, this is not a left-right game. This is a government controlling your life game. And anybody trying to make it partisan either doesn't understand that or is lying to you. But the point is, it's all of it. Here's the censored news pointing out how most people, like the average person, is only just now hearing about this whole CBDC thing. But the point is, they've been talking about it for a long time. And that's been their whole push. And what's weird, I never, I, this is on, uh, this posted on March 11th. Remember when KGP, you know, K, uh, KJP, I don't know, was it K, uh, Kareem Jean Pierre? Is that, is that KGP said, that's on top of mind. And it was clear, like she was reading clearly and she kept saying, and it sounded really dumb. I never even heard that saying before. Top of the mind, top of mind. Maybe it's a saying, but it's weird that it gets expressed in this thing. I just thought that was interesting. Maybe there's more to that. 
bank digital currency, or CBDC, is top of mind with over 100 central banks around the world engaging in research, pilots, and exploration. But in 2023, we're in a context marked by geopolitical fragility, financial instability, and market distrust in institutions. Since we are still at the beginning, it remains to be seen exactly what kinds of outcomes CBDCs once implemented will have. Will they help solve for financial inclusion or deepen the digital divide? Once we have a whole matrix, all the currencies against all the currencies, you want a system that is agile enough to do that, and it seems like this system is capable of doing it. Before 2018, we were pushing for these wallets to be interconnected. Banks were not so interested. Now we are forcing them to be interconnected. Uh, if, you can, if you're having a hard time understanding Job of the Hut here, he's talking about how they're all interconnected. How all of these things, like the point is forcing these systems to be like, that's how this works. Unless they can have complete international, worldwide control over the system, that it won't, it won't work. And then to be interconnected. And starting in March, they have to be interconnected. Oh, and starting the end of June, all financial institutions might be able to transfer. I think we're all realizing we're in the midst of a technological revolution in the payment system. In the introduction are, of this. Are we, or is that what they want? Right? Like technological revolution, but most of the population is unaware it's even happening. That sounds justified. CBDCs, you're actually going to need national conversations about the role of cash and who has access to central bank money. We, we see the central bank digital currency as part of the solution for unbanked people. Now, here's how they sell it to you, right? Be, arguing like, well, it's not their fault. They want to be tapped into their debt slavery. No. Like, there's plenty of people in the world that just don't want this. Their societies don't lean into this. Their argument is that, they're, that they just don't have the capability, and that's somehow inequitable. But it's not the reality. That is, if we have a record of these transactions, it will be easier for them to get credit. If CBDCs or when CBDCs uh, are rolled out in a particular jurisdiction. Right. So the fact that they're speaking about this as when, like, it's, let's, let's, are we still pretending that you're voting for all of this, guys? They can immediately scale and be interconnected to the rest of the world. Within the Eurozone, I'm already aware of three different models of CBDC that are being thought about. So I think the more alignment between central banks on these design choices will be helpful for everybody. And oh, everybody that wants to control your life, yes. A major issue that requires cooperation is shared standards for interoperability. And as Governor Bilardi indicated, this is an important role for the central bank to play in setting these shared standards. Right. So the banks are setting the standards that control your life. That sounds great because we can tell how trustworthy the banks are right now. Right. Clearly, they're all about you. Obviously not. Here is a MasterCard post from March 16th. MasterCard certified in the UK as a trusted provider of digital ID services. The point is that they need this kind of credit overlap digital ID structure to be able to force you into the CBDC. Right. Because if you need the digital ID to be able to interact with everything, they can then switch everything over. And then you have to have the CBDC because you have the digital ID infrastructure or vice versa, really. But at the end of the day is they're, they're one and the same. And this is how they get you controlled in the social credit infrastructure, just like in China. It's not a conspiracy theory. Okay, then Mr. E points out digital ID is already being rolled out in Canada. We know this. It's everywhere. The system is verified.me. 
This is not, and, and we showed you before, guys, this is interconnected with all sorts of credit and banking systems. Uh, most of these have like Experion connected to it. Oh, right there, Equifax. It's, it's very on the surface right now. And if you if you're thinking for one second that they're not going to be able like they just they were trying to justify shutting you off because you didn't get an injection. You think they're going to argue that you're you know, you're making the wrong choices for climate change, like they're not going to justify shutting you off for those same reasons. Now, here's a couple things you've seen to finish out. I'm going to read one last thing about the genetic. This is a genetic technology persistent breeding article and it will be done. But I think I just want to include these clips because I think it's important to understand where all this goes. Here's the one about the digital ID. Government is about to launch a new form of digital ID that means you'll never have to hand over your personal details to anyone again. It will all be stored in the Service New South Wales app on your phone, which will prove you are who you say you are. Scanning his licence, passport and Medicare card... In less than three minutes, the minister proves he really is Victor Dominello. This is unquestionably the holy grail. This is your first look at the state's new digital ID. This is a huge step forward in giving back people control over their data, control over their identity. Oh, really? <laughs> well, she's drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, that's the literal opposite of what this is. This is the, the solidification of their control over your data. Personal credentials will be stored on your device. No IDs need to be handed over. Yeah, which they'll have complete access to like they do right now. I mean, it, it, this is plainly, I mean, it's insulting. It's actually quite naive to think that's not going to be the same thing. And that means keeping your address and birthday to yourself. If you need to hire a car, rent a property. Right, set right because, you know, God forbid, we don't want the government knowing your birthday because <laughs> that's serious. Like they don't know that already. Like, it's just, this is so silly. Top a bank account, check into a hotel, or prove you're over 18 to buy alcohol or attend an event. All you need to do is tap your phone, and that will be a validation that you are real. Australians from, you know, the kitchen table to the boardroom table would have an increased anxiety following the deluge of data breaches we saw late last year. But this seeks to take uh, away the risk because... This is like the Patriot Act to fight terrorism, right? It's literally the opposite. Right. Well, you, you want to protect your data. So let's do the thing that's going to literally not protect your data. But we'll frame it that way. You OK with that? These will never have a copy of your details in the first place. But how can it trust you are who you say you are? Well, you'll need to take a selfie, which will be cross checked against other forms of ID you've submitted. And when there's a match, you're good to go. The technology will be opt-in and should be available later this year. Yeah, opt-in at first, then it will be penalized if you don't, then it will be threats and so on. Or, you know, you'll be turned off. You'll just be, yeah, it's your choice, but you can, you know, not have credit, not have a driver's license, not have any form of digital communication. Right, but that's your choice, though, to not be able to exist in the new, like that, the, the way the world is today, it's impossible, especially for average people. So they, they, just like the vaccine, you people will just do it anyway because they have to. It's the same game. It's that simple, guys. This is over the top. Here is a 15-minute city in China. This is a real thing, guys. This is not, this is where they already are. They're checking in. She takes her mask off and she has to scan her face or her eyes and then she gets to go through. 
right? This is like them making fun. Oh, you dumb conspiracy theorist. It's just a simple checkpoint. There's nothing stopping you except for the time when they go, er, er, you're a problem or you're a threat or you're a domestic terrorist or you don't compute or you're not, your, your ID doesn't check out or God knows what else or just a random glitch. What do you do? You, you call, you call some, where's the, you call somebody? <laughs> what do you do? You're not allowed in anymore. It could be a glitch. It could be on purpose. The point is, this is how the system's meant to work. Like, if you take it to the extreme and you go, what happens if a terrorist shows up? What if the system has a recognized terrorist entity? Well, of course, they're not going to let them in, right? Okay, well, how long until they just deem you one of those? How long until they say, what I'm saying is terrorism? How long until they anybody challenging the narrative is killing people? Therefore, you're the same thing. It's not that hard to see how this works. Here is the one about the pill. Now, this one is important because the, the logical conclusion here is how the digital ID, the CBDC turns a digital ID, the digital ID turns into credit passport system, and then it becomes the invasive, implantable, digest. this is where this goes. They're already talking about this. Because, well, if you already have to go through all these digital checkpoints, how much easier would it be just to take a pill and make my body the token so I can authorize with just waving my hand over something? It's already where we are. So I take a vitamin every morning. What if I could take vitamin authentication? What? Vitamin authentication. Look, I have one right here. And this is Google, by the way. Here, well, here, I'll let you hold it. Mm. Would you like to hold it? I'll hold it. Okay. <laughs> so this... You guys see it? This pill has a small chip inside of it with a switch. It also has what amounts to an inside-out potato battery... When you swallow it, the acids in your stomach serve as the electrolyte, and they power it up, and the switch goes on and off. And it creates an 18-bit ECG-like signal in your body, and essentially your entire body becomes your authentication token. Yes, this is true. Okay? Okay, but... Okay, so wait. So it's, uh, it's really true. So what this means is that that becomes my first superpower. I really want the superpower. It means that my arms are like wires, my hands are like alligator clips when I touch my phone, my computer, my door, my car, I'm authenticated in. First superpower. Like, I want that. So, so we're not shipping that right away. Yeah, no. We're not shipping that right but, away. But it but sounds is it, like... Is it, this is FDA clear? So here's the thing. This... This is not science fiction. This pill is actually made by a company called Proteus, and they've developed it for medical applications. That pill has been CE stamped and cleared by the FDA. You can take 30 of those per day for the rest of your life. Now think about the ridiculousness of saying this thing that hasn't been given on a mass scale is already FDA approved. Yet the thing they've just given people for three and a half years still emergency authorized, you know, for your safety. And then what happens? Does your heart Nothing. beat change? Does your... <laughs> we can just tell that you... you've taken the pill. Uh... We can tell that you've taken the pill. Now, it cuts the video right there, and it goes to a separate point that gets conflated, but she then points to something different, which is a tattoo authenticator kind of thing we've talked about in the past. Right? This is just, it's kind of a compilation of these clips. Oh, dang it. A tattoo that could be used for authentication. Right, so tattoos, authentication, pills that turn your body into tokens. I mean, this is the world they're, they're rushing people into. And the, the question is, how long until your brain's not private? I mean, this is a real conversation, guys. This is March 17th. This is from Vox, Vox uh, Outlet. Your brain may not be private much longer. Your neurotechnology is upon us. 
it, whether we want it or not, because they're forcing it on you, your brain urgently needs new rights. Really? This is scary stuff, guys. I mean, this, oh, you should read this article. We've gone over this in the past. This is, this is or not in the past, but I think this was on uh, Pirate Stream. I think we touched on this. This is just horrifying. Because the truth is, it gets to a point to where you're not even going to have a choice anymore. That's why they're saying we need rights, because, you know, your brain, like Klaus Schwab sits there and says, soon enough, we'll be able to read each other's thoughts. Really? Is that what you want? Or are we just going to passively let this happen to us? Well, here, the last video, before we read that last part, is where they're arguing this goes. So this is past that point, hypothetically. Right. To where you already have the pill. You already have all the stuff. You've already gotten all the things we talked about. Right. Digital ID, the CBDCs, the scanning, the, 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 your, the body's the token. Your brain's not private. Now you work in a place where all those things come together. This is your future. And this is, in fact, the way they frame it to make it a positive thing. Like really take stock of what you that this is how they frame it to make you not scared of where this goes. Video, uh, it's going to make you. See the future. And the podcast, of course, all of this is World Economic Forum, Davos, all of this stuff. Understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive. A wonderful. I mean, think about the way he frames it. A wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I missed that last time. Wait and see. If you haven't seen this, wait to see the way this plays out and with his framing. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure. Your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. Hmm. Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. Look at what, I, I didn't pick that up last time. You see that? So as she's literally daydreaming, her computer screen pops up that says intra-office romances are strictly forbidden. Like, this is so dystopian, it scares the hell out of me. And this is their positive version. And she'll even express that at the end. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity oh and God. shift your attention back to the present. That, that is you, literally 1984 Orwellian, like, oh, no, like, so the way you, you have to, like, lie to yourself. You can't think things because your brain is not private. God. Breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office, along with emails text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. And notice her computer says seized. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. 
you discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. That's the end of it. Like that. So you leave us with this weird chilling moment. We're like, I don't know if I'm even, maybe they're going to misunderstand. I don't even know. Like that, that's supposed to be the positive. Like it's almost like they're trying to scare people. But the, the thing is, how do you defend that? Like jump into that reality. You're that person. And they suddenly go, you're part of it. No, I'm not. No, we see your brain. You're guilty. Go to jail. It's like, okay, wh- what do I do then? How do I disprove your allegation about my brainwaves? Like, this is so crazy. And all it does is completely centralize power to the people already abusing power. It scares me, literally. Now, watch how they tell you this is the way they wanted to put it out so they didn't scare you away. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Right. That's the worst part. She goes, guess what? That's already happening. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. So the real question is, how is the military, the CIA, the NSA, all these groups already weaponizing this? Which is the only reason we're seeing it is because they've already weaponized it. And now it's just the normalization of the tool they've been using for however long they've had it. That's usually how that works. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. Here's a question, or rather just a further thought that's scary. What if that's what your phone's doing right now? What if that's already what's been happening and we don't even know it? We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices yep. that are like Fitbits for your brain. Or a phone in your pocket, right? Or your device on your ear. I mean, why wouldn't we ask that? That's very possible. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. Yep. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. Or already These out. These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. You realize, I mean, think about how alarming that is. That's not even, that's not like something you pair to your body. Based on our presentation, you could already be using one. You wouldn't even know. Okay, well, you might think, fine. But even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, you can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. Turns out that you can not only tell whether, whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to. Whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology. We might soon even use the technology to help people wake back up. This is a haptic scarf that MIT Media Lab has developed, Hmm. which uses brainwave technology in a responsive way to give a person a little buzz, 
literally. A shock scarf to shock you if you doze off at work. When their mind starts to wander to help them refocus and hone their attention. I'm giving you the positive use cases because what I don't want the reaction to be is let's ban this. Right. So those were the positive use cases. You understand that? My God. And just to reiterate that for a long time now, they've made the general argument that if it should come to pass, which maybe it already has is the point that they argue that bio enhancement like that should be done. That they should do it covertly without your knowledge because you won't understand. It is morally preferable to for compulsory moral bio enhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they're receiving the enhancement. I mean, I'm not trying to fearmonger, guys. This is a valid, legitimate, scientifically possible, technologically capable reality, should they have wanted it to be from 2019, long before. And then finally, this is so alarming to me and goes in so many different directions that we just discussed this on the recent founding Q&A for the Substack. Genetic technology, precision breeding. Precision breeding. November 9th, 2022, already passed. The genetic technology precision breeding bill will create a, a new regulatory regime for plants, animals, food, and food products developed through precision breeding technologies, removing them from the current regime for genetically modified organisms. So they're breaking the mold. And they're basically going, okay, well, all these GMOs, we're just going to start calling them not GMOs because we d- argue that that doesn't apply anymore. So how long until none of it matters and it's all blended into the same thing? The Genetic Technology Precision Breeding Bill is government legislation intended to encourage agricultural and scientific innovation, just like the genetic free-for-all Western, you know, the world, the, the wild west of genetic manipulation now. They're going to just, they want, they want people to experiment into all of this. So we're going to do so by unlocking the potential of new technologies to promote sustainable and efficient farming and food production, or rather, Specifically, the bill seeks to ensure that plants, animals, and food and feed products developed using precision breeding technologies, in other words, those modified using specified technological methods such as gene editing to replicate changes which can occur naturally are regulated proportionally to risk. The bottom line is they're basically talking about GMOs, genetically modified things, and and basically seek bills to... basically change them so they're no longer recognized as GMOs. Consequently, its provisions would remove these products from the regulatory system for GMOs in favor of a new regime. The government contends this approach will deliver several benefits. They include cutting costs, of course, production, time, and and, uh, helping adapt, uh, of course, adaption to climate change. Bottom line is they're just, the GMOs and the mRNA manipulated products Animals that have been injected with gene, you know, reverse transcribed genetic modifications like the mRNA injections that alter their makeup. Like, that's what we're talking about. These things are no longer, these are genetically modified things, including people that have taken these injections. However, reaction to the bill has been mixed. Whilst farming and industry groups have largely welcomed the measures, campaign groups have raised concerns over the safety and efficacy of such technologies. Now, I highly doubt farming industry groups, rather the corporations maybe, but largely far, I doubt farmers are going along with this. It says, for example, concerns have also been expressed over the lack of labeling requirements for precision bred food and derived foodstuffs and the potential implications for inter- internal markets given that this is, this is a devolved area. 
Right. People don't want people want to know what they're eating. The only reason this makes sense is that you want to blend this all into the same thing. Because we the point is because the people know they don't want GMOs. And so that you're just this is a benefit to corporate business and the genetic modified direction. It says it's consistently criticized the regulatory regime intended to implement and monitor these technologies as weak and inadequate. Right. So a lot of people in government government are saying the what you're doing to regulate this is not it's not accurate. It's not adequate, probably by design, because you're going to create a situation where everything becomes genetically modified, including the people you're the, you and the people around you, whether that becomes people being patented or what, you know, foods. And the, the I mean, this is infinite where this goes and whether it becomes humans next is scary to me. The bottom line is, if it's genetically modified, it can be patented. And what that does to other farmers growing the same things, like with the Monsanto, I don't know. But this is a dangerous future that seems to be consolidating control over living things under government control. Now, I really needed to get a lot of this out today just because it's been a lot of this has been sitting here and I wanted to collect all of it. Some of it's been repeats, but, you know, hey, almost a five hour show, guys. I'm sure some of you like that. Some of you don't. (laughs) But at the end of the day, this is just so obvious. And I think it's important to understand how this, the direction of all of this, how it all connects. And there was a, there was a video clip that I forgot to end with, which, like I do all the time, which I'm going to try not to do right now, about the, it was about the, the, G, the human patenting conversation. And I forgot to play this clip at the end. So all that being said, the same direction, this is where it's always been going. And I ask whether that, apply, that it will or already has applied to humans and what all this will amount to with the GMO mRNA, mod RNA, genetic manipulation, biosecurity state, technocratic direction. What is it going to mean? I don't have all the answers. I don't know. But I do know for sure that we're being lied to about everything that's happening right now. And the dangerous aspects of all of this are just right on the front. And yet it's still happening. It's still going forward, which should be very disconcerting. So what I think we need first and foremost, as always, is to get this information in front of people that need to see it. Keep spreading the word. I do definitely think that we're making a difference because of people like you in the chat. Thank you for your support. Just couldn't do this without you. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The Jacobardi case. A judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric... And a Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turned down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. We bring good things to life. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief. If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, 
corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome, but what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're gonna have people who believe, look, life is simply utility. It's commercial fare, and they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology.